Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Everybody, welcome to the Coco Nation Show, episode three seventeen. How we all doing? Good. All right. We made it, we made it and we're still on the right side of the grass. Exactly. So, <laughs> let's see who's been crazy enough to join us on the panel today. All right, upper left-hand corner, we got El Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. And Rick Uland. Howdy, folks. And next over, our, our special guest, Dave, we'll get back to in a second. Uh, far right corner is yours truly. Next row, Alan. We're sorry. Yeah, disclaimer comes later. Uh, next up, Ron Delvo. Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome. Sorry, Marco. Marco, here, present. Yeah, I'm here. Thanks. Glad to be here. Okay, that was supposed to be a yay or nay vote. Let's <laughs> uh, see. Sloopy Malibu. I'm here in my soldering irons ready. <laughs> I'll duck. Okay. Uh, let's see. We're kind of out of order today. Let's see. Nick Barentes, you're up next. Mm. Good day, everyone. Ready for another three-hour Neutroid show? Nope, three and thank God now. we're not having one. Right, go ahead, Mark. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Brian Schubring, the music man. Hello, everybody, and play them tunes. Okay, next up from the middle of nowhere, Ken Waters. I'm here as long as I keep feeding the chipmunk that's running the power for my internet. <laughs> and last but not least, we have Kevin Holloway. Hello, everybody. <clears throat> Glad you can make it. Now, today we have a special guest, Dave, uh, creator of the Coco Town YouTube channel. Hi, everybody. It's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, welcome to the show. You've been actually doing quite a bit on there. I mean, it's, it's been trouble keeping you up uh, with all the stuff you've been doing on the news here, a couple of videos a week and pretty wide range of topics. So uh, thanks for uh, agreeing to come on for an interview and help promote your page because it's only been up, what, about two months now? Uh, if even, maybe, yeah, probably somewhere between one and two months. Yeah. Looks like the town is in the nation. <laughs> That's right. Coco <laughs> Town's in Coco Nation. Is that our new capital city? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we'll start off uh, getting some uh, early history with you and, and computers and the Cocoa in general. And uh, of course, anybody in the chat, and there's, I see a ton of people in there like David Craker and uh, David Lord. And Mark Siegel, who used to work at Tandy, and a whole bunch of others, which I'll let Mark B kind of go over later. 
Um, so I guess my first question for you, and we ask this of most of our guests, what was the first computer you ever used, whether it was in school or whatever? It was a Coco Man. Uh, I was probably nine years old, and my dad got me a Coco One. And he he wasn't really much of a computer enthusiast or like electronics kind of person himself. Uh, but I was, for whatever reason, even at that young age, I just knew that there was there was something about machines or whatever I saw depicted about computers on TV or in movies that really appealed to me. Um, so he got that for me, a Coco One 4K and tape drive, I should say tape recorder. And I just powered through the manual. Like that manual is written so well. Yeah. Just like a kid who's interested, that's all you need. Like you don't need supervision. You don't need someone to explain anything. You can just go through, type in the code. And I was like in heaven. I just, I absolutely loved it. And yeah. that was, that was my first. I, I would say from anybody in the panel here that it was actually active in the Coco one days because the Coco two manuals, they slimmed them down a little bit and they're, they're really good, but they're not quite as good as the original Coco one ones. And I think all of us had that same experience you did that, uh, like you said, you didn't need it. I remember going through Apple II Plus manuals at school, and I didn't even understand some of the terminology because it was written for the hobbyist, you know, that had been around the 70s type thing. Like, hey, here's mm -hmm. a micro for you. And uh, totally different experience. This was actually a teaching tool, the way it was written. Yes, yes. It was more than a manual. It was more than a textbook. It was really, it was like a curriculum. It was like a self, uh, self-teaching self curriculum. It was amazing. Yeah. Now, you said you got a Coco once. So you got in pretty early. Um do you remember what, what the specs were in the first one? Like, did you get one of the first generation 4K Cocos like I had, or did you get a little bit further advanced? 4K gray chiclet keyboards, you know, the the oldest. I think it was probably, it was either like the very year they first came out or maybe the next year, but it was it was a very new thing on the market. Okay. It's roughly about the same as me because I got mine in 81, and I think a few others here actually got it around that same time as well. Mm. And, and did you get it just by itself or, or did you get the cassette recorder right off the start? So I think right off the bat, um, we got two cartridges. I think the music cartridge and the pinball cartridge, uh, two joysticks and a tape recorder. Although I think I just ended up using a tape recorder that my dad already had. So I don't think we <laughs> okay. got anything new there. Uh, and believe it or not, a black and white TV. So like in my room, <laughs> I was allowed to have a TV, but it was black and white and I didn't care. Like I was just so excited about this thing and so excited to play around with it and get it to do stuff. I would happily cycle through CLS one, CLS two, CLS three, and see different shades of gray show up on my black and white <laughs> TV. It was like, wow, look at that. And then, you know, after after maybe a year or so, I might occasionally like take it over and hook it up to maybe the family color TV. And it was such a treat at that point to be able to see it in color um, that I, I appreciated it. You know, like yeah. nowadays everyone has everything, you know, it's all on their on their phone and everything. And it's great and it's wonderful. But I don't think there's that same sense of wonder and appreciation you get when you have something that you like, but is terrible. And then you can like put it on into color and then like see, oh, wow, this is so cool. Someday I'm going to have a computer with color all the time. Um, so, yeah, it started off super trim. And by, you know, by the end of the 80s, I had a Coco 2 with 64K. And that's what I still have now. 
And somewhere in between, there was an upgrade. I forget if I upgraded to 16K or upgraded to 32K in the middle, but there was like some like intermediate upgrade. And every time I did that, my dad did some kind of deal with Radio Shack where rather than taking the computer to them and having them upgrade it, he would just like trade it in. So he would say, oh, I see you have that new thing. I want that new thing. Here's our old thing. And you're going to trade for us. And so somehow we work something out. And so I would always get like a brand new computer whenever it, like I got an upgrade. Oh, wow. Uh, that's what Apple tries to get the customers to do now with their phones. <laughs> and the permanent lease program. <laughs> yeah, we'll give you 50 bucks for your old phone and give us a thousand bucks for the new phone. It works great. So when your bad dad bought the computer, did he have an inkling that you wanted to use it as a computer, like to learn programming stuff? Or did he get it as a game console that I, also was a computer? Do you know? I think he had a sense, even though this really wasn't his thing, I think he had a sense that it was an educational tool, that it was something that would teach me something that could be useful later on. Because he, I think he knew I just sort of had that that preference for like mechanical, electronic things. And he wanted to foster that in me somehow. So I think he knew it was also capable of doing games. And I would also just be playing around with it in a non-educational way. But I think it was mostly a way to just sort of give me this thing he sensed was a new a new revolution in you know careers, even though it wasn't yet. And it was something that I could use to prepare myself for how things were going to be changing. Okay, because the reason reason I asked, you mentioned the first two games that you had, and one of them happened to be Pinball, the original Pinball, not Radio Ball that came out a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. And that was one that actually let you design your own boards and save yes. them to tape. So I was wondering, is that yes. something that kind of piqued your interest about the program? You weren't literally programming, but you were designing video games, basically. Uh, Is that I, a big part? I think, well, I was already running through the manual. Like before I d- designed my first pinball board, I was already going through, and I shouldn't call it a manual. I was running through the curriculum, the book, the curriculum book that came <laughs> with it. And I was typing in every single listing they had and then thinking of ways I might tweak it. So I would say I started with the programming as soon as I was possibly able. And then, you know, at that point, I was maybe mostly playing pinball, but it took a while before I said, all right, I'm going to make my own board and see see how that plays. Yeah, because I remember a friend of mine had the, the pinball cartridge. It's not one of the ones I had at the original part or the original ones that I got with the Coco. Um, but that was one I had fun with because it was one of the few that you actually you, you were interactive with the design of it as opposed to just yeah. you're playing the game type thing. So Pretty cool. And yeah. save it to tape, man. For later yeah. Thank God they were fairly small files. It didn't take too long to load or save. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't pin the cassette on the fridge with a magnet. Um, so uh, you mentioned that you eventually got a Coco 2. So you upgraded from the Chiclet keyboard to a real one. Did you have the Melty keyboard or the uh, full travel? No, it was the full. Well, I haven't heard the name full travel, but yeah, I guess that, that's what it was. The keys that weren't like in the middle, but they were like nice and soft. And that felt great. Like after the Chiclet which I got used to, but yeah, I, 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 did I sort of got used to like sort of pounding the keys. like, <laughs> And then when I got that, it was like a cushion for my fingers. Like, oh, this is so nice and soft. <laughs> now, do you know, did you get a uh, the later Coco 2 that actually had the lowercase VDG in it? Do you know? So uh, if anyone is curious about what a future video of mine might be like, one of the things I'm tossing around in my head is figuring that out. So all I can tell you right now, all I know right now is the label on the computer has the word Tandy. It doesn't have TRC. It, it has to have that to have the true lowercase. Um, so, there are some of those that do not, though. 
maybe I'm in the happy camp. Maybe I'm in the regular camp. I, I don't know. But I was thinking maybe a future video might be me discovering in real time, like, you know, trying out the pokes and seeing what actually happens. Yep, there's just two but, pokes, so it's pretty quick and easy. Yeah, quick answer is I don't know yet. And the longer answer is maybe we'll all find out together. Okay. Actually, there's another way you can tell too, because the the character set changes slightly. There's certain characters you can look at that are different, so that's another way to tell. Yes, but I'll true. let you discover that without having to <laughs> turn it on and try it out right now. Even though I'm curious, <laughs> um, I'm assuming at the point where you got the Coco Two, you probably had advanced onto disc drives and stuff too, rather than just tape. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot to mention. I I don't remember which which computer I started. Whether it was the 64K or the one before that, but I did end up getting uh, the disc drive and. This is another one of those examples like you work so long on black and white TV and then you hook it up into color and oh, wow, the world's so wonderful. Yep. <laughs> you spend so time. much time skip effing and see load with quote and then the name and waiting and waiting and waiting. Three minutes for Donkey King to load. M. And then you get a, a floppy drive and it's just seconds. It's just a breeze. Yep. That was... That's just another one of those things. I'm glad that I paid my dues because I really appreciated it once I got it. Yeah, that was the same with me because, I mean, the the drive at the beginning, like I got, I think I got mine in 82, but it was like twice as much as the Coco itself was just about the first drive because yeah. you had the cartridge on the like drive itself. $500 or something. That was 700 here in Canada. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that was the same same experience. Like you, you like I'd fast forward. Like I'd had the little counter. You'd write down, okay, this program is at you know counter four hundred twelve. I didn't have forward, a counter. Right? I didn't oh, have a counter. <laughs> I didn't have one of the one of the the Radio Shack ones that were meant for computers. And I didn't some not all, those weren't the only ones with counters, but the ones that I had didn't even have a counter. So I just didn't put too many on each side of a of a tape. Maybe okay. only two or three programs. <laughs> So your your tape deck didn't even have the part like you could do the audio on and like listen to the tape. Did it have the yes. one where you hit play and then it fast forward and it would actually play at fast speed so you could tell where the programs ended or not, or did it not support that? No, whatever you're describing doesn't sound familiar to me. Okay, because some of them would let you actually hear like the head would be active and you actually hear the tape playing at the fast forward speed and it would just no. be this little screeching sound, but you could hear the gaps. Right, I, I, uh, I did do that. Sounds super useful. I didn't have that. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the disc drive was definitely a, a revelation, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, now, obviously, you went through the basic manual, like you mentioned, and the extended basic manual. I'm assuming if you had 4K, well, I know if you had 4K, you didn't have extended basic off the bat, so you must have got that later on as well. Um, and you went through those manuals, and, and you've, you've been touching a lot on your videos here about programming in basic, and you're actually getting the internals of basic now with assembly language and stuff. Now, did you start playing with assembly language back in the 80s, or is that something that's been more recent? I did. Uh, so that would have been maybe my junior year of high school or my senior year of high school. Um, I got the William Barton Jr.'s book, uh, Color Computer Assembly Programming. And I got to say that book, you know, just as much as I praise the the books that came with the Coco, partly because of their humor and because of the example-based approach that they would take to teaching you things. I freaking love that assembly language book too, because he also has that kind of goofy, silly sense of humor that he injects everywhere. And it's all example-based. Like in, you know, next chapter, type in this code into Ed, Ed Tasm, and let's go through it line by line and see what it does. And oh, by the way, now we're, this is a new addressing mode that we're going to introduce, or this is a new op code that we're going to introduce. Um, so I worked my way through that. And then I started what I think a lot of people have done, 
I started my own game that I never finished. So <laughs> I, it was uh, going to be a ripoff of Moon Patrol, the, the the side-scrolling game where you're like the moon buggy and you can jump. Yep, and jump the holes, shoot the boulders. and yep. uh, So I was very proud of the small progress I made on that. I, I had like the scrolling and I could shoot and stuff, but like nothing was really put together. And then, I don't know, life took over and I got distracted and I worked on something else. Uh, but possibly for a future video, I might try to unearth the code that I wrote a long time ago and see if I can assemble it into something and assemble. Yeah, um, got it. <laughs> see, see if I can get that like put together into a video and, and see what that looks like. And maybe even finish it now with you know, extra knowledge, et cetera. I might, but boy, does that take patience. The the folks who, and I, there are folks like on this show right now who make fully complete games in assembly language. I mean, it's one thing to say, I want to do some scrolling and you do it. And, oh, that looks like a game, but it's another thing from yeah. start to finish to do the whole thing and have it also be playable. I have a lot of respect for that. That's super impressive to me. Now, one thing I did before I started, like, I haven't done many games. Um, I've been doing more operating system stuff. But one thing I did when I did write some of the games back in the mid-80s is I would write a machine language routine, like you mentioned, for scrolling or something like that, maybe sound effects. Did you ever do any games where you mixed a hybrid? A, you know, main in the game was in basically a little bit of assembly when you needed it? I didn't. I I So I wrote tons of stuff in fully basic and just in basic. And then once I started getting into assembly language, although maybe, I don't know, maybe I should... Okay, so the one game I did in assembly, which I never finished, the only way you could even run the pieces of it was from a basic program. So I guess in a way you could say I mixed them, but I didn't mix them the right way. I wasn't using <laughs> F user zero or user zero. I was just like 10 lodem this thing, 20, you know, like one lodem for the screen, the graphic screen. And then one lodem for the code and then exec. You know, it was like that was the basic. So it's I don't really count that as truly a, a hybrid basic machine language thing. It was really just a machine language, but didn't work on its own. It needed like a little help. Okay. That's understandable. And I'm assuming you had disk atasm. You didn't start with the cartridge, or do you start with the cartridge? I'm I'm thinking because I I believe the answer is I started with a non-legitimate copy of Disk Edtasm, and I distributed never backup. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> the you know the one that was distributed on BBSs that 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 folks were using a lot. That version, which happened to be free, I I don't believe I ever had the cartridge, so I don't think I was ever using it with cassette. I think that was yeah, it must have been because that was really just. That was much later in the year. So I had already gotten disc by that point. Okay. Yeah, because the original cartridge version, I mean, it's, it's cartridge, but it did let you do bigger programs. And then Roger Schrag uh, published some articles in Rainbow Magazine to patch the cartridge one to give you disc operations and stuff. So a lot of people mm -hmm. use that. And then Tandy mm -hmm. eventually came up with their own disc version. Right. With its Kilgus DOS yeah. type thing. Yeah. I don't, yeah. And that I don't think is the one that I had used. I think I must have used the one that was patched because I, I later... You know, recently I was looking at all those different versions and when I was looking at the disk version. I saw the way you make your program has to follow these weird rules like you uh, up here. You have to jump to the first instruction down here. And then in the middle, you have to have something that like declares what the size of the program. Some really weird process you had to go through to get it to work. And yeah, and it came with its own kind of version of DOS as well. 
what I used didn't have that. I think what I used was just straight whatever they took from the cartridge and then patched it to work on disk, so which I think was easier to use. Yeah. So you, you got the Cocoa 2, you got a disk drive. So this is probably in the mid, mid ladies, I'm guessing. I'm assuming you also used it for school for doing reports and stuff like a lot of us did. Did I did. I had like a dot matrix printer and I used it to print out uh, term papers. I even managed to do like one of one of the years in science. My science project was like a little essay on artifacting. <laughs> I don't think my teacher knew what I was talking about. I honestly didn't really know what I was talking about. All I really knew is the every other line they get red. No, nope, every other line they get blue. No, nope, every other line they get red. I'm going to write something up like this, and that's going to be my science project. So I, I would use it for all sorts of things. Um, in schools, they had the Apple IIs, and so there were there were you know for the years that I was in the classes that used them, I also played around with them, and I made some programs, maybe one or two games on them too, and I enjoyed it, but. Wasn't the same. It's not the same as the Cocoa. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, if we're doing temperature stuff, like a lot of us have our favorites, especially in the Cocoa One and Two era of like a word processor or whatever, like a Telewriter, VIP Writer are very popular ones. What was your your go to? Uh, I used the you know the free distribution via BBSs of Telewriter sixty four. Sixty four. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably the most common one I know of too. I think Ron is one of the ones that I think used VIP Writer, formerly known as Super Color Writer too. Yep, and I used um, the the write program in um, Deskmate. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> hey, um, Deskmate was a whole suite of apps. While I'm up, did you have a um, Cocoa Club you went to when you were younger? I didn't. I the but my uncle um, who lived out of state in a different state. I remember one or two years when we would go visit them. He took me to his Cocoa Users Group meeting. And I could not believe my eyes. This was before I was ever on BBSs or anything, but I went there and they said, oh, hello, would you like some games? And I said, <laughs> okay. And they had like a Cocoa set up with multiple, multiple floppy drives. And they would like take one floppy, put it in one, another floppy in another. They would like type a command. And before I knew it, I had a disc with a bunch of games. I think that's how I got Puyan, actually. That was like one of the earliest uh, games that I got. And it was through that visit. It was like, I want one of these where I live. This is the best <laughs> thing ever. Um, what, what game is better, the one you buy or the one you receive? <laughs> you know, it's, it's an interesting question. The ones that I bought have all been the cartridge games. And, and I, I honestly think, you know, as, as cool as they were in their way, some of the best games you could ever buy really weren't distributed by radio by Radio Shack. So whether you bought them or you, you know, got them through the free distribution method, those those ended up being my favorites. Like Donkey King, Far and Away, that's the my, my absolute favorite of all time. Um, and then you know a bunch of other games, Puyan and Double Back and stuff. And those were all, you know, you could say that spending money on a cartridge is a bit of a sacrifice and therefore you should enjoy it more. But there's also a sacrifice of dialing up a 300 baud modem to a BBS <laughs> and waiting 30 minutes for the download to finish. And at 25 minutes in, someone else in your family picks up the phone and tries uh -huh. to make a phone call. And now you got to start over again. Yep. That's a sacrifice, too. That's a lot of personal time. So. There's some sense of accomplishment when I actually get a successful download and I can run it and it works. So that was pretty fun. 
So where you grew up, it was a fairly small section of people that had Cocos. Like, how big was this club that your uncle was part of? Uh, you know, it's hard to remember that far back, but I'm sure there were maybe around six to 12 people who showed up. Uh, for me, like just in, in my own community, I had a friend who had a Coco. He had a Coco 3. I was jealous of them. Um, and, and that was it. Like, you know, so my uncle had a Coco in a different state. My friend had a Coco. I don't think I saw them anywhere else. I didn't see them in schools. None of my other friends had them. They just, they weren't pushed. They weren't promoted like apples were. So, you know, that means we're in a more exclusive and tight knit club, I guess. But yeah, it's really weird how regional it is too. Like where I grew up, which at the time was maybe 120,000 people city. Um, our Coca Club had 60, 70 people in it. Mm. It was huge. We had tons of them. <laughs> I, I knew more people with Cocos than I did with Apples or Atari uh-huh. 8 bits. Uh-huh. Um, I think the only one that really rivaled it here would have been the C64. Mm. But, uh, yeah. And then you go to some other even bigger city than this. And all of a sudden, like, it's like you said, you know, you have your one or two friends and that's it type of thing. So it's, uh, it's kind of weird how that was. But I think it, it depended on the managers you had at your local radio shacks because some of them, it was just a computer to sell. It meant nothing to them. And other, other of them, like a couple of the managers we had in our area, really were fans of the computer. So they'd be pushing it and they'd be helping you. They'd be telling you about third party, which is my next question, actually. Um, obviously, you found out about software and stuff through BBSs in this in this users group here. Did you find out about the magazines? Did you have a subscription to Rainbow or Hot Cocoa or Computer I, News or whatever? So my uncle had a subscription to Rainbow. And so whenever I visited him... I would just type everything in I could find from Rainbow and read through all the pages of Rainbow. And then I would like drool as I saw these ads for all these games through mail order. And I would think, oh, my gosh, I don't know why I just assumed this was out of my ability to like ask my parents or maybe take some money that I saved up and order a game through the mail. But it just seemed like I could never do that. This is an adult thing. But I would like I would just read through it and I would see these reviews. They would always review all the games and all, all the reviews were so positive. So all the games are amazing. Um, so I was aware they existed, uh, but I never, never really on my own got them the the normal way. I guess you could say I did have a subscription to I think it was the TRS eighty micro computer, computer news and the Tandy themselves put out. Yeah, I think I think it was free or something. We yeah. had we I think we had them come to us for about a year or so. Yeah, I think they like up here. I think they gave us a six month subscription when you bought a Coco, so you automatically got. Yeah, but that, that covered all the tier eighty. So that's yeah, exactly. There was like you know the the color computer section that was two or three pages, and I would type in all the code from those, and I would read those and enjoy that. But I don't think they had a whole lot of ads for third party software in that in that yeah. Set. Like I know here, like a couple of our local bookstores actually carried Rainbow for a while. So you could actually just go mm-hmm. wander in the bookstore and find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was that was fairly rare. Most bookstores did not. So you'd have to find out from it. And, and like I said, it regionally, we had a couple of radio shacks that were really cocoa friendly. And they tell you yeah, there's this magazine called Rainbow. There's Hot Cocoa. It's called Computer Magazine. Um, and there were others like, you know, buy Tandy 1000. I make more commission off that. So yeah. you should get that instead. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it varied wildly, I think. Um, so you never got a Coco 3 then, it's something that sounds like you said you had one friend that uh, had one. But... I never did. So Coco 2 64K is where my, my Coco path ended. And then at that point, um, after that point is when I went away to college and then got into all other different kinds of computers. 
but never. So did you go to the PC route or the Amiga, or what? What, what route did you take after the? Cocoa? So, I guess the the very first thing I did next would have been the Macintosh SE. Okay. Uh, so I got that as sort of my college student computer. So I don't know if you remember this, but it had a built-in black and white screen. Yeah, the nine inch. And the, the keyboard was separate, but the rest of it was like a single unit. And that's what I ended up using for things like term papers. And uh, I, I majored in computer science, so there was a lot of programs to write. And occasionally, I would use that to like type up the text of a program, even though I couldn't compile it and run it because it had to run on the computers there. I would just use it as a way to like kind of get my thoughts together. Um, so... I had that computer, and then at college, it was all like Sun workstations connected to some central mainframe. Uh, and then the next computer, anyone remember the next? Any jobs? Yep. Yeah, so that's what taught me that I really want to, to program graphical user interfaces because they had this thing, I think it was called the Interface Builder, where they made it just such a dream to design a user interface with buttons and sliders and radio buttons. And it was in such a way where you could like resize the dialogues and everything would like snap and, and expand in place. And something like Windows didn't have anything like that for a good 10 or 15 years. And that was already there on the next. So I loved that. And then later I ended up on PCs, which is where I kind of stayed. So I ended up with PCs programming in DOS, Windows 3.1, and then slowly going through the, the Microsoft continuum of Windows further and further. I have to say, if you use Next first, which was hugely advanced for its time, um, and of course that became the basis of OS X because you know they were originally going to use, uh, Apple's going to buy a different operating system, I'm trying to remember the name of it off the top of my head. Um, it was a multimedia-heavy based one. But they ended up going with Next instead and bought it out. And that's when Steve rejoined Apple back in 96 or 95 or whatever it was. But, you know, they were just about bankrupt. So I'm kind of surprised you didn't follow the the OS X route when Next Step actually just basically yeah. got ported over and they started yeah. expanding it. But you decided at that point to, to go the way. Yeah, I, I mean, at that point, I had gotten a job. So now we're after college. I had gotten a job and they wrote on Windows. So they wrote on DOS. So there was no real choice. It was like, this is your next computer. This is what you're going to do next. And when I compared that, say, with the Macintosh SE, I felt like it was similar enough that it was fine, but it was even better in the sense that it had keyboard shortcuts for everything. And I felt like it could be super fast. The Macintosh SE was still mouse for everything. But compared to the next, it was not a step up. I mean, the next was yeah. really ahead of its time. There's a re reason that stuff like Doom was developed on Next stations and not oh. on Windows or Mac. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Carmack really loved running under that system. So mm -hmm. I remember going to Comdex and actually talking to some of the people, you know, the de developers for various, whether they're doing business or games, whatever. And almost everybody at that point was using Next to develop for all the other things. <laughs> like that was mm -hmm. the one they ran everything on. And then they, you know, test run it on Windows and Mac and whatever else. That's, it just seemed to be sure. the one that developers just got attracted to. For at least for the first couple of years. So you never got into the, the Linux or Unix route too much either, other than what you mentioned in college? A little a little bit here and there. Like sometimes you have to have Linux. Like to, for, for something that you want to do, like there's just no other choice. So I did at some point get a... I forget the distribution, but I, I it was Nopix, K-N-O-P-P-I-X. I made a Nopix 
uh, CD-ROM or something to boot off of. Because sometimes you have an emergency that can only be rectified with Linux. And I had one of those emergencies where I had to like get into some hard drive and, and do something with it. Um, another good use for it was uh, about a year ago, I still had my Macintosh SE and I had a hard drive. And I was like, I want to like get everything off of this hard drive I can onto a virtual hard drive. And Linux has like this simple commands like DD or BB. There's like a simple command where you just feed it one drive as the input and a file as the output. And boom, it like just gives you a serial version of all the bits from the first thing and it goes into the file. And then you can put that into like a Macintosh emulator. It just works. So yep. that's a great use for Linux is like moving stuff from one weird format to another weird format that Windows doesn't care about and doesn't want to know about. Yeah, I, I was correct in the chat room. Everybody was just, you know, harping on me for not remembering BIOS. That was the alternate operating system that oh, Apple mm -hmm. was thinking of doing before they got next. Was it Gene um, Louis Gasset, I think, that developed that? He used to yeah. work for Apple. Yeah, he did. He was one of their European head of what part of it. I can't remember. Now. He was from France, yeah. right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, he's from France. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a nice system, too. I remember we fiddled with it a little bit at work. Um, anything else in the chat you saw there, Mark? I haven't had a chance to really. Most people talking about uh, their uh, experiences with cassette recorders and uh, <laughs> where they <laughs> and sharing uh, software. Oh, uh, Rocky Hill said DD is disk destroyer. So yeah, okay. DD yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the uh, the humorous <laughs> version of it. Right? Now, of course, everybody knows I'm going to ask this question because you mentioned that you actually did use some Unix derivatives in college and stuff. Here, did you ever touch on OS nine even on your Cocoa two? Because if you, you had sixty four eighty eight in a drive, you definitely could run it. I could have, I could have, but I didn't. That was for adults. I wasn't an adult. <laughs> <laughs> no, even I, in college, I, or did you stop I, using the Cocoa more by? Yeah, that that's time? the thing. Is the Cocoa kind of went into storage at that point? Um, but you did keep it. I kept it. I still have it. And in my some of my earlier videos where I was doing DriveWire, you'll see on the screen that's not an emulator for some of those segments. It's the actual Cocoa too. So it's still there. It still works. The only thing about it is I'm pretty sure the RF modulator is just really not in good shape because the picture quality is really bad. And even the sound quality it's so growly. And I, I I started hearing like in other videos that tell me what other people's Cocos sound like. Mine is worse. Like I just thought it was, oh, you know, it's old and that's how they all were back then. But I actually think mine has really deteriorated and it must not have been that way back then. So uh, it's seen better days. And so usually on my videos, I'll use either XRO or MAME. Just looks so much better on the screen. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, it still runs great. It still runs great. Well, we definitely have some hardware gurus both in the chat and in the panel here. So if you want any you know, tips of maybe things to look at or try, plus there's alternative you know, outputs now you can put in composite. You can I get know, I've HDMI seen, adapters. Seen videos. I could get HDMI. If I were brave enough, I could directly tap the VDG and there's no modulation at all. Well, let's not get silly. Send it to somebody to, to do it or bring it to a festival. Just do it for you on the spot. You don't have oh, to actually yeah. muck with it yourself. That's what That's I do. True. That's true. That <laughs> might be a good draw to, to uh, convince me to go to a Cocoa Fest. It's like maybe someone can just do it for me. But then I would have to have the courage to let someone else do it. That wouldn't take as much courage as me doing it myself. I'm pretty sure I would destroy it. But it still takes some amount of courage to take my precious and have yeah. someone. I, I guess in my case, because uh, like my Cocoa journey went 4K, 
with nothing, no tape recorder, no joysticks, no nothing. And then I got joysticks for Christmas and 81. And then I got 16K, which is pretty easy. I even installed that myself because a friend showed me you just unplug eight chips, you plug eight chips and you make a couple of jumpers, that's it, you're done. Like there's no soldering, there's no wires, no nothing. Cool. When I went to 32K, um, I had a D board, which is a real pain in the ass to upgrade to that. You have to like cut traces on the circuit board and all kinds of stuff that, you know, just scared me. So uh, a friend of mine who was into the hardware and he decided to do the stacked 16Ks where you put two sets of 16s and you solder one wire across one pin. You hardware guys can explain what that does. I don't remember. But the first time he did it and he spent a lot of time putting all these chips because he had to solder eight chips together with this pin wire. And he turns it on. It's a screen full of garbage. And he goes, well, that doesn't look good, does it? <laughs> and I'm going, my Coco's dead. I can't afford another one. I'm in high school. So, yeah, I understand the the fear. But at, at these shows here, I mean, now that I've had you know lots of upgrades done by other people here now, I'm quite comfortable. There's a lot of really knowledgeable people. Rick, uh, Sloopy, uh, Mark Marlette of Cloud9. There's a bunch of people that can do this kind of stuff. So That's cool. I have to ask, though, like, did your... Did your Coco ever get fixed? Yeah. It, it turned okay. out that one of the one of his things had shorted out they, too much solder, so it shorted a couple pins together, and that was okay. the only thing wrong with it. But he 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 knew it was something simple because he'd been doing hardware since the '60s. Like he's always been soldering, created his own amps for his guitar and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he he instantly recognized, you know, I'm pretty sure why I know what happened here. Nothing's blown up, but I was freaking out. <laughs> I have I no idea. <laughs> It was like, ah, no problem. You're like, ah. Yeah. Oh, no, he he knew it would bother me. So he actually strung me along for a bit. Like, oh, I wonder what nice. the heck could have happened here. Nice. I don't get it. <laughs> and he was like overacting it, it too. Lost. But I didn't I didn't recognize that at the time. I was just flipping out because I thought my computer was dead. <laughs> but yeah, he he got it and he just kind of laughed about it afterwards. He says, yeah, I knew all along this was not going to be a big deal. So, yeah. So yeah, after that initial one and after a couple other upgrades after that, then I got comfortable with other people doing it. Uh, I don't think I ever got an upgrade done at Radio Shack, though, because the prices were too much. Hmm. So it was all done through friends with the club. We had a, quite a few hardware guys in the club, too. So That's a good resource. Solder, solder bridges are common even today. Where I work, when we manufacture stuff. We have a pick-and-place machine and hand do stuff, but you know we get solder bridges and, yep, you just got to go through. Oh, get that cleaned up. Oh, now it works. <laughs> Now, for you hardware gurus on the panel here, just just to maybe give you know Dave a tip if if, if he has anybody nearby that he can maybe have a take a look at it. Um, his description of the symptoms where you've got you've got some bad audio and bad bad video is that bad yeah a bad might be overstating it. So like let's say you do you know sound one hundred comma one hundred in basic, you'll hear a tone and it'll just sound a little growly for certain frequencies. Like instead of hearing, you might hear actually not that bad. I can't I can't do it it doesn't sound that bad but you just sort of hear this slightly staticky growly thing that's part of it and then just the picture quality I mean you can look at you know one of my earlier videos I think the part two drive wire video uh yeah I think was that the one I think no maybe it was the part one one anyway the one where it looks worse you can look at it and you can see does it look normal worse than an emulator or does it look hyper worse, like like worse <laughs> than even a regular cuckoo should look? And I, I don't know if it's just envy or whatever, but when I look at other people, when they, they, they'll actually have a camera aimed at their TV, which should make it look really terrible. And it still looks better than mine where, you know, I have a window on my monitor because I go through some like fire wire to end up getting it into the into the monitor it just, it just looks bad. So I, I just have this feeling like the, the there might be something going on with the modulator. Okay. Rick, Mark, Soupy, any? Three. 
Yeah, that's exactly what to do. Get a composite mod that replaces the modulator and the, I mean, you hate to say bad caps because everyone says that, but that kind of growly sound and wavy video does sound like the modulator is mm -hmm. checking out. Yeah. The, the composite replacement replaces it, so you don't have to fix it, which is good because it's an obsolete, funky thing. Hmm. And uh, then you have pretty video. I yeah. can't think of who does that for you right away, though. I'm, I'm sure someone will. I know that uh, Zipster Zone has had some composite mods, and I know just recently on either Facebook or the Discord, Coco Discord, that somebody was posting some uh, uh, diagrams to some uh, circuits that you could get to do the composite mod. Um, thing about the RF modulators, they seem to be made by one company who knows where that are the crappiest quality you can imagine. <laughs> so, hmm. and besides, no TVs do that anymore. So why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just. Yeah, you know, get right. it fixed. My my T1 Coco 2, it has a Zipster composite mod in it. So works much better. I, I I've seen the videos. I completely believe that they work significantly better. Like in all these videos, like they'll say, look how terrible my Coco looks. And I'm thinking, I wish my Coco looked like that. And then they <laughs> install the, the this, you know, the composite override and it's like crystal clear. Not to mention the HDMI ones where it's like. I'm sure it could look astounding. I'm just, I'm in, too uh, nervous. In the chat, there's a couple of really good suggestions, including just cleaning the RCA connectors and uh, put an RF choke on the the line going from the RF connector to your switch box. So what what is that? What's a, just you guys know? Yeah, I don't know what that is either. We wrap a magnet with the RF wire. It's a ferrite coil and you wrap your cord through it. Actually, mm -hmm. a lot of times you'll have video cables. Like sometimes you'll see like VGA cables or HDMI cables or DVI cables, and they'll have like a, a knob on the cable close to the end. That's actually a, a, a ferrite a coil. one end. Yeah. I actually have one over there if I run over and grab huh. it. I will, you should. Uh, I've never seen this before either. I didn't know any of these existed. So <laughs> that might be about my level. If it's just a matter of plugging in a wire to another jack or something, I think I could probably handle that. It sounds interesting. Well, it's taking a couple of turns of the cable and kind of feeding it through this uh, ferrite core. Hmm. There's a video cable right there that with one of those ferrite beads in it. Uh, let me let me see if I can. Yeah, I can't see it, it either. Uh, let's see, Brian, where are you at? Should be the only guy holding the cable. <laughs> Wave your hand there, Brian. Okay, there you are. I'm here. Yeah, so that's uh, one of the little warts. That's the ferret core. Yep. Right. That's on a VGA cable. Okay. But they make that, that for RCA cables yeah. too, like the... Oh, yeah. You you can get ferrite beads. Uh, they're... They're like a clamshell that you can open up and wrap up a a line cord through it. Yeah, and snap it closed. And then snap it closed, and then uh, you got a choke. Hey, right, so no soldering, no wiring. No. Just okay. Don't even uh, have to cut the wire. Oh wow! <laughs> right. Yeah, that I got like a few speed. from from Tata. So they Kevin come in different sizes. Has uh, yep. an example of one of the uh, uh, ones you can add onto a cable, the with the white uh, clamps. This is my uh, it's a DVI cable. It has one. Okay, yeah. So it just yeah. literally fits around the cable and you just click it shut and you're done. 
Yeah, just put a couple yeah. of, couple of turns around it and then snap it shut. You you don't have to like remove the plastic coating from the around no. the wiring. No. You no. just wind the cable around the one side of the clamp mm. and then keep it shut so that it makes a loop. Right. And it's the loop and the magnet that f- help filter out the RF noise. Wow, that's like voodoo. That's like magic to me. I've I've seen some of those warts on like VGA cables. I had no idea what they were. I that's didn't either. <laughs> Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah, there for suck up suggestions. And you're on our Discord too, so feel free to ask any further questions after mm-hmm. if you get a chance to try that. How much are those things uh cost normally, David or whoever knows? A couple of bucks. Yeah, right. we used to put those on and, uh, phone cables to uh help clean them up, clean up the noise. Right. Like for fax machines and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Check out some of the flea markets and ham fests. You'll find them there. Hmm. Yeah, at a ham fest, you can get a ham radio, and then you can start doing Wefax too. Like right, we're talking about the pre-show. <laughs> Everybody behind me. Two birds with one stone, right there. Wefax. Yeah, check your bingo cards, folks. We just use Wefax. So, <laughs> um, any other chat stuff there, uh, Mark? Before I continue. Um, uh, sandpaper, emery cloth, uh, all the connectors. Deoxy, so sandpaper is for cleaning the edges of the cable, right? Um, the end, yeah. The little yeah. metal end, the tip, just kind of give it a little sand or clean it. Also, the uh, RF can, the little, uh, the outside of the connector also seems to get a lot of oxide buildup too. So yeah, yeah. emery cloth or something to clean that down. Yeah, the oxide, of course. Steel wool works well too. Yep, yeah. steel wool. I'm trying to remember, didn't the RF cans have little tiny, is it ferrite beads in there too? There's a little... And use a little tiny jeweler screwdriver to adjust that might. Yeah, so I think so. Well, no, that's to fix the signal a little bit, but you don't really want to do that if you aren't okay. familiar with doing it. But you can yeah, really basically, jack it up quick doing that. It's, <laughs> okay, the, don't do the that. Signal's a, the signal's a little weak, and the exterior noise is a little loud because of the design of the cocoa. So you're oh. really having to minimize the noise and try to get any little bit of signal you can out <clears> into the TV. So that's where all the cleaning the cables. Cleaning the cables gets more signal out, and the ferrite bead will keep some of the external noise away. And between the two, you just might get a noticeable difference. But the big fix is to just stay away from RF entirely and go composite. Yes. <laughs> we'll have to figure out how to get you a composite mod, and then you'll have a really pretty cocoa <laughs> video. Rocky Hill also said, you know, those little switch boxes they had on the TV so you could get your TV signal. Well, those things are horribly bad. If you can just avoid that right. entirely. Yeah, so I am avoiding that. So I have okay. I have one of those like, it's I don't know if it's a coax. terminology, but it does an RCA to a coax. The f coax connector. Right. Yeah. Yep. I have a bunch of those too. Now, those. Strangely, if you had a good switch box, it would be better because it's a 300 ohm to 75 ohm conversion in there. Hmm. But the ones that you can get are so bad that any advantage it might have had is lost by the quality okay. of the. Bill, I'm learning lots about hardware here too. <laughs> and from interviewing a software guy, no less. Yeah, well, that's pretty well me. <laughs> right? Well, that's why we have a panel here. So we got yeah. lots of talent. Dave yeah. Wormfood says the more loops you run through the ferrite, the better it will work. Also, better to put one ferrite choke on each end of the cable. Yeah, my, uh, my DVI cable here actually has one at each end. So. 
Yeah. I had no idea any of this stuff. I but like I've, like you, I've seen them before. I had no idea what the heck they were or what they were for. Cables are antennas. Yep, that's why they put shielding. That's why they do twisted pair, where they actually loop them, corkscrew them. Okay. So you actually you notice Mark, this. Uh, show your uh, cable again. I can spotlight you. Oh sure sure. So actually, if you go back and look in the really old days when uh, telephone wires would you be bare copper. You'll notice a lot of times as the uh, you look at the telephone poles and you'll see the wires will run and then they'll switch over at the pole and they go over and they switch over again. It's because if they're just two long parallel wires, they act as an antenna. By switching them every so often, it creates as the signal hits it, then it cancels the signal. They don't pick up radio. AM radio can get picked up real easy. Yeah, you pick up your phone, you hear the local radio station. Yep. Right. <laughs> I would just view that as a free radio. <laughs> Mark Siegel had a, another good one is that if you have too long of a cable you've got too long of an antenna so if you mm -hmm. only have three feet between the machine and the, the input just use a three foot cable or one meter yep. for our northern folks you mean the rest of the world folks no northern like they count. Yankees I suppose technically there is a perfect size for channel three like sitting next to the R's on your transmitter but there's even a formula for it in the radio book. Right? That I've forgotten more times than I've looked it up. So that's why we keep the book. Yeah. Right there with you. Lambda of the half wave. Anyway, sounds like you have a lot of suggestions to try that don't you know, require any electronics knowledge, which I'll have to remember for myself and my Coco one. Um, so basically when you went to college, just to get back onto the timeline here, you kind of switched to the Mac and eventually switched to Windows stuff for your job, et cetera. When did you pull your cocoa back out and, and why did you decide to do that? You kept it yeah, the whole time. It's an interesting question. I, I would occasionally pull it out for a short visit. So like a trip down memory lane, run through some, some old programs, some old games, and then I would like put it back. Uh, but I think those visits have, have gotten like more and more separated in time um, to the point where it was really just sitting going unused for years and years. And every time I would think about it, I would sort of get this feeling of, oh, yeah, I got to get back to that. And it was like this sort of good looking forward to feeling, but without like a concrete, I will do it next week. Or right? it was just like sometime. And you know what? I think. I think the thing that made me really pull it out and really dive in was YouTube and some of you guys, um, like seeing seeing some of you folks do stuff. A lot of it was like hardware type things that I would never do, but it's still like it gave me this nostalgia. Uh, like uh, Ken, for example, you're the Canadian retro things guy, right? And I love watching yep. you pull stuff apart. And like putting them back together and trying stuff out. I was like, I'm never going to do that, but that still looks cool. Like <laughs> he's having fun with this cocoa. Why am I not having fun with my cocoa? I should have fun with my cocoa. So like I, I just watched another one was uh, AC's 8-Bit Zone. And I yeah. think that's where I first saw DriveWire. And I said, oh, all it takes is one cable. And like all the other software is free. And I can like get all of my stuff that's in this like, dangerous media state into a hard drive and then then it could be backed up everywhere all i need is that one cable. i should get that cable i'm, I'm going to get that cable and so i like i ordered the cable from cloud nine and 
while I was waiting for it, I pulled out my old cassettes and I tried to see if I could like get any of them loading up and then maybe convert them into floppy or at least get like a wave file on my computer that's a little bit more stable than whatever was on the cassettes. And I just, I couldn't stop. Like I just started doing that because I couldn't wait for the drive wire. And then it was like, it was just a daily thing. It was an everyday thing. Oh, I remember this program I wrote when I was 11 or, oh, I remember this program I typed in from Rainbow. And I just- so Most of your cassettes worked or all of them worked or? Uh, I, there's like no system. rhyme or reason. You know, some of these cassettes, every every file on a side would be fine. And some of the cassettes, every file would be terrible or would go back and forth and back and forth. And then the one that I hate is when it says it's fine, but it wasn't like it was a successful C load or a, a, a successful C load M. And then, you know, I, I like dump it out on, into a wave file and then I try to load it back later and I realize, huh, Cash Man didn't have that weird flicker on that side when I used to play it. <laughs> what happened here? So it's like, you don't really know. There's got to be checksums, right? When when you loaded in from a cassette, but I guess even the checksums got fooled or whatever. Um, so some worked, some didn't. Actually, a lot worked. But what really blew me away is when I got the drive wire cable and I did the floppy disks. Every single floppy disk, except for one, was 100% fine. Like, oh, wow. That's every single sector of every single disk, except one, I got it all over. I was just, I was amazed. Um, we need to so, introduce you to the Coco SDC. Yeah, I was just going to ask about that. <laughs> you know, you know I, what that is, I'm sure. I think a lot about the, the SDC, but the thing about the drive wire is if my Coco is close to my PC, if it's proximally close, then there's no hopping needed. Like it's it's hooked right in there. And if I need to save something or transfer something, or you know, now I want to use it on an emulator or whatever, it's all like one closed system. I don't have to say pull out an SD card and then load it with something and then put it back in. It's some, there's something nice and convenient about having having everything all like tied together. So yeah. here's the good news: the SDC works with DriveWire. Oh, Drive so you can actually have like yep. a drive wire simultaneous with the yep. SD card. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. so, the advantage of the SDC over straight drive wire, like drive wire is great for backing up or taking stuff off of a PC, but it's slower. Whereas the SDC <laughs> will run lickety fast, also emulates hard drives. So if you want a 128 ping hard drive, you can do that too. <laughs> um, but you it actually, it, 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 it by default reserves two drive images to be, you know, actual, you know, files on the SDC, SD card itself and two are drive wire. But you can mix that with real floppies. You can shut off like drive zero. Now that's my real floppy got plugged in if you have a multi-pack. Uh, and then you can have drive one being an actual SD card so you can back up to the SD or you can back it up to the drive wire drive or all of them or whatever mm -hmm. combination you want. So I used to be able to do that. You will again, Nick. You've got one in order. <laughs> it, Nick Nick had one of the earliest ones made by the original designer, not, not the ones that you can commercially buy now. And his finally died after almost 10 years, I guess, or... Yeah, just not quite about. ten, but but wow. he pounds it a lot. <laughs> They've been He's around for a while. I I really only just recently found out about all this stuff. I mean, I guess I knew it was around for a while, but it's it's interesting to hear that someone right here on this panel had one from ten years ago. That's it's amazing. I was one of the first two or three that bought one. I think from the original author. Yeah, Darren yeah. Atkinson. And now we've got several manufacturers doing it commercially, and they're selling hundreds of them. So, 
Mm-hmm. Actually, I think the totals now are probably past two thousand. Yeah, no, it definitely supports drive wire, and it's got some extra features too on it that you'll start to see in some games and stuff that uh, it'll require because it's got oh. some like streaming features and other things too. Like it goes beyond the older hard drive and the older floppies and the older drive wire. It's a combination of everything with some extra stuff thrown in. So it's exactly. it's still nice to have. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the things that I like about the Coco SDC plus the drive wire is that you also have flashable RAM banks on the SDC so that you can load six or seven of your own favorite cartridge images right into the SDC as well. Uh-huh. And then it starts up. So when I want shield fix Daggerath, it's there. I turn the thing on, run it to, I'm in Daggerath. There's no waiting. My impatience is served. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on the, the drive wire thing. I have a raspberry Pi with all of my stuff drive wired to it so that they can talk to each other and it. And uh, I, I'm, I am a huge fan of that, but th- it pairs well with the Coco SDC. So it's not a, it's not an either, or it's a, right. Oh, and Oh, and so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. Hey Dave, uh, Sixy, the author of extra emulator said uh, possibly the best way to get over. I'm never going to be able to do that is just to do it. That's right. But it does kind of help. So just do it. Didn't in my case. <laughs> Is that in regard to soldering on my uh, cocoa board? Uh, that could be. I don't <laughs> know specifically. He'll probably chip in here in a minute and tell. And finishing uh, your moon patrol. Yeah, and your moon oh, patrol. Yeah, moon, yeah. Oh, there, there, that, that, like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, six is one of those you know his hardware and software guys designed his own 512k RAM upgrade for the Coco Three, for example. So mm-hmm. he also built his own Dragon sixty four board, yep. and has it up, and designed X for the emulator that does. Code By the way, and the Dungeons game, and, yeah. I really like X for I uh, Mame. I I use because the debugger is very nice, and I know X has a, has an ability to interface with GDB, which I haven't done, but. I love the look of XROR. It's like you can choose whether you want the video to try to simulate that NDSC uh, blurriness or not. And I say no. Like I like it all sharp. And XROR looks beautiful on my screen and it comes out really nice in the videos. And it works. That, that's the, And it's easy. So yeah. XROR I really like. Yeah, and you just brought out a new version here. Actually, it'll be on the news later today here. So oh. 1.4.0. One, three, two, five. I can't remember the number now. The Ooh. blurriness is nice if you're working Playing with, uh, especially NTS. Yeah, NTSC with the, especially if you're doing artifact coloring or uh, dithering, because then mm-hmm. the blurriness kind of, it looks a little bit more. Yeah, that's when you start getting the yellows and the cyans and stuff mixed in with the red, blue, white, black type thing. You can get some I think subtle there's, shades. There's some some mode on XROR that I think is on by default where you get those extra colors I forget what it's called, but there's like like a simple artifacting, and then there's like the less simple artifacting. It's not blurry, but it's you end up getting more than just the orange and blue. You get like a little bit of extra stuff that I've noticed. Yeah, which is what the real you know the real Cocos did back in the day on the actual TV sets, and a lot of Six, the games were designed for that. Sixty said, "I put a lot of work into making those videos look as bad as possible." <laughs> yeah, yeah, to Thank make you, it look like the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Now, have you tried VCC or OVCC and some of the other Cocoa emulators? I mean, there's a bunch if you go back in time. I'm going to say something that's super stupid, but uh, since I did not own a Cocoa 3, I don't have nostalgia for the Cocoa 3. You're not the only one who said that. 
<laughs> so it's a strange thing because at the time when I was a kid, I would have loved a Coco 3. I wanted one. It would have been great. I could have done so much more stuff with it. It had all these other display modes. There were games that only worked on the Coco 3. I wanted one. I can have one now for free. And I'm like, yeah, but it's cheating. It's, it's just <laughs> not the same. I don't, I don't deserve one. Like there, there just isn't that draw to it that I would have had if I had it. Um, so because of that VCC, I think that's Coco 3 only. Is that right? Well, I mean, uh, Coco 3 was backwards compatible. So it runs yes. Coco 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. You just got the advantage. Like if you want to do strictly Coco 1 and 2 on, on VCC or in a real Coco 3 for that matter, you can do it because it emulates it like 99%. There's a couple of odd semi-graphics modes that don't work, but everything else works. But you can also kick the entire machine to full double speed. So the speed yeah. up poke on the Coco 1 and 2 speeds up the ROM routine. So basic runs 30, 40% faster. But of course, your program's still in RAM. Your variables are still in RAM. The screen's still in RAM. So you don't get a speed up there. But on the Coco 3, everything runs double. Interesting. So that, that uh, a lot of people did that. Like when they bought the Coco 3, you play like Marble Maze, for example. And that was a game that scrolled a little bit slow because it's doing the entire screen. You do a double speed poke in the Coco 3, and all of a sudden, it's a whole new game. Hmm. That's all you had to do, but interesting. Even though they were still using the Coco Two version of the game, yep. they were able to get it to come much faster on the Coco Three. Cool. Yep. Plus, you have palette um, palettes too. So, like all the modes, not just the Coco Three modes, but the Coco One and Two graphics modes, you have control over the colors now. So, if you don't like the colors that you know the game had to pick because the VDG chip is hard coded, like the one mm-hmm. mode has green, yellow, blue, red. And the other has Ooh, white yeah. slash buff. Cyan, magenta, and orange. And, and you know, sometimes those look good and sometimes they look terrible. <laughs> so you can actually just do a couple palette commands and change it. Okay, I want green to be black and I want yellow to be blue and mm. I want, you know, orange to be magenta or whatever it happens to be. You got 64 colors to choose from. And Nick, um, you still have that on your site where we had the little launcher we we patched a few for the Coke 3 just to change palettes. That's all we did. Yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, I'd have to look. Yeah, because we, we patched about 10 games, and I know Mr. Dave's done a bunch of them, too, where you can actually just tweak them to whatever you like, make your own mm-hmm. individualized version. It's just a couple of palette commands. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Trying to get you to try the Coco. <laughs> get rid of that. I'm so get rid of that. How do we get this get guy to crack open his Coco 2 or try a Coco 3 or something? New? <laughs> well, he's trying to get you into nitrous nine ease of use. <laughs> yeah, this is a long way around, you know. So. <laughs> I have to try to get it to try to get him to try OS9 level one or nitrous nine level one for the Coco two first, because then then you see still scratching that nostalgia itch. Actually, you know, it, you, I don't know if you were saying that as a joke, but I would probably be more interested in trying that first. I would probably be more interested in trying something that would have worked on my Coco two and that literally can still work. Like I could, you know, still with drive wire run that on my Coco two. That would probably be yep. more appealing than going all the way into the modern day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. level come one came out at the tail end of the Coco One's life. That was up before the Coco Twos came out. So mm. came out in eighty fall of eighty three for the Coco. I mean it'd been out on in general since nineteen eighty, but what was the minimum RAM it needed on a Coco One? Sixty four. Okay. Yeah. And Tandy themselves actually sold the sixty four K color computer as the white case, but full size Coco One case with a melted keyboard in mm. the fall of eighty three, beginning of eighty four, and that was their first sixty four. The Coco twos came out about two months later, I think. Nice. Okay. So, but yeah, you could upgrade all the old Coco ones to 64K too. It just the earlier board revisions, the harder it got. Not impossible, but you know, cutting traces on the circuit board, which always scared me. And if Rick in them, it's just old hat. Yeah, because it's I mean, interesting. Like you've you've had some experience with Unix and Linux, and uh, 
that's kind of what OSINE's based on, right. though individualized a little bit, and you also you know cramming it into an eight bit machine type thing. So there's a lot of familiarity there, and you have things like subdirectories and C compilers and all kinds of stuff you can fiddle with there too. So that might scratch a nostalgic itch along with some stuff that's a bit more modern, but still beyond your Cocoa One and Two. So it's together. It's yeah, all fine, Dave. Give it a try. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think most of us in the panel would say that probably the best upgrade you can get for any Cocoa these days is the SDC, though, because that mm -hmm. gives you the ability to use the drive wire, the SD cards. If you want to quickly back up your entire collection, just put in your PC and copy everything. Um, it has basic enhancements added into it for stuff. Uh, extra commands for manipulating what type of drives you're doing. It's got some of these new streaming features and stuff, too. That's uh, some new games coming out that will be using that kind of thing, because you can actually put, like, say a sound file with a full music soundtrack and you can actually have it stream in the background during your gameplay type thing. Crazy. There's all kinds of stuff you can do with it. So it's, it's probably, I think the best upgrade you can get besides maybe, you know, getting the Ram up to a certain point. If you have 4k, you probably should upgrade. <laughs> yeah, type thing, so. And not to mention the fact that floppy disks themselves nowadays are, uh, are uh, falling apart. You can't buy fresh brand new manufactured floppies. So you're going to be using you know, some 20 year old floppy disk, which is uh, deteriorating. Yeah. I mean, my floppies, most of mine still work, but uh, I like you, same experience as you. I think I had better luck getting old stuff to work off cassettes. They seem to be more robust than, than discs. So most of my discs work. I have a few that they were kind of acting up even back then. I think you just had some crap discs, but. Now, did you when you you mentioned that you'd gone through your cassettes and and you said almost all of them worked? Did you have the same with discs too, well, or did you have floppies, as much on discs? Almost all the floppies worked. Um, the cassettes, it was maybe more like. 50 oh, sorry, yeah, I had it backwards. So it was the cassettes that uh, you had more iffy. I, but I haven't gone through all of them yet, so the stats might change the more cassettes I try. But the ones I've tried so far, it's been like joy mixed with frustration, and then more <laughs> joy, and then more frustration. It was quite a roller coaster. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like it's, they're all stored in the same place. They're all treated the same way, but for whatever reason, some of them just, I guess something happened to the tape. It expanded, it contracted some hardware thing. And they, they just like, when you listen to them, they sound sick. Like, okay. they, they like, you know, like a, a wavy kind of, not, not like that, that crystal clear. Eh, like you expect it more like, eh, not good. Okay. Sounds like the cassette player might be slipping the belts. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you know the age of the tapes relative? Like it was the ones that after a certain while, maybe your cassette belt was starting to wear out or lost a tooth or something on the belt and yeah. started skipping or? If so, it like the, so the tape recorder I used to record them is not what I'm using to play them back because that's, that's toast. Um, the tape recorder is gone. Uh, so I'm using something that's newer, that is, uh, it works. I I think it's not causing the problem, but you're right. Maybe the old cassette tape recorder recorded it in a weird way, and then it played it back in a similarly weird way, and then it canceled each other out, and it was able to load. And now that I don't have that, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe the speed was slightly off. It's possible. I don't know. Did you do the time honored fast forward and rewind a couple of times before you try to yeah, try to loosen the tape? Sometimes they get really compacted when they're yeah. rewinding this. You're giving time. me hope that I should have that I knew to do that and I didn't do that. I should do that. Maybe I can get some of these things to work. Yeah, that double check warmly. on what type of uh, cassette player you're playing it on. Also, 
Some of the newer ones have automatic game control, and that can cause some issues with the uh, playback. The tones won't be correct. Right. This this is not that new, but yes, okay. I yeah I know what you're saying. <laughs> this one is it's new enough that it's not broken, but it's still quite old. Does it have a counter at least this time? No. <laughs> <laughs> Traditionalists, you don't need no stinking counters. <laughs> He's keeping everything as retro when he grew up. He doesn't want anything <laughs> added on there. Cape counters now. Wait, that's too new. <laughs> Okay, so I thought um, kind of gone through your history now, and I'll still keep bugging you about the or bugging you about the Coco Three at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you decided to get back into it, you started having this. You said you have the nostalgia. You kind of you thought about taking it a few times, but it was getting fewer and fewer. And then you kind of like really after seeing some YouTube videos and start. So that got you back into using the Coco. What prompted you to actually start a YouTube channel? I think it was a combination of all the other YouTube videos I'd seen which they inspired me and I I felt like these people are doing me a favor. I mean, it's really nice that they're, it's not easy to get the camera aimed at the right place and do all the editing and to plan through, you know, what are you going to do for a video and not make it super boring. Um, So that's effort that people did that I benefited from. And I felt like, well, maybe I could do that too. I, I had already been doing a lot of video editing just for like family stuff, personal stuff. So I already have a video editor um, and I already have like a kind of a workflow of getting that done. I have, you know, audio equipment so I could do certain kinds of music or certain kind of audio stuff. So I had everything there. I kind of liked doing it. And then I was kind of inspired by these other videos I saw. So I thought, why not document my journey back into enjoying the cocoa. So what I did was I refused to post anything until I proved to myself that I was serious. Cause sometimes I get <laughs> ideas and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to totally do this. And then I like, it never happens. <laughs> out. I'm like, all right, if you're serious about this, let's see you make, I don't know what it was. Eight videos. If you can make eight videos then you're allowed to start posting them. So I made like all the videos. In fact, I'm going to look at my my list. Yeah, I think you started with the drive wire one. Started with the drive wire. I did the the animation of that like uh, hole that that 3D mathematical function, the joysticks, the Donkey King, like basically up until I got to the the virtual instrument that I made out of the sounds coming out of my growling Coco. Um, until I got to that point, I said, okay, you've proven yourself. And then then I made the intro video. So the intro video, like one of the benefits of doing all this stuff ahead of time is now I had all this footage that I could like edit together. Yeah, you have a bunch of background like footage while you're song. doing a theme song type thing. So, and the theme song was made using the that virtual instrument. So once I had like that done and I made the intro video, I said, okay. We'll start posting, but you can't stop making. So you, you got to keep on making. So at that point, I was like very comfortably a few weeks ahead. And now I'm less comfortably maybe one <laughs> week ahead. So you know how these things go, you know. Oh, look how much time I have. Look, oh, okay, better, better, better keep going. Um, so that's sort of where I'm at right now. But that that's sort of, I guess, the the genesis of it was like. The experience I had, the YouTube videos I saw, and then that decision to like buffer myself for like a month or so before I start posting. 
Okay. And then I guess uh, to talk about your theme, so you basically did Coco Town, which is the name of the channel, and it's based in Funky Town, an old lady song. Um, what what inspired you to pick that particular as a theme? And did you come with a name first, or did you take the song and you were transposing your own lyrics on it? Uh, the name came from the theme. I, I I don't even know how these things end up getting decided. There's some kind of committee up here, and then they let me know and they come to a decision. And I'm not really sure how that happens. But you just followers. At some point, <laughs> I thought Funky Town, Coco Town. That's it. That's what we're doing, folks. Don't ask why. That's just how it's going to go. So that's and then I just double checked that there wasn't already a TRS-80 color computer channel called Coco Town. That was like after actually I started doing this stuff. And I discovered there's plenty of channels called Coco Town, but none of them that I saw the Coco itself, the, yeah. The TRS-80 color computer. Okay. And then of course you did uh you've done some pretty Interesting videos, and you you covered a couple of them just briefly here. Uh, one was the when you took the uh, the sign based, you know, three dimensional hat thing and flipped it around, mm-hmm. where you basically rendered a whole bunch of stuff of, of different animation frames, and then you put them together. I'm assuming on the PC afterwards. I don't think yeah, you tried that. To... Was that was the most tedious thing that I've done to date? So I used XROR to render each frame. I ran XROR in its like turbo mode, the Shift F12. Uh, but it would still take, you know, one or two minutes per frame. And the video itself is a couple of minutes. So it's a lot of frames. It's a lot of frames. And each one I would like use the Windows snip with a mouse. And I would like click the window to snip it and then save it to a file. And then I would have like four running at the same time, each each doing a different frame so that I wouldn't have to wait. So like one would be ready. And then I would go, I would snapshot it, save it started doing the next frame and then then another one would be ready and i would do this for like 30 minutes or an hour before i couldn't take it anymore and i would stop and i would come back to it um and then i assembled it using i assembled those snapshots using video software on, on so, so the the actual snapshots these are like pc windows snapshots are not like saving the actual bin file Correct. Or nothing Fire. nothing was done on that one nothing was done on a physical coco and all of the assembling was done literally just on Windows itself, not even the emulator okay. made the frames, but the assembling was done outside. The, the reason I was asking is I was hoping you might have saved the bin files, you know, like save them, you know, where the screen is type thing. Because if you mm-hmm. had those with a Coco 3 with 512K or even one of the new two or eight make upgrades, I'm sure you could do that full animation on a real Coco. You would just page flip them all, which would make uh, a cool demo. Using, uh, how would I make it be fast? Like I understand. Well, if you preload them all, then you're just changing the pointer to where the screen is in memory to display it. There are enough memory to load. I don't. There's a lot of frames. I don't know if there's well, two meg and six k per screen, so that would be two thousand divided by six. That's how many frames you could. Well, a little bit less, but you need a Coco three. Two yeah. megs. Oh well, I'm, I'm not. I don't deserve one of them. <laughs> because I remember. I, I don't know if you saw this one in Rainbow, but Rainbow had one called Tumbrella. I think it was. It was P mode zero, so it's a, like a one twenty eight by ninety six two color. So it's a bit fatter pixels, K and a half per screen, and they did eighteen frames of a three D umbrella spinning in space. Cool. And that fit on a thirty two K machine. Mm. So you just basically loaded all these different images, in, and they just you know it's the equivalent of doing like P mode, you know, one comma one, one comma two, one comma three, except you have a lot more range in assembly. Right. And of course, since you're doing assembly, you obviously could do that pretty simple. But uh, yeah, you can just tell it whereabouts do you want the screen to start displaying at. You actually have to slow it down because if you just zipped it through, it'd just be a blur. <laughs> That's cool. No, I haven't seen that one. 
I have seen some programs that will do uh, some some kind of like 3D rotation, some kind of animation. I don't think they were that slick, though. Yeah, there's some um, like I know Hot Cocoa did one called Display, and it's basically you get it up to 26 points and up to 26 lines, and you can rotate it on X, Y, and Z. Yeah, um, I think that, that might be the one that I saw. Yeah. Yeah, so we have a few of those. These are some games like Space Wreck by Spectral. It has that kind of an engine too, where it does the you know, it kind of simulates the Star Trek simulator from the arcade with wireframe. But uh, yeah, you definitely could do that. So that that one, you've just explained how that one was done. Um, and then if I go into some of the other videos you've done recently, probably from that first generation set there, like you did the hey, the music board one. Sorry, go ahead. We have a question from the chat. Was okay. Did you have any failures with your Cocos as you were making the videos? And if yes, were they hardware, software, or both? That's from Failures. Like anything involving code that I wrote failed all the freaking time. (laughs) You know, I I show you my code. I I walk through my code and it looks like I'm some kind of a flawless programmer because you only see the last version. But my God. In fact, I'm thinking one of the other videos I'm going to be posting is like the mistakes I always make over and over and over again when typing in assembly. I'm such an idiot. I keep making these same mistakes over and over again. So <laughs> there are certainly operator failures all the time. Um, but, but not like editor failures. failures. Pardon? <laughs> but not editor failures for editing the video afterwards. <laughs> I don't know. I, I hope so. But who knows? Something might have slipped by me. There's none that I know of because I'm the one editing it. But maybe there are problems there, too. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the emulators have been working great for me. My Coco has been working great for me. So in terms of the hardware, um, I'm, aside I'm from the sound there. and video stuff you were talking about yep. earlier, because yep. one one that I found pretty inspirational and, and it's I don't know how to describe it, but basically you have samples that you've made into an instrument thing where you can actually play songs based on cocoa yeah. output sounds. And even your theme is a mixture of you know standard play and sound type commands mixed with some sound effects from games, etc. Um, do, do you have a natural knack for doing music stuff? Like, did you use the composer or musica or any of that type of stuff back in the uh, day? Or? I did. Yeah. Like, uh, so as a kid, I took piano. And so that's that's where my main training is piano. And then I moved on to keyboards and stuff. So I like... I like composing music. I like, you know, assembling different layers of sounds on top of each other and trying to make something sound richer than one person should legally be allowed to ever do. Um, The virtual instrument was sort of uh, something down that path as well, where like, you know, you're in basic and you're on your Coco and you can do one tone at a time and you liked it. But, you know, wouldn't it be nice if you could play as many of those as you want and you don't lose any fidelity. Like with assembly language, you can kind of do all sorts of things, but it just gets worse and worse quality the more complex you make it. But what if you could like on your piano keyboard, your electronic keyboard, play those tones as many as you want at a time? And so I had seen these other videos. These wouldn't be Coco videos, but they were more uh, like music videos uh, from folks who create music or create sound design. And I was introduced to this thing called Decent Sampler and Piano Book. So Decent Sampler is a free plugin that you can use to just add sounds to your uh, music software. So for example, 
you don't have a guitar, but you can like download a guitar sound or you don't have a drum set, but you can download a drum set sound. And then you can assemble that into your own songs as, as much as you like. And one of these videos showed how easy it is to make your own sound library, your own virtual instrument, which I never thought was doable. And I think it wasn't for a long time. It was really just the purview of these professional developers who would make these sound libraries. But now you, if you just author a little bit of XML and you have the WAV files, you can put something into Decent Sampler and now play it. So yeah, like dogs barking or something like that. You can do all kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, and, and in fact, by the way, if you scroll through Piano Book, it's pianobook.co.uk. You scroll through them and you see all these free, freely done. You will find the weirdest things. Like someone will say, I don't know, uh, my coffee cup. And like it's it's just their coffee cup, you know, with different, you know, you hit it on this end and that end or whatever. And you can play that like a, a musical instrument or as part of sound design or something. So I thought... Well, you know, if some of these weird things can be put up there, surely I could make something musical out of the cocoa. So I had like one patch that would do just those those tones. Um, but then I had other patches that would take stuff from other games and things. So like all those sound effects you hear in the theme, they're all from this virtual instrument, which then in turn stole from all these various games and commands and programs. So some stuff I wrote, some stuff that I just had access to. So, uh, yeah, I've had fun playing around with that. And it's, it's been, it's been on now piano book for a while, been up there for, I guess, two, three weeks or four weeks or so. And so there's, I think another song up there, one, one that I posted on my channel that you can hear the, the theme, but also this other, I think I call it, uh, demo song. Okay. Coco retro demo song. Um, so it's cool. You can like use it and make music with it. Yeah. Now you mentioned like one of the first two cartridges you got was the music cartridge from Radio Shack, which was a two yep. voice. Yeah. Did you ever get into the other Coco ones, like I mentioned before, yes. like Musica and Lyra? Yeah, I did. Yeah. You, sorry, you asked that. I, I kind of skipped over that. So I did play around with the music cartridge and I liked it. And then I found Musica and I realized, no, Musica is what it that because you can do four with that, right? I think yeah, four at once. And you actually get musical staffs and notes and stuff yeah. if you read music. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, I I would enter some songs so I can... I have a semi-decent relative pitch. Like I have no absolute pitch, but I can like relative pitch. If you play me a song, I kind of know what it is in the key of C. I'll just like my mind will transpose it to the key of C. So uh, I did use Musica to take like a couple songs that might have been popular at the time and like do my version of them in Musica. And I had fun with that. And then the next stage of that, like some of the people that used uh, did a lot of music on the Coco uh, eventually went to MIDI, which the Coco 1 and 2 had lots of support for those multiple programs, up to 16 voice tracks, and you mm-hmm. can even record off the keyboard live you're playing. Mm-hmm. And then the Coco 3 added a bunch more, like Ultimus and a bunch of others. Did you ever fiddle with the MIDI stuff on the Coco at all? No, I don't think, I don't know when that stuff came out, but I was never aware of it 84, before 85-ish. Say it again. I said I think it was around maybe not eighty four, eighty five ish. I think when Lyra came out or Lyra, however oh. you pronounce up, it had oh, it supported MIDI right out the box. So Lyra does sound like something I might have gotten from a BBS. Yeah, because um, that supported like, up to four voices on the native speaker, but it supported up to eight voices if you had a MIDI synth uh, plugged into it. Wow! And you just needed Never. like the drive wire. You just needed the cable, and you could you could play on it. You couldn't record mm. off that cable, but that you needed some hardware to keep up. Unfortunately, I never, I never got into that. I never accessed that. I think really the first time I started doing any kind of MIDI um, music stuff was probably on the Macintosh SE. 
think that's okay. what it's there's a whole other set of stuff you can explore. You can even edit the envelopes and change the voices a little bit stuff too. So it's, yeah. it's pretty cool. Uh, Lyra, the, the biggest, uh, I think, change there besides the MIDI support was the fact that it was mouse-driven. So you can actually just, you know, click where you wanted to put your quarter note and click it on the eighth note down there and drag it up and mm-hmm. do all that kind of stuff. So A good use for a mouse. Yeah. <laughs> I just use joysticks. Yeah. I was just going to say that's what I use because I didn't get the mouse for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and now the the later videos you've been doing, you've been delving into the assembly language within basic. So you're kind of getting into like jumping into routines in the ROMs, either official ones like Polcat, et cetera, or, you know, directly calling stuff, which I remember RadioShack always used to warn us, don't do that because we might update the ROM and it might move. And boy, did that ever happen in the early 80s. The disc mm-hmm. one in particular, Telewriter completely bust is before 64, mm-hmm. but uh, 1.0 DOS or disc extended basic to 1.1 almost everything broke because everybody was making direct calls and then everything moved just to insert the DOS command. Mm-hmm. And I remember that was really bad. So wow. now that, you know, the ROMs are fairly stable, I haven't changed in a while. So fairly stable. Radio Shock, <laughs> I don't think they're doing anything more. There, right? there are some extended and changed ROMs. I think uh, Tim Linder's working on, what's he called that one? Mark Overs, do you remember? It's um, the one that lets you have like up to 56K in basic if you only have a color basic ROM because he's shifting everything up. He has a name for it. I can't remember. Blanchy basic. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Also, George Cuff has a uh, question on the music side. Did you ever play with the Orchestra 90? No, I've heard of it, but I have not played with it. Yeah, that was our stereo 8-bit card from Radio Shack. Did you ever play this on Speech Pack? It was another thing that could do multi-voice music. No, that's that's actually something I was curious to just kind of try out now, you know, in modern times that because that sounds really cool. That that's something I would have really enjoyed playing around with back then. But yeah. I, never I know MAME supports it. It actually emulates the speech and the sound chip part of it. Okay. So you can actually do all that. Cool. Um, did you fiddle with speech synthesis? Because there was some software solutions like SpeakUp that you could actually get to talk that you might have found on a BBS somewhere. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to, I don't think I did. I don't think I found those for the Coco. I did play with it on like the Macintosh. There's this thing called Talking Moose on the Macintosh, which is just like a wireframe drawing of a moose, and it would like try to move its mouth in relation to what you were typing in. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, but on the <laughs> Coco, I don't think so. Um, a little bit though. I did. I did make a math flashcard program when I was young. And I recorded my voice on a cassette tape as like an introduction to tell you how to how to how to play it. And so in the basic code, there was like a an audio on motor, motor on, on command. Yeah. So you would hear my voice coming through the TV. And then like my voice would say, All right, you have to hit stop now. Hit stop on the on. <laughs> but it was like it was such a cool thing to hear me coming out of the TV. I remember that. But that's that's not really species. But I just had yeah. I mean, Tandy did that too. They had their educational series. I know one we've covered that Ron really likes and I really like too is uh, they interviewed Clyde Tombaugh, the guy that discovered Pluto when he was still alive. And he actually had a, a thing that was talking about the discovery of Pluto and actually had had his real voice on the cassettes from Tandy. And he would load the program, draw some graphics, and they would play his real voice talking about whatever we were showing and on the next scene, et cetera. So, yeah, that was. That was I didn't know they stuff. did that. That's great. That's a really cool thing. Yeah, there was a, there was a few. There's a whole bunch of educational ones. There's ones for teaching Spanish. There's one for teaching economics. There was a whole bunch of these educational. I can't remember the name of the series. There's one YouTuber that actually has gone through and like played the entire thing, 
for every one of these tapes. So like half an hour per video. And he's got like, I don't know, three or four dozen of them from all the ones Danny put out. Kind of multimedia before there was multimedia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're getting more of the ROM routines now. Now you'd mentioned you had started doing assembly when you were younger. Um, had you explored that back then and you were kind of getting reacquainted now, or is this totally new to you this time around? So back then I kind of learned just what I needed to learn to scroll some graphics for my, okay. my beloved Moon Patrol game that never got finished. Um so yeah, I went through the the William Barton Jr. book, but I didn't have any access say, to the Unraveled series. And without that, like there was no way in the world I was ever going to look into the, the basic ROMs. But now everything, everything that was ever made is up on the Color Computer Archive. My gosh. Not, not quite. We're missing a few good chunks still. <laughs> okay. Everything I've ever heard of, I guess, <laughs> is up on there. Plus plenty I haven't. And that Unraveled series, I can't even imagine what went into the making of that series, like people like making sense of those, those ROM routines. But uh, I thought it would be interesting if I were to get into assembly language programming again, to make use of these really cool things that are already there in the ROM. So like, you know, why not? So the, was the first thing I wanted to do. I just said, okay, I want random numbers. All right. I'll call the random number routine. And I looked at it and I started talking about this FPA zero thing. Like yeah, what floating is point accumulator zero. zero yeah. What is this? And so I said, oh, I guess I have to learn about this first. So that's when like the floating point videos came out. And it was like, all right, now I need to like print some of these numbers. Oh, I guess I have to convert numbers to strings first. And so there was a you know a video on that. And then I have to print things. And then there's like more coming up. So I'm sort of on this path where like the goal is to call R&D. Like it seems very anticlimactic, <laughs> but there's like a boatload of videos before you, I, I'm even going to be calling R&D. And then after that, there's there's still more to come because I wanted random numbers for a reason. So there's, there's still going to be more coming after that where you're going to see what I'm going to do with the random numbers. And then like, like with that, it seems like more steps get generated each time I think I'm on to the next step. Like, okay, I think now that I have this, I want to do this. Oh, in order to do this, I need to do these five things first. So it feels like a never ending series because the more forward progress I make, I'm actually the, the goalpost has been moved like 10 times yeah. further out. So I feel like there's like an infinite amount of material I have that I can be posting. Yeah. One thing I really find, liked about your videos on that is that uh, you're kind of doing a complimentary to what Alan Huffman's been doing on his uh, Sabitha blogs, mm. where he just does you know the text version. But he's been going delving into how strings work and how floating mm. point numbers work and that kind of stuff too. But some people are much more visually learning oriented. Like if you just read some dry thing, they just can't grasp it. But if you put it in a video, now I suddenly get it type thing. So it's it's really good. I think that both of you are giving you know both two different approaches kind of covering some of the same stuff you guys are kind of going off on your own your own stuff too but uh for somebody who wants to learn this kind of stuff there's now alternative ways to do it and whatever is your strong suit pick one or the other or better yet watch both because then you tend to grasp it a lot better yeah now, I I, there, you, have you ever referred to his stuff I'm, have I'm you sorry, re sorry mm -hmm. have you referred to his stuff um i have uh so he and also glenn is it, is it glenn hewlett his blog nowhere man yeah that's glenn hewlett uh, so both of them have given me, have been teaching me stuff. So a lot of the stuff that I'm posting isn't stuff of, I'm the expert. Here is how you do it. It's more like, 
I'm learning about stuff and I'm excited about it and it's cool and I want to share with you what I'm learning. So those two blogs have informed me about things like cross-platform assembling, you know, LWASM, uh, getting that set up. Uh, I've, re I've referenced both of them in a couple of the videos. If you look in the description, you'll see where I get all my, either my raw material. Yeah, you have a really good set of links of everything that covers. Um, so they've been really helpful. Uh, the A lot of the material I'm putting in is stuff that I'm basically discovering through the Unraveled series, and I may easily be reinventing stuff that's already in those blogs. Maybe it's coming out a little differently or it's going off in different directions, but a lot of it is also just sort of me learning about stuff by reading through Unraveled and writing code and running it and seeing. Like that, that one uh, basic assembly hybrid code that I wrote to convert what you type to the floating point accumulator and so you see what the bytes are. Man, I use it all the time now because like, all right, I want to populate the accumulator with some kind of number. I don't want to do math in my head, man. So I like I run it and I'll like type it in and then it tells me what the byte should be and then I know what to, to put in there. So it's the, the writing of the code I find is really what's been teaching me the most is like just doing it myself. And so I just I want to share what I'm doing with other folks in case it ends up being useful to them and and so that's what I've been doing. Well, I think even Alan said that he he liked the way you had done that that particular video on how the floating point stuff works internally because he said that actually clarified it even somewhat for him. Oh, great! So thank you. That's 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 nice to hear. Uh, he he knows it pretty well himself from going through it. You know the details sure. himself, but it, it's well expect. presented in the videos. So nice. Um, you know, you mentioned this other thing about like you know some people learn better from reading, some people learn better from video. I'm actually one of those people who learn better from reading, like. When I go and I look something up on the internet and the first result that comes back is a video, I'm like, huh, I don't want to watch skip, someone skip, doing skip. it. <laughs> Tell me what to do. Tell me what those three steps are. I don't want to watch someone doing it. But I do know there are people who like watching someone do it. So I'm like super happy to make a video that might be useful for some people, even though it's it's not, I'm not quite the audience for that. But I will say that when I was in that range of time before I got back into this myself and I was just watching videos. I could endlessly watch videos of people programming, not because I was like trying to learn a specific thing, but it just gave me that feeling of nostalgia of like, yeah, I want to watch someone having fun. And that sounds pretty cool. And then someday I'm going to have fun too. So there's a little bit of that in there, but for the most part, when it comes to learning, I actually like reading. So yeah. those blogs are awesome. Yeah, and just just having the physical, like especially with PDFs now, where they make them searchable, you can search for a term, or they have the table of oh. contents that you can just jump yeah. straight over. Like that's really handy. Yeah. I use that all the time with the Unravel books. I'm so glad. I I don't remember the name of the person who did that, but he like I, he must have just retyped all of that in to make it. Yeah, because some of the magazines back then did the same thing. Like I know Color Computer Magazine had a whole series for like almost a year. I think Rainbow did some though that was more memory map oriented. And I think Color Computer News did a few of them too. Like that was just something the hobbyists did back then. Oh, I got a new ROM because I got a new computer. I got to figure out how everything works. Yeah. And the first thing they do before they even start writing their own code is disassemble the ROM right. to figure out, you know, if I can shortcut and I don't have to write this routine, I can just call this type thing. So that was just common. Apparently, back then, that was a little bit before my time where that would be just my go-to. I'll just disassemble it. You know, like that was... Very uh, impressive. But Very I actually have all the original Unraveled books here. Like, I bought those at, at Rainbow Fest, and it's nice. just, it's great having those. Thanks. Yeah, Walter Zydek. Is he did the redid ones. I can't remember who did the original Spectrum. Was that Rosenbaum? One uh, of the Rosenbaums? I can't remember. I don't know if they actually ever published who exactly did those. 
trying to think. But yeah, Walter did the uh, the the reconditioned ones. Like he's going to scan them in his PDF and made them OCR and everything else. Yeah. Like he, and he added some bits yeah. of his own. I and there's some corrections. They had a few mistakes. Uh, pardon? They, they had a few mistakes in the originals too. So Walter corrected as, as many of those oh, as he could as well. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I was, I was saying I just love being able to hit Control F and then typing something in. Like if you want to see all the references to a, a routine, like it's one thing to to scan and find here's where R and D is defined. It's another thing. All right, where are all the places in the ROM that calls R and D? Where all the yeah. places in the ROM that use FPA zero? It's so nice to be able to just do that and like scan. You know, not not with your eyes, but let the computer do the scanning for you and just do a find through it. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Um. George Kupfer says, uh, R&D and the Cocoa actually used a pseudorandom number generated by negative timer. I found that interesting back in the day. I remember reading that trick in Rainbow that you wanted to reseed the timer. Yeah, yeah. I, I did that all the time. R&D minus timer, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Alan Murphy, who's actually on the panel, also mentioned in the chat here. He said, Jeremy Spiller, who's uh, the guy, game writer, did a couple of great Cocoa 3 games, some of the best ones ever made. Uh, wrote an extension to the basic play statement to play multiple voice sounds from samples in basic. You can actually run them there. I, I do remember that. That was a Rainbow article. Yeah, Super Ooh. Play from Rainbow. It's like 1988, somewhere around there. Hmm. So you could do play with chords. Yep. Yes, and you can edit the waveform. He has a graphical waveform editor. So it'll build, I think, 14 waveforms from a math function that came with it. But you can then edit them and make whatever waveform you want. You pick three and put those in upper memory. Wait, this was in Rainbow? Yeah. Yes. Just freely given away. That's that's really nice. Yeah. I, I Actually, like you've, you're obviously aware of the archive here and all the stuff that's on there, but have you actually gone through all the magazines there? Because there's, there's all the major magazines are there. There's a few that have some missing issues or some scans that went wonky. Uh, but for the majority there, like pretty well the whole run of Rainbow from issue one in 1981 yeah. right through 1993 was there. Yeah, so. I have. I have looked through a lot of them. This was another one of those activities I did before I was ready to pull out the cocoa for real. In addition to watching YouTube videos, I would like just kind of read through Rainbow. And I would like put myself back in the, my shoes in the 80s and like just reading that language that they would use when something new came out and they were excited about it or they were announcing something new that's no yep. longer new, but it was back then. There's just something kind of fun about that. So that's another activity I enjoyed. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to guess right now. You never got a chance to attend a Rainbow Fest or Coca Fest in the past, even back in the heyday. No, didn't. No, we'll definitely have to see if we can try to get you out to the next Coca Fest or one of the next ones. I mean, there's uh, it's, it's a yearly thing, and uh, some of the VCFs. If maybe that's more convenient, there's usually a pretty good Coca contingent at some of them, so maybe you can you hmm. know hit one of those and kind of meet people. They're usually demonstrating stuff for new hardware, new software, etc. So anything you mentioned your move. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just saying anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned this, this unfinished moon patrol game. So that sounds like that's an ultimate object of use to me. Get it back and maybe see if you can finish it or, or at least explore the journey of what would it have taken. Do you have any other ultimate projects? You don't have to reveal them here because of course you want people <laughs> to keep watching your channel, but do you have any other ultimate goals that you may have created the channel to achieve that, that you um, plan on doing? Yeah, so I have, I keep like a running list of things that are like my maybes, like maybe I will try this, maybe I will try that. Um, there's like a category of thing I haven't done much of, which is 
finding something that's available now that might be not obviously easy to run. Like let's say a game, you can download it from the Color Computer Archive. It's kind of obviously easy to run. You can play with it. But there might be things that require a little bit of programming in order to make good use of it. So I think there, there's something about like the speech synthesis that maybe you could interface with it through assembly or through basic. I don't, I don't know exactly what I'm talking about, but I feel like there's some, some stuff out there that I might be able to download and play around with and interface through code. So there might be some of those things that would make good videos where, uh, you know, here's here's how I made use of blah. And so people could see what I did. Um, I like making these occasional uh, animation montages of like some old graphics. Maybe it's animating or maybe it's just like drawing and then putting that to music. So there might be some more of that that I'll be doing in the future. Um, the main focus right now is the assembly language track. So like I was saying, it's uh, many, many, many steps to sort of some ultimate goals of, of writing some code that'll do stuff and then getting the basic ROM routines that I need along the way and how to run them. And also making use of other features, like uh, I might occasionally talk about some new MAME debugger feature that I found that I like, or some LWASM feature that I just started using that made my code a little easier to read. So that's probably where you're going to see most of my videos heading toward. Um, just yeah, your to... rewind uh, time in the MAME debugger was a good one. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> I, and I, I use it. Like I always, I have it configured. My batch file always does the dash rewind now, whether I think I'll need it or not. Because the whole point is you don't think you're going to need it until you need it. So I yep. just always run with it so I can go backward when I have to. If you didn't need it, you just delete the log file I created and you're done. You know, it's just not a <laughs> yeah, big deal. It doesn't so. matter. It doesn't matter. But in the old days, we had to cram it on a 150K disk, you know. So. <laughs> in the old days, we're not in the old days anymore. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think if there's other stuff people can expect to see. Um, kind of drawn a blank. I think there are some other ideas I wrote down. I'm just not remembering, but there'll be stuff. There'll be stuff. I haven't fizzled out yet. <laughs> do, do you set yourself up with a schedule then? Like you want to achieve like one or two videos a week, or do you just yeah. do them when they're done, however long they take? I do. I. I try to stay one to two weeks ahead and I generally try to work on them every day, but I will reserve like maybe uh, taking videos of myself. So I'll do an introduction where you actually see the human. And then most of it is just like a screen screenshots, but it's the human part. I'll maybe do that two or three times a week. Um, okay. And then like, as I go, I'll just start and sweet. So I'll, you know, I'll start on a thing, you know, the phases would be, I want to do the, the blah. And so I start typing up the code and said, oh, no, no, I can't do the blah, blah first. I have to do the blee first. So, okay, I do the code for the blee. And then I do like the, the screen recording of that. And then I'll do like the shots of me introducing that. Um, and then I'll do the editing. So I might be like in different phases of, a, of different videos at the same time. Like I might spend part of the day editing this older video and then part of the day working on the code for a newer video. So it's not very uh, regimented in terms of what I'm doing each day, but I do try to do something every day every so day. I can keep up with it. Okay. And do you have any interest of ever doing a live stream where people can actually watch you do it live and ask questions or make suggestions, that kind of thing? I've not thought about that until you just said that. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if that's something that people would care about. Uh they, 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 they would. It's actually a segment we're planning. Mark Overholzer actually is in charge of it. It's going to be a tech segment 
and not during the regular show time, but else time mm-hmm. in the week or the weekend where we're just going to pick sometimes it'll be a hardware topic, sometimes it'll be a programming topic, whatever. And we're just, you know, live interaction. We've done a couple of those as specialty shows hmm. back when the show was still called Coco Talk and they were pretty successful. Hmm. So in fact, if you wanted not to have to worry about, you know, doing all the streaming yourself, if you wanted to volunteer for one of those segments, just let right. Mark know and he'll set up OBS and everything else. And then the, you guys, the have only it. thing I would worry about that is people would be so turned off when they saw how slow and mistake riddled I am. When I try to write code, I I think there might be something a lot smoother about sort of seeing a couple steps along the way, but mainly sort of the final product. Um, but that is an intriguing idea. Um, so so you're saying Mark is the guy to talk to about that, huh? Yeah. What, what's your uh, segment called again, Mark? Called Coco Tech, I guess. Coco Tech. Yeah. Um, but I want oh, to step away. One thing. Um, if people are willing to watch the Game On Challenge live, then they're more than willing to watch you on your Coco. That is absolutely true. I, I mean, don't know. There, there there, might be a lot more fun to watch in people playing games than people writing assembly code. I don't know. I know there's, there's streamers that do C++ code I, that, that do a two-hour show every night, so... I, 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 there, there's an audience for it. Let's put it that way. Like, I was surprised how many people showed up for a couple that we did. Um, and they were just impromptu, like they weren't even planned. Just somebody got, you know, I, I'd like to learn some basic nine. I said, yeah, actually, I, I could do a little stream showing a couple of routines there, and it ended up being like I don't know, four hour show or something silly <laughs> on a Saturday night. And we had like 20, 30 people watching by the end of it. I was going, holy crap! Interesting. Well, it's wow. fun to watch people mess up. It makes you think maybe I can do this too. <laughs> yeah, because when, like you said before, <laughs> when you get these polished videos and you just see the final results, it's got Jesus, this guy's a genius. I, I'll never do that, so I'm not going to try. So if you watch somebody actually, you know, live going, oh, what the heck did I do wrong there? Why did it do that? Why did it crash? <laughs> actually, that does egg them on and go, I've done the same thing. And then when you do figure it out, then they kind of go, oh, that's how you figure out how to fix that, you know, type thing. So they're still learning and you're still learning, obviously, too, at the mm-hmm. same time. So it actually does work. I can certainly offer the mess ups. That is value I can provide. Yes. Plenty of blood. <laughs> <laughs> I see Marco is back here. So, Mark, did you want to kind of plug your Coco Tech segment? Uh, Coco Tech. Oh, yeah. When are we going to do that? I'm waiting for you and, uh, <laughs> you and that Canadian discussing guy. that because he 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 might be interested in this. I'm, I'm intrigued with the idea. I have never thought about doing like a live streaming coding thing, but I don't know if you if you have older versions that I could look at to get an idea of you know what what these things are like. I'd be curious to learn more. You would be the older version. <laughs> well, the idea behind Coco Tech, and um, by the way, Coco Talk or uh, the Coco Nation now is is all about just throwing stuff together and seeing what sticks to the wall. And it's actually worked really good for six years. So we just keep doing it every week. Um, but anyway, um, Coco Tech. Um, so a few years ago, we we're talking about you know the the whole uh, Coco Nation type of thing. It's not just the live stream we do every Saturday. There's a possibility to do other stuff. So we've added the game segment. So we played that on Thursdays. Um, it's 8 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, so it's five my time because I'm Pacific Zone time zone. But um, I've also thought for years it'd be nice to have a deep dive or a deeper dive into uh, doing my cat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, cat. <laughs> uh, I've thought it'd be nice to do a deeper dive and not have to like uh, just skim the surface on some technical things. Mm-hmm. So um, I know that some of the stuff on uh, Nitrous Nine would be really cool to deep dive into. Uh, basically, you know, talk about it, have questions, do it interactively some evening. 
Um, and then also other things too. I mean, we've got, uh, we've got a plethora of sound cards that uh, are available and, uh, um, Robert Allen Murphy there is uh, delved into most of them in the last couple of years. So he'd be a good person to tap into for that. And, and uh, Rick Eulen here, he's uh, got a network card that he built and he has uh, the Co- Coco key fix and a uh, bunch of other hardware things. And so I'm thinking there'd be some really good topics that we could spend, you know, a couple hours, maybe two or three hours on just a, a particular area or sub subset of an area and just focus on technical things. So I've got a graphic. Thank you, Ron uh, Delvo. And yep. uh, we've got the basic streaming stuff set up, so we just need to pull the trigger. I was hoping to do Nitrous 9, some kickoff stuff with that, maybe with Basic 09 for starters. And, yeah, I uh, think Ken, Ken and I are going to do that one because we've done a few at the actual fests as, as part of the live seminars and stuff here. But having a free-floating, open, you know, whatever, how long it takes, uh, I think would be good. We did an impromptu one, I think, before, Mark, before you started that tech one because I did find it again mm-hmm. some time ago. And like I, like I was talking about, it was, it was actually quite successful. It was quite a few people that were watching it and asking questions. And sometimes they were stumping yeah. me. I'm not an expert on it. I, I know a bit of it, but. Yeah, and we're all learning, you know, it's like I, I know a bit about Nitrous 9 and OS 9, but only a little bit. And I'd like to learn more about Basic 09. And definitely um, Deke is our C compiler guru on Nitrous 9. And he's done a whole bunch of uh, improvements on the library and the compiler. So there's some stuff to be said there too. I'm, I like C as my preferred language, so I'd be willing to spearhead some stuff on that and get Deke on here to talk about it. And so there's a lot of cool Cocoa stuff. And I'm not originally a Cocoa guy. I'm an Apple guy. I bought my first Apple IIe in 1983, November, and I've had it. My parents still have it. I'll get it again someday. But cool. I've only been a Cocoa guy since uh, 2012. I got a Cocoa 3. I actually bought an Apple IIe Platinum from a guy. It came with a Cocoa 3 also, new in box. There's a free add-on. There's a free add-on. <laughs> yep. Now they're four or 500 bucks just to buy on eBay. <laughs> yep. So now, now I've got two Cocoa 3s and two Cocoa 1s and four Cocoa 2s and a Tano Dragon. So. Wow. Anyway. So you are new, Nouveau Cocoa. I'm Nouveau Cocoa. And yes, it is my <laughs> latest system. I also have a Commodore SX64. That's the portable SX. And some Timex Sinclairs, including my original kit one, put together back in 1983, I think it was. So, yeah. um, but uh, anyway, yes, I really like the Cocoa and I like the community. That's why I'm here. And yes, we're going to do Cocoa Tech. So we're getting our act together and we'll start doing that here soon. Yeah. We've had some assembly language tutorial series, like Steve Bjork, famous game author, did a, a series, which that. you might have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, George, uh, what is his last name? Just George Jay. Jensen? George Jay? Yeah, yeah, George Jensen, who did a lot of OS9 programming back then, but he did a, a beginner's assembly language tutorial thing too. But those weren't really live and interactive. They were they were somewhat segment. live and interactive, but they were a segment of the show, so we had a time limit. <clears throat> Whereas these can be open-ended. So if you if, if things are going really well and the audience is really interactive with you and you're just on a roll type thing, if you want to take three hours, go. If it's yeah. something very simple, it could be 20 minutes. So there's no fixed you know, schedule or, or fixed... Uh, you know, format of the show typing is whatever it works for you, whoever the presenter is and works for the audience. Yeah. And my idea is to go as deep as need to be, you know, some things may not need to be that deep, but you know, let's, let's give it a show and uh, that's all recorded for the future. So. Yeah. On the uh, game on, I mean, some of them are only an hour and a half and some of them, I mean, we've had some that have lasted four or five hours. It all depends mm-hmm. on the, uh, yeah. on participation. the part, particip- participation and interest. Who so. falls asleep first? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just like the show itself. Like interviews have ranged from 45 minutes to four hours. So, yeah. <clears throat> I'm not going to push you for the four hours today. <laughs> so, some, I mean, we've had people that are like really engaged while there's our, our, well, we won't name names, but someone was snoring on the show once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
Hopefully I think that's happened more than once, from what I remember. And uh, <laughs> will and I will I will let you know that that uh, that when when you're streaming, the two main things that that people that really draw in the people are one are your screw ups and failures, and two your the final working product. So they they seem to thrive on that. I watch a lot of streams that show people working on hardware and everyone either wants to see the magic smoke released or the thing working yeah it's so, kind of like getting a live blooper reel with a, a final product result at the same time so. right why do you think everybody loves the so popular yep well i can tell you that my next two videos are all just my failures so i i was like desperately trying to do a thing and then i was just totally surprised by the result and then I was like pounding my head, like, of course, that's what would happen. Why would you think otherwise? So that that's actually what you're going to be seeing next week are two of my and they were like reels or whatever you want to call. Them. Yeah. The other benefit of yeah, the other benefit of having it live is that when when you're doing something, the more eyes, the more chances of problems being being sure. seen and found yeah. sooner. Although come up with an alternative solution you never would have thought on your own type thing. That's mm, happened to yes, me a few yeah. times. So, Yeah. Except well, for Nick. Nick's a perfect programmer. He never makes mistakes. So, uh, Yeah, I don't, don't do bugs. I guess it'd be like <laughs> crowdsourcing, having a group group consensus come together and try to solve a problem. Yeah. But yeah, definitely, if you're interested, just contact Mark on our Discord. And if you ever want to do that or, or give it a try anyway to see what it would work like for you. Yeah, actually, that does sound cool. Actually, didn't Jumping we'll Joey come off of one of those sessions? What was that, Mark? Yes, it did. Did Jumping <laughs> Joey come off of one of those sessions? Yes, it did, actually. Really? It created a game. There you go. Like one of those sessions resulted in Jumping Joey? Like it like was the seed? Wow. It was. It 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 uh, helped it evolve uh, the name, the idea. Yeah. Hmm. Another example is Rick Adams when he did Bomb Threats. We had an interview with him where he mentioned this was a game he'd shopped around, but nobody wanted to sell it. And he right, lost the, the game. He lost the out. source code. And he had a videotape for that he did for his kids showing that playing. That's all he had left. And he had enough interest from all of us, you know, watching the video and watching the interview with him that he eventually recreated the entire game from scratch and sold it on Romcart. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, it sometimes works out really well. Maybe we'll cajole you into doing the rest of the moon patrol faster i don't know <laughs> <laughs> anyway it sounds like you've got some good stuff coming in the can here and i'll, I'll be watching the blooper reel style things here just because that's <laughs> kind of what i do every day so might as well let me we share do. the pain um I, i'm out of questions myself i think we've covered your channel we've covered the fact that you've got the source code now in a blog which uh mark had posted in the chat earlier so it'll be part of the video um, we kind of went through your history with the cocoa, how you got back into it, how you decided to start the YouTube channel. So I'm pretty well out of questions myself. Anybody else in the panel? And then anybody who's been monitoring the chat here, is there any other questions from the chat that we should ask Dave? I don't see any specifically, but like Rocky Hill was saying, uh, those who don't make mistakes are ones that don't try things. So mm -hmm. yeah, you should try. And everyone makes mistakes and it's part of the fun of watching. It makes the viewer feel connected. Uh, he's human too. That's probably in response to uh, doing stuff live and showing all the bad sides as well as the good side. And creativity is messy. Thank you, Rocky. All those are great. 
If except soldering. On... Dave and I can accept ourselves from the soldering <laughs> side of things here. I have tried that numerous times. I've had numerous people try to teach me. It doesn't stick. Some mistakes are irreversible. I'm very uh, reluctant to try an irreversible thing. Yeah, I'm never going to be a classical music composer. I just have accepted that. You know, mm-hmm. It's okay. Classical if you get music? a chance, go on Ron's Garage and you can go to the file section and download pictures. There's descriptions of what they are. And you just load, you know, load them a bin file and a picture will come up. And, uh, you know, it's all my interests so you know they're going to be any anything from you know planets the moon um cars uh specifically mopars <laughs> and uh you know uh mountains uh, uh houses uh, bushes you know all kinds of things uh, uh go ahead and take a look um ron's garage go on there download what you want and uh if uh do you, are you familiar with the cocoa pie i know of it but i haven't uh, haven't done really any reading about it so i don't know no real knowledge just that it exists okay well don't because it'll <laughs> mess up your whole whole plan <laughs> because it's kind of an addicting thing <laughs> it has all kinds of features and things that uh you know um you would probably enjoy because I, I'm a computer user myself. I'm not so much a, a programmer, but there's all, a whole bunch of stuff on there. Mm-hmm. And, and there's even other platforms you can use. That's it for me. Hey, Ron's underselling himself as usual. <laughs> Ron has a huge library of graphics that have been converted to the Cocoa in a variety of modes. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's what those YouTube channels are showcasing. And mm. there is a big collection of them that comes as part of the cocoa pie as well. Yeah. I see. And you can make uh, the uh, cocoa pie run um, picture after picture randomly, you know. And it also will play uh, different games. And, you know, it, what it does is it does uh, a demo of each one, you know. It goes to the next one it, and the next one and the next one. And the next makes one. a great <laughs> inspirational screensaver in the background when you're programming. Which is <laughs> Absolutely. And then, you know, there's MC10 on there, there which have we even touched on that? Uh, are you familiar with the MC10? Was that the uh, the portable? Yeah, the small micro. The little mini, mini Coco, the MC10, yeah. Yeah, um, you probably won't want to get Sinclair killer either <laughs> because. <laughs> It's a subset of the color computer, which is uh, what was what my first computer. But um, uh, we've got people that are contributing lots of programs for it. And there's also like an SDC for it. And it's pretty neat. Yeah, that, that one I think you would have had to use back in the day to have a real nostalgia for it. But it was kind of the competitor for the, the Sinclair, you know, CX81 and 80. With color and sound and, and microcolor basic, which is kind of like regular color basic with a few add-ons. Slightly different CPU, so it was semi language you'd have to translate because it's not not a six eight oh nine, it's a six eight oh three. Holds Windows up well. We're past that, Nick. There's no new trade for it yet. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're waiting for. But it might. That'll keep Nick busy for a while. Oh yeah. Yeah, because three versions isn't enough. You need a fourth now, do we? (laughs) 
Okay, I didn't see any other questions going by here except how bad my soldering skills are. There's a few comments about that. Um, yeah, James yeah, Jones said know. the last time I got a program right the first time was 40 plus years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the Hello World one? <laughs> a very <laughs> small program. <laughs> yeah, that would be me, like very small ones. I've sometimes fluked off, but... Uh, one question from George Cup: Did you ever mess around with BBS stuff besides just, um, you know, you said you logged in to get programs. Uh, <laughs> did you ever like run your own or anything like that? Or? I was a taker. Uh, yeah, I no, I never created my own. I think maybe the most community minded thing I ever did was I did write one article to post on one BBS. Uh, but that was it. I never I never really had any knowledge of how they ran them or how that worked. I just called them all the time. <laughs> and were they local to you or the long distance calls back no, then? All local. All local. Okay. And I don't see any others. Any last ones from the panel? I'm looking through the chat here. Kevin Holloway <laughs> says hair grows back. I, I beg to defer. Look at David Ladd. Rocky um, Hill has a new one. He just says, Dave, are you planning on increasing your cocoa collection? It's addicting. Uh, it's a little dangerous if I bring something into my home it might stay there forever so I'm trying to bring in as little as possible uh, the the last edition was the drive wire cable I, there's nothing else that I'm very seriously thinking about although the Coco SDC is being given a pretty hard sell so we'll, we'll have to see about that Yeah, and it's small I mean <laughs> it doesn't take up much space there, there's one right there plugged into your cocoa so so the sd card just goes on here that's true you it's plugging your switches cocoa, you want to switch different roms as your default etc and just plugs into the cartridge port and probably smaller than the cartridge i use with my floppy drive right in fact if i yeah unless that, you had yes. the 502 like the last generation of the tandy ones but they did shrink it down to roughly this size but the well, older yeah. ones were like like this the fd500 501 and the original the older one the sdc fits in a 502 case if you by the caseless board and you have an old floppy controller fits in that case. I have a full site one here somewhere, but it's not handy at the moment. Well, let's yeah. put it this way. You can either collect cocos or you can collect wives. <laughs> what was that? Cocos are cheaper. <laughs> and collecting wives. <laughs> yeah, we all have a Coco SDC. That's going to be a t-shirt, isn't it? <laughs> we all have Coco SDCs. No, it's easier With to the other one. than wives. <laughs> 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 I know that'll go over well with the better halves, though. They also, Cocos don't whine as much either. <laughs> oh, that's a dig, but sadly true. Is somebody not home there, Mark? Or what's, what's going on here? No, she's actually working. This is proof that uh, our wives, girlfriends, do not watch what we're doing. Uh, exactly. <laughs> don't watch the program. <laughs> How to tell if you're unsupervised without saying you're unsupervised? <laughs> Are you married, Dave? I'm not. Oh, good man. Well, you have so much time on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> that's where all the videos come from, man. From all that time. Yeah, that's where my next time development comes from as well. So. <laughs> so, do you have any questions for us? Yeah. Um. You know the. I, Less of a question and just more of like a statement of gratitude and impressedness that like the the folks who have who have done things on the cocoa back in the 80s, especially in the 90s, who like made it what it was, 
I mean, the rest of us wouldn't be doing what we're doing if it weren't for, you know, all you folks with that history. Uh, so there's, there's certainly a big thank you, but there's also a thank you for those, whether you've been like around back then or not, for like keeping the community alive and having a place for me to reconnect to after so long. Like, I don't know that I would be doing anything with my cocoa now if it weren't for the fact that there was this ecosystem. I don't know if that's the right word yeah. of like YouTube and Discord and Facebook and where, you know, all these people are just still so. There's podcasts, et cetera. Yeah. Dave, were um, you aware of uh, Coco Chalk first or the nation? Uh, n- I, uh, no, it was, it was after it became Coco Nation because all of this was kind of recent. Oh, okay. um, it was probably just this past year, this past year, maybe a little bit longer that I've started to see what was out there and find people. There so, are um, a bunch of interviews in past um, Coco Talk uh, shows that are, they'll just blow your socks off. You know, you know I saw, I saw the Chris Latham one because like, how can I miss the one of the guy who wrote the best Mickey game King. ever? <laughs> And then what like the other best game ever. So I I certainly went to seek that out. That was that was really illuminating. What a what a great modest guy who like came up with these gems and just is so down to earth. Uh that was that was a fun one. But yeah, I, I should go back and look. I'm I'm mostly interested in in the folks who made things as they were back then, you know, the folks with the war stories of you know, there's a playlist on the on the Coco Talk section still that is just interviews. So if you want to check in some of the interviews mm-hmm. we did before the show, it's officially started as a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did like the image producers who did some of the very first cartridges that uh, Tandy sold and actually had a prototype Coco on a piece of plywood locked up in a locked room okay. with a passcode to get into it from you know, early 80. Um, Rick Dale Adams Lear. and Dale Lear, they helped interview each other on one. That was a really good one before uh, Dale passed away. Um, trying to some of the other ones we did from the earlier, but yeah, we've we've covered a lot of developers. Uh, the the two brothers episode, where we had two of the brothers that wrote a lot of the card games and Las Vegas style games for Tom Mix back in the early eighties, mm. were interviewed by two modern brothers that did the same thing for the Coco Three recently as PD, and they interviewed each other. That was a good one. Oh, that's neat. Um, we've had the Dragon special. We've interviewed a bunch of the developers from the Dragon side of things. We had some stuff from the MC Ten as well. Um, yeah, there's there's lots. That's actually one of the things that I think I'm the most proud of on this show is that we've done some really good interviews and again getting that stuff down before the people pass away or mm-hmm. or you know just you know become not of sound mind and can't do an interview anymore. Uh, that's I think one of our best legacies for the Coco community is that uh, we're preserving us. Now, have you watched uh, or listened to the Coco Crew podcast? I I think I have. Yeah, no, I have. I have. Listen to one or two, not a lot, but I have listened well, to one or two. Yeah, they're they're great to listen to. They have some unique um, commercials in their show. That are, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, there's some pretty comical they, commercials. Well, I, I I think I'm going to call these guys, you know, because they have some of these old old things are revived <laughs> back at a cheap price because now you can't buy anything for you know the way it was. But the other the the main things that really um, get you going in the cocoa world is. Uh, uh, anything having to do with the past, as far as pictures go, of uh, Coco Fest or Rainbow Fest? Mm-hmm. I went to one in '84, and and going to a, a fest is just like um, you're on adrenaline the whole three days or two mm-hmm. days, whenever you go. 
And then there's so much to either do or learn or people to meet. You can't meet them all. You can't see everything. And um, it gets a little frustrating by that. But then when we have our shows, we showcase some of that stuff and it catches up for you all, everything you might have missed. So our show, the other show, the Coco Crew podcast and um, the uh, archive. The Coco Show is another one, too. The uh, one that Boat and Aaron do, which is a game oriented one. Yeah, all these all these shows. Then there's all the individuals like yourself, who uh, come on and uh, Ken Waters and all the, all the guys. I mean, th- you could keep busy all the time, like probably you're going to. And, <laughs> yes. You know, and um, and then you know you have to realize that you have to eat, and you have to sleep. <laughs> well, you, you can eat while you listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was doing that earlier. <laughs> yeah. I had to keep going because uh, we had uh, people trimming our palm trees and, and doing stuff in the yard. And I wanted to make sure that they get everything done for the money they're getting, you know. So I had to leave now and then. But, um, yeah, you know, there's uh, so many things we've done to the cocoa. And uh, I don't know if um, other computers have the same kinds of effect on their followers they they, they do uh, one thing i've heard multiple people say that are in multiple communities though is that the cocoa is one of the friendliest ones we don't have as much of the bickering between some of the principals there's some obviously because mm-hmm. anytime you get more than one person together with somebody else you're going to have some disagreements but on, on general like some of the other ones get pretty toxic i'm sure alan and a few others here can mention some of the communities they've been in where it gets pretty pretty nasty um we've, we've had very little of that there has been a, a little bit of it but it's uh it's nowhere near on the scale as some of the other retro communities have so we tend to have what is viewed as one of the friendliest communities and then we have yeah. uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say watching this show you can certainly see a lot of the camaraderie and the friendship there's some good-natured ribbing that I hear now and then, but none of that seems to to have any malice whatsoever. You guys seem to get along quite well. Yeah, except for oh, Nick yeah. making a third version of Neutron. I have malice with that because there's another project he should be working on. <laughs> that would be an example of the good-natured ribbing, I assume. Oh, no, I'm serious. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a, bu- a bunch of guys don't don't even come on the show that have um, – they're represented somehow, though. I think we covered them in, in uh, Curtis's uh, stuff he does. But like um, uh, Paul Fiscarelli, um, he's a really talented guy, and he does uh, some really neat stuff on one, two, three, um, MC10, MC10 Dragon, yeah. and and he's like a um, genius, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 every once in a while, he give us a preview to what's happening, you know. And, um, and then you start looking at it, and th- I showed my wife my wife the uh, the latest. He's got a card game for the um, MC10 coming up and it looks awesome i i says i it's hard to believe that's even on a mc10 you know what i mean because it it's it's so polished and and it looks you know it sounds great it looks great something i could never do yeah paul thayer has a card game it's paul shoemaker's the one you're talking about okay we got does a lot of hardware stuff and he also did the uh the port of the demo of what's that famous apple II game Prince of Persia. Oh, uh, Prince, yeah, of Persia. Prince of Persia. Prince of Persia. Awesome. You, you got to see that. I, you know, in some of our um, shows. And Paul Thayer is working on that new shmup game, which we'll be covering yeah. as well. So there's there's a ton of development going on. Yeah, there is. And Nick just keeps redoing Neutroid. I don't understand it. <laughs> but it's getting better. Because Neutroid is awesome. 
Right. Detroit PR coming soon. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a really friendly community. Like Coco Fest is where you get the camaraderie in person. That it's just so awesome. If you have questions, everybody will answer as best as they can. There's none of this. No, I'm not teaching how to do that because you might you know be a competitor or something like that. That may have happened back in the commercial days somewhat, and I do know that did happen in the commercial days somewhat. But uh, that's all gone now. It's just share share the love, share the knowledge, which is what you're doing on your videos. So yeah. thank you for that. Sure. Um, I did. I did take some pictures. I don't know if, how you guys are on doing on time or anything, but if I can, yeah. Show if you want to close you, out like your my, interview with showing some of the pictures, that'd be great. Uh, Mark, can you highlight them? Yeah, I mean, we still have another five hours to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so we're we're good on time. I have like maybe eight or eight pictures. Not not too many. Okay. All right. So can you guys see? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, so th this is sort of what I have now. So on the left, your uh, upper left, you have the Tandy 64K color computer two, the, the short think, case controller. I think this is the 501 disc. Okay. Why, um, why is that Coco so clean? Why is it so clean? Oh, well, you can tell in the dust same cover. picture. You see this over here, my Coco one dust cover. Mm. A little too big for the Coco 2, but it does the job. So I keep the dust cover on the Coco whenever I'm not using it. Um, you got your drive wire, your USB serial. I have a VCR that converts the RF to S-Video. The S-Video goes into the camcorder. Firewire comes out of the camcorder, goes into the computer. And then I use VLC on the screen to, to display what came out of the Firewire. So it's kind of like what I use. Um, Here's stuff that I don't use so much anymore, but I still have. This may be either the original or the one that came with my second Coco, the Getting Started. And then when I upgraded, I, it ended up being like a Getting Started with Extended as opposed to the Going Ahead. Yeah, it's the combined manual for Coco 2. Yeah, that probably sounds about right. Here's well, the, out of curiosity, do you, you're Getting Started with Color Basic, the original one. Do you have the full version or do you have the original? That looks like the original. 14 chapter where they skipped all the sections two three and four where they covered assembly language and special graphics modes uh, i don't know how many pages I, does it have uh do you want me to get up i can get up and look if you if you want to wait a, a 30 seconds or yeah so. i'm kind of curious because the, yeah. the first coco was released the first coco ones released had the uh the original cut down one because they didn't have it fully ready yet oh wait a minute i can't get up and look that's the one no okay so this one i keep handy this one is buried now. I unburied it to take the picture. <laughs> oh, no worries. It's it's back. It's back. I'm just curious. I, I have to agree with Alan. Like it's it, there's the 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 thin one where they didn't have sections two, three, and four ready yet for publication that they gave with the original Cocos in eighty and early eighty one is fairly rare. Um, huh. Most is of them it? have the full version, which is three hundred, four hundred pages somewhere in there. Because that's the one I have is the one that has like thirteen chapters, and you're done. And I thought that was, I was done. I now know everything there is to know. And I was happy and it's a clam going on. And then when I upgraded to extended color basic, there was not only this stuff that was in extended color basic, but there was all this other stuff that was in just color basic that seemed new too. And I'm like, I thought that I got two upgrades in one, but anyway. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe I need to unbury this and answer that question. I don't know what I have. I don't know. Um, so here the cartridges that I, so I guess these are the two I got originally. And then eventually I get these other diagnostics was great fun. I really don't remember why I got this. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have needed it. A um, couple games. Uh, one of my favorite books, William Barton Jr.'s Assembly Language Programming and his color graphics book. Uh, this was my intro to the rest of the world. So this was my first terminal program that I got. Term, yeah. uh, which I quickly replaced, I believe, with Mikey Term. Once I could connect to a BBS and start downloading something, I think I ended up with Mikey Term. Uh, this was my modem, and it still works as a phone. It's like a combo phone modem, 300 baud. Uh, I don't know if you remember the DAC catalog store. D, I think it was DAK. They were like a kind of like what you would read on an airplane, I think, except they weren't really airplane reading. Uh, they had all sorts of gadgets. And so I saw an ad for this and I said, I this is what I want next. And this was maybe one of my most exciting acquisitions because this opened up the world. Uh, and it still works as a phone. When the power goes out, I plug this into the phone line and I use this as my phone. So you still have a landline? I do. I do still have a landline. Yeah. Just I just wanted to mention too, like we were questioning whether your your Tandy Coco Two is one of the ones with the true lowercase. Yeah, Mikey Term four point seven actually supports that. You could actually log in with full lowercase. Oh well, I never used that feature, but I probably didn't know it existed, or maybe I just don't. I'm not one of the lucky ones. I don't, What's the uh, model number on your co your Coco? Because that'll tell right there if it's if it's a twenty seven. Uh, I guess there are a few ways to tell, but I would have to get up to find out that information. Yeah. Plus, you have a video <laughs> plan for that, so save it. <laughs> right, right. The video. I'm, I'm guessing the video might end up being very uh, disappointing. Where I say, "Let's see if I have the." Nope, I don't. And. <laughs> Um, here are my cassettes. Uh, I think I have a few others lying around somewhere. And then some very dusty cassette carrying case things. Uh, as You, you can actually see, have old computer cassettes too. You actually went all out, did it proper. I did. Um, I cheaped out and used like just generic 60s. And those are the ones that really stretch and don't work well after years. <laughs> well, there's I a did difference. use those as well. Like when I needed to do backups of, let's say, everything on my floppies. I would pop in like a 60 minute or 90 minute tape and then I would run something like, what was it called? Tape Util. And it would like just read from the disc and write it out to tape. But for my, for the stuff I was doing every day, I used these supposedly higher quality tapes. Well, it's funny. They aren't just style. The computer cassettes have actual reels with the tape on reels where regular cassettes have just tape pucks with slip sheets on top and bottom. And the slip sheets are kind of grabby. So it's it's the 10-minute cassettes that actually had metal reels. So the tape pucks are inside of a reel and they don't slide across anything. They're hmm. they're unspooled and despooled like a reel-to-reel -reel tape. They're actually technically better. So there was a purpose for those. There was a purpose. They weren't just style. That was supposed to make it better speed control and and they didn't have leaders like that plastic leader because I screwed up right. some saves every once in a while where I forgot to fast forward at the five seconds or whatever, and you yes. try to record over plastic. Doesn't yeah, work. Yes. <laughs> right. I thought oh, also, I thought also that they had a cassettes. higher quality on the magnetism. Yeah, one some of the of things cassettes. I used to do. Go ahead, David. One oh, of the things I used to do is on the blank 
tapes that I would get from like, um, back then it was Kmart or, um, other places. I'd open up the cassette and I'd actually cut the leader right up to before the erase head. So that way, you know, I could start it. It would start erasing and then immediately start recording. That sounds like so much work. Yeah. That sounds like hardware work. Yeah. This is a guy with a grease weasel. Give him a break. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) He's a hardware geek. He's not afraid of a soldering iron. Wow. They are afraid already. Those uh, microcomputer news ones on the left there. I have yeah, one. so these, these I think, were probably the only magazines I got myself, other than, like, the Rainbow magazines I read from my uncle. Um, so, And I think these would have been the ones that came with, like, a subscription that you would get when you bought your Coco. Uh, I kind of highlighted this one because this is where I got that uh, the code from for that uh, figure that I did the animation on. But I had to like rediscover where the code was because actually I didn't even know I had these magazines until I went through my collection to see what to take pictures of. And I said, oh, my God, I, I can't believe because they were buried the same place that other getting started with color basic book is buried. I didn't know there was stuff there. So I found these. and I said, oh, this is where I found it. I wish I had seen this a few months ago because then I went searching on the color computer archive back then to find where I could see this. This was like in multiple magazines. This was in Hot Cocoa and I think maybe one other as well. But this must have been where I originally found that code. If you have enough stuff and you wait long enough, all this stuff becomes new again. <laughs> when you're 69, you go look through a box and you go, man, I didn't know I had these. Yes. It's <laughs> like, it, exactly. It becomes new again because you completely forgot you ever owned it. Yeah. Right. Has, has anyone got one of those TVs, those Radio Shack TVs? Mm. No, I don't. That must be. Mm. I never did. I got pictures of them. Yeah, I got lots of pictures, but <laughs> the real thing. I got one. Hey, of you have the same printer I had, the CGP two twenty inkjet color. Yeah. So this this is what I uh, printed all those term papers out on. Um, the last time I used this, it worked great, but that was probably 35 years ago. I yeah, but you, you must have had some money because that thing was not cheap. Uh, yeah, I I don't remember. I don't remember, but six ninety nine yeah. here in Canada. I remember when yeah. it first came out. The, That's uh, what I paid the, for it. The floppy drive as well was not cheap. Um, but at the time, I wasn't really getting much other than this. Like, you know, if you think about holiday gifts, birthday gifts, that sort of thing. It all became, you know, whatever whatever you're seeing. And um, a bit of trivia, you, you might know this already, but the uh, the CPU inside the printer itself is a 6809, same as a Coco. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Uh, so this is just some stuff printed back in the day. Uh, this, I think, was the test page. Yep. Uh, you actually okay. tell the printer itself to print that. I see you even dated it. That's pretty cool. Zoom in and see the high quality. Yes, I did date it. <laughs> So I guess now we know when I when I got that eighty five, um, and then over here it was like a bunch of like notes that I scribbled to myself about various pokes or things I could do on games or you know just whatever stuff I picked up from magazines that could be useful, and I would like print out like indexes of uh, you know what was on each tape or what was on each disc that sort of thing. I got to tell you, when I first got my color computer and uh, I tried programming it from the book and stuff, 
And then whenever I tried something and it didn't work and the screen would go wacky, I'd hurry up and turn it off and then pray, please, did I not screw it up real bad? <laughs> oh, I, wish, I hope I didn't cook a chip or something. And then later on, I found out there's nothing you can do to program your computer to make it, you know, to kill it. I mean, yeah. it's all. Yep. It's That's not true for all computers. There were a few you could. <laughs> yeah, but, well, yeah, in our case. Ours is pretty safe. Uh, so see some more stuff I print. Oh, this was, uh, this is moon patrol. This is the, an assembly language listing of some of the pages of the game that never finished. That's the big, the big X. Yeah. I don't know. I knew back then when I don't know, I'm guessing I decided I didn't like that code anymore. (laughs) Maybe it got replaced with another version. Who knows? Out of curiosity, do you have dates on this? Like, do you know when you were writing this? This had to have been junior or senior year of high school. Had to have been. Uh, I don't know if there are there dates on. I don't think there are dates on this. Sometimes you get markings on papers and stuff from like if you had kids. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, it was two yeah. years. So this came from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, this is how I keep all my papers so clean. Uh, trapper keeper. <laughs> Fabulous trapper portfolio, one yeah, of my paid sponsors. Very 80s. <laughs> still have it. Still all the old stuff still in this old container. Um, and then these I'll try to zoom in are the best I could find of me back then. Uh, so I'm on the right of each of these pictures. I'm showing off my Coco One, I guess, to some family friends. And look at that, a black and white TV hooked up to my uh, Coco. And the same house scene that you actually had a CGP220 printout of earlier. Yeah, And this is one of the ones on your little nostalgia video too. Yes, indeed. I don't know if anyone else has nostalgia for it, but I certainly do. This is like what I consider one of the classic images and this came from, by the way, one of those TRS-80 microcomputer newsletters. That's where I got it from. Uh, and that's it. That's my stuff. Cool. There is a uh, um, a uh, Facebook group called um, Show Us Your uh, Tandy Color Computer. So if you get a chance and you have your setup, just go over there and upload a picture of you know your regular setup that you use. And if you have any older pictures like that, those there, you can put them on there, too. If you go back and look, there's people have uh, put pictures of, you know, old pictures of them when they were young. Hmm. Yeah. Sort sort of embarrassing or not. (laughs) I think one of my old black and whites is up there when I still was running a cassette. Yeah, it's on there. That was cool. Thanks for the the trip down memory lane there. And I, I definitely recognized a few of the the cartridges and tape uh, like you had pyramid 2000, the tape for it. And mm-hmm. uh, the CGP 20, which is actually what I used to print most of my stuff in high school too. Um, yeah, Curtis is waiting for certain programs to pop up with different new people that show up with older co- cocoa collections. So I'm surprised he didn't ask you about specific stuff as to whether you have the originals or not. Do you know? Oh, I, I gotta wait for his hand. videos to come out. Then I'll find out. <laughs> hey, hey. So a big, big thanks to Dave for uh, being our guest of honor today. 
Thank you very uh, much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. It's been great being with you guys. And you and Mark should definitely get together on doing a, a tech talk thing there. That, that I think that cool. would be fun fun to try anyway and see how it goes. Cool. Since Ken and I keep lagging behind getting ours going. And now he's going to be in a perpetual bad internet land. So <laughs> probably won't be for a while now. <laughs> how many frames per second can you get? <laughs> yeah, if we need a slideshow, I'll let Ken do that part. But um, just to mention, too, for those who don't know, we've got some other interviews lined up. Uh, next week, Ken and I will be at BoatFest, so hopefully we'll do a little bit of a live report from there. I don't know, is anybody going to the VCF in Dallas that could maybe do a report from there as well? Because I know some Cocoa people will be there, and Taylor and Amy will be there as well. So if anybody is uh, out I'm there and wants going, to be able to guest. I don't know Evan Rude. So. But hopefully we get some people to pop in <laughs> from that as well. Uh, next interviews we have booked. There's multiple ones I'm trying to get booked for July. I haven't got a confirmed dates on any of those yet, so I don't want to announce them in case they fall through. But we have two more that are officially booked. August 12th, we have Matt Harper, the guy who wrote Wizard's Den for Atomic Software, an excellent Coco 1 and 2 game that we featured on the Game On Challenge recently, and the Coco Show featured as one of their games recently as well. And then August 19th, we have a double header. We have the original programmer for the Contras, Doug Maston, who was at Coco Fest this year with his dad. It's great to see him. I'm uh, going to be talking about the development of Contras and Glenn Dahlgren, who actually sold it on his behalf from Sundog Systems, will be our guest interviewer, kind of like uh, Nick was a guest interviewer for Ron Bull last week. So that's happening on August the 19th. And uh, I'll let everybody know once more, these other interviews are confirmed. But uh, thanks again, Dave. Feel free to hang out if you want to, uh, if you want to interact and talk about any of the stuff we're coming up on the various other segments or news. Uh, or if you have stuff to do and you have a real life, unlike some of us, then uh, feel free to just, uh, you know. I think I'll be able to hang out for a little bit longer. Um, probably not the whole time, but I, ca- I have some more time right now. Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, commercial now and then. Yeah, that's what I was just going to suggest for uh, (laughs) Mark. All right, here we go. The Coco Nation show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation show its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should, too. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gayer, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Ascom, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Dinty's Hideaway, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Grant Leedy, John, Boat of Car Schaller, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, 
Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rom and Shanghai, and I, like you, am a citizen of the Coco Nation. This is not the Joey Serial Switch. This is the Joey Serial Switch. Control up to three serial devices. Order yours today at cocoman.biz. The music is back. For many a year, peace has reigned throughout the realm. In the forest, nothing but ruins of an ancient fortress remain to fuel the myth of the evil wizard. Tales of your ancestors' quest are met with laughter. Mockery follows your warnings. But you know what awaits. Welcome, everybody, to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week, we played Ruptus from Inufuto. We had a total of 15 players, and they were Mark B. with 1,200. Mr. Dave, 6309, 2,500. Sabhead, 11,550. Buck Owens, 13,100. Warm Food, 19,050. Kieran, 21,800. Jim Rye, 28,650. Shenley, 35,750. 
Canadian Retro Things, 36,050. Sloopy Malibu, 37,650. L. Curtis Boyle, 53,300. Pitfall Jerry, 60,400. Mr. Evil Dead, 61,000. Eight Bits in the Basement, 61,750. And the number one score this week belongs to a man that was trying to see if he could break the game, and I think he was fairly successful. Tasman with 757,840. Thanks, everybody that played. See you next week. Dan, we're back. All right. So, yes, Tasman definitely uh, broke the game a bit. <laughs> All the, rest the of scores add him up. That's his. <laughs> yeah. Bent a game at least. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that was uh, Ruptus from Inufuto. I was just checking, and currently this game is available on 67 different systems, including, believe it or not, he has ported versions to the Model 100. I have to see that one. I haven't actually seen the video for that one yet. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. I mean, it's obviously going to be on a tiny little screen. He calls it the uh, mini version. There's actually released a bunch of mini versions for uh, little portables like that, so... Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it, uh, other than, um, it's pretty interesting how he's doing all of these different games for all of these different systems. Yeah, they have their own special C compiler and, and, and language and library called Kate, C-A-T-E. Yeah. That these are all developed in. Yeah, the, uh, the one thing I did notice about this game is, is that, um, it seems to be differences between the uh, different uh, versions in uh, for the different machines. Well, in what way, like gameplay, you mean, or just uh, graphics and sound type stuff? Uh, well, I mean, graphics, graphics, obviously, but actual in gameplay. Um, sort of like in in the uh, Coco Two version, when you get to uh, uh, level ten, when you go to level eleven, it's just level one. Same on the MC10 version. Yeah, but when they when um, they're playing on the Coco Three version, it's it's it was different. So it might be a RAM restriction or something like they have more room yeah, on a base. Probably Coco because 3. he's got a lot more room on the Coco Three, as yeah. some of the systems are a lot larger than others. So, right, he's probably got some sort of an inhibitor. Although I did notice that even though you go back to level one. Um, there's a lot more bad guys and stuff like trying to kill you, yeah. and so it is actually harder than level one. It's just the same configuration as level one. Oh, <laughs> I didn't notice them. I just flicked them off whenever I saw them. <laughs> <laughs> but now, yeah. for those of you who didn't have a chance to play it, it's loosely based on Bosconian, the arcade game, which you know Coco has another loosely based called Draconian. But it does have a bit of a difference on on some aspects of the game, so it's it's original enough. I found it fun, but a little bit different than the arcade it was inspired by. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a pretty good game. I mean, there was a few issues with the controls and like smoothness of it, but other than that, it was a very good game. And I mean, 
I, I will, looking at what it is, I give it a break on anything like that, considering it's, as I just said, oh. released on 67 different computers right now. Yeah. So now he's got to kind of go for the lowest common denominator to make these games. Yeah, exactly. I, I was curious here, uh, for everybody that did participate on this week that's on the panel right now or in the chat for that matter, which version did you guys play? Because there's a Coco 1 and 2 specific version. There's a Coco 3 specific version. There's an MC10 specific version. I, I played Coco 3 and Coco 1 and 2 myself. Well, one one week, one the next week. I played the MC10 version. And then last night when I was getting game footage, I played the Coco 3 version. But didn't submit a score for that. It was all MC10 for me. Because I wanted to... to uh, on the show last week on the uh, live on, I wanted to uh, stream off my MC10 to see if I could, and it worked. So, so when yeah. when you played the MC10, like obviously the keyboard's a lot more restrictive. Did you find it much harder because of the keyboard? Because it's a keyboard operated game, obviously. Yeah. Um. It. No, because um, using the WASZ keys, um, was something I was fairly familiar with from my apple II days because a lot of games use that in the apple II. so it was kind of muscle memory came back there it's <laughs> just that the keys of course were a little closer together but i didn't actually seem to have any kind of a problem with that because i did grow up playing a lot of games that had that configuration got some comments on the chat or what they use so uh, eight bits in the basement said he used mc10 on the alice Ooh. um Mr. Evil Dead said he used the Coco 2 and Coco 3. Jim Rye said Coco 1 and 2 version only. <laughs> I played the Coco 1, uh, 1, 2 version only myself. I I'm tried not, the Coco 1 and 2 on the VCC. I'm not sure what I played. Uh, was <laughs> well, if VCC. it was really colorful, it was the Coco 3. If Free it version, was yeah. the green and blue, then it was the Coco One Two or MC Ten. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't didn't play it long, very long, because uh, just like Eight Bits in the Basement, I had ended up with sore fingers very fast. <laughs> yeah, but Eight Bits in the Basement scored sixty seven thousand. What was your excuse? Twelve hundred. <laughs> <laughs> didn't ask what your score was. Ask what your uh, excuse was. Sore fingers. They got sore very fast. Sore fingers. <laughs> Now, Scott Cooper, uh, Tasman, in the chat says that for some reason, the Coco 1-2 version was locking up on me, so I played the Coco 3 version. Seems smoother. It is smoother, but I didn't have any problems with locking up, and I got up, I don't know, level 15, 16 or something on the Coco 1-2. I, so. I think I got level 12 on the MC-10, so. Yeah, it definitely gets challenging the later levels when you start getting multiple aliens coming after you, and you're, you know, they're sh shooting, like, multiple shots at the same time, so you have to kind of, like, dodge between them all yeah i got up to level 13 and that's when i realized it was just a uh a loop for the thing i didn't notice that there was a lot more uh of the uh of the yeah. uh, I mean, planes on the first time around the enemy there's maybe one or two enemy planes on the first level but when you got up to level 11 it was i don't know three or four on the screen at once at times yeah I didn't notice that when I was playing. I, because I was looking for them to get um, extra lives. Yeah. <laughs> so because I was a little. So low one thing that uh, that uh, Tasman did show that was interesting is that once you get over ninety nine lives, then it starts uh, just going through the ASCII characters to, rather than going to a hundred, it goes to semicolon like, or whatever the next ASCII semicolon character is. Zero zero. Yeah. 
or semicolon zero and Yeah, it's basically using binary coded decimal kind of thing. And but it, when it converts it to ASCII, it just adds 30 hex. And, and once you run out of numbers, then you're into punctuation. So that's what's displaying on the screen. <laughs> yeah, he got all the way up to C. <laughs> then made the mistake of uh continuing on and uh getting to uh 255, then it rolled over and then he had no lives left. And he rolled over the score too, oh. didn't he? Because the score we found out actually the, the trailing zero is just a hard coded zero. Yeah, because it's a 16 bit <laughs> um score. So it's only six five five three six or three five actually. Yeah, so he wrapped both the, the free men counter and he wrapped the scores. So that's like a double I broke the game. I'm yeah. impressed. <laughs> yeah. So when he, he, wanted, he never lives. did get over level 100 on the uh, game, though. He wanted to do that, but didn't make it to level 100 to see what happens. Okay. Go ahead, Rick. What were you saying? I was just saying, when he ran out of lives, did he die right away? Or yeah, yeah, because basically he would he would die, but he would gain more lives than he would die. But the problem is, is that when he wrapped the lives, he didn't have one or two lives to fall back on. And he died, and so it was a game over because... Oh, so, so you would have to very rarely gain a new life before yeah, so, you're wrapped over zero. Yeah, so basically... Life expired. Should, yeah, what he should have done was just made sure his life stayed below 255. Yeah, because otherwise, if you get a free man and at 255, you were suddenly wrapped back to zero, so the next time you get hit, you're dead dead. Yeah, it's game over, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we've had a few few of our game players over the last couple of years who have been able to break games like that. It's far beyond my scope. Oh, actually, oh, well. I, I guess I had one. Phantom Slayer, I found out the score after a certain point turns into a garbled mess, <clears throat> even though it counts the kills and hits properly. But the score, you have to kind of like mathematically calculate yourself. <laughs> you can't read it. Yeah, I realized that, that it could be done. And then, uh, but because, uh, he had already uh, wrapped it. I didn't see the point because at that point I was still in second. I didn't realize other people had gotten higher. Otherwise, I would have gone higher. Oh, you're just making sure you got a higher score than me. Um, no, I just was going to try to go for second because, I mean, I'm 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 not as good as the great Buck Owens or the great Tasman. I just wanted to go second. <laughs> yeah, we need to make Tasman his own. Uh... Yeah, he needs a theme song now because he's been pulling off the the wins here for a bit lately. Winning a lot, yeah. Salute video, yeah. So any any tips or tricks? Like, it sounds soupy like you did really well. So what were your tips and tricks for the game? Um, Basically, just uh, try to um, um, get the the force fields first and then shoot shoot the uh, the, uh, star bases and start shooting before you get to it because it takes four shots to, to destroy a star base and you can get one shot off before it even comes on the screen. And then three shots can come as you're coming up to it. So that by the time you're actually at it, you can, uh, you'll, you'll destroy it. Um, the big thing is watching out for the, uh, enemy aircraft because they'll come on the, on the screen immediately and shoot you. I find that if you, like don't fly in straight paths, but if you go, if you like make turns and diagonals, they're less likely to come on the screen all of a sudden and shoot you easily. 
I don't know if it's actually programmed for that or if it's just the way the algorithm tries to follow you, um, that it's a little bit more uh, random when you're moving around. But yeah, going like diagonals and just going back and forth, you're less likely to be hit than if you're going straight. Um, yeah. My my one tip for the aliens, uh, especially when you start getting them, you know, coming in fairly rapidly and, and fairly often, is that if you have one coming off the top, say you suddenly go down and outrun them a little bit, and then you immediately reverse direction and then fire, and then you'll be busy. You'll take care of them just as soon as he comes on the screen. Mm-hmm. Right. The other thing is, is that uh, when you've got two of them coming at you at the same time, go in a opposite direction. Yeah. And take them down one at a time. Don't try to take two on at once. Uh, the other thing you need to remember is is that uh, their bullets are slightly faster than your ship. Yep. <laughs> so if you see that uh, there's a there's a bullet coming after you, turn them right. off. <laughs> and another thing with the alien ships is that they can go through the force fields, and you can't. So yep. yeah, they can go through the force fields, and they can go through the star bases. Got a couple of comments here from Tasman. So the first one is: This game gives out free lives like crazy at the higher levels. That's how I was able to keep it going. And they said, pro tip, keep the shoot button pressed in, in to keep playing at a lower, keep the game playing at a lower speed because it doesn't have background processing for the sound. So that your constant firing actually pauses the game eight shot when the sound effect comes out a mm-hmm. little bit. So you can actually slow the game down to a more manageable speed level. Use the force field, Luke. <laughs> so. Yeah. So that was that game. So it's interesting. Now I want to try it on the um, MC10 to, or on the uh, Model 100 to see how it looks. Yeah, I didn't know they had that version out. So thanks for letting me know that. I'm going to go check yeah, that video. Out he's actually tonight. got quite a few of the Model 10 um, and then a couple of Japanese portables that look like they're basically the same as the Model or Model 100. Sorry. The, the Kyocera. Yeah, because Model Hunter was made by Kyocera and just rebranded by Tandy. I think the ROM was unique to that one, though, wasn't it? Didn't Tandy have custom ROMs made? Yeah, the ROM was unique to the Model 100, but all the hardware is identical to the Kyocera, I think, 85. Anyways, any of the ones that he's got for those little portable ones, he's it's called like uh, Ruptus Mini. So Mm -hmm. you can see which are for the portable machines. And since our guest uh, today, Dave, is still on the call, have you ever tried any of these Interfido games? Whether it be Ruptus or the other, I think there's what eleven games now total this, that they've made for uh, cross platform. I have not. I uh, none of them sound familiar to me at all. Um, I was yeah. They've all been released in the last couple of years, literally. Okay. So these are all new. Okay. Yeah. The uh, the main games I've been playing were the ones from the '80s, and that's so I may play them again. You know, in, in recent times, mainly as like a nostalgia thing, but. I've kind of lost that gamer bug, which is weird because I was obsessed. <laughs> and he's got 13 games out now. Oh, yeah. okay. So he's been uh, releasing some that I think we haven't covered on the news or anything yet. So, hmm. I know he dates the release dates for each platform on the main page for each game. So I can mm-hmm. go through and figure out which ones have been added. Like in Ruptus's case, the original MC10 and Coco 1 2 ones, I think, came out in November of 21. And then the Coco 3 version didn't come out till early 2022. So it was months, months later when that version came out, which is why Guillaume at the uh, Coco archive there kind of missed it. He didn't know that Coco 3 version had even gotten released. 
And the Model 100 came out uh, April 28th. Yeah, that's a little bit later than the Coco one, I think. I think that was February, if I remember. All right, we ready for the Game On Challenge live? Uh, unless we wanted to talk about Mind Out a little bit. Um, or both. <laughs> Okay, well, let's. Uh, we can talk about Mind Out while we're looking at the video for. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. No. All right. This was uh, Ruptus. We played this week, episode 82. And uh, we had up to five players at once. As you can see, we also played Mind Out. Um, it uh, it was pre a pretty popular game uh, with uh, last week. Uh, as Ken said, he played on the MC10. Um, also last week, I played Draconian on the. Uh, on the Coco also to uh, show what it looks like. Um, this seemed to be a very popular game. Yeah, it's a fun one. Like I said before, it's got some things that are unique to its version. It's not copying the arcade, not copying Draconian. So it had some original gameplay to it that I, I really liked. I like them when they do something slightly different because just playing the same arcade game you played in the arcade is... A little bit boring to me. Um, if I wanted that, I'd just run man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here this is a trans code because then it is MAME on the Coco, basically. So, yeah. Yeah. Here we see uh, Coconut Bob playing the uh, Coco 3 version. And, uh, and uh, I was playing the, uh, the Coco 1 2 version. And Marco was. Looking at the uh, title screen for the Coco 1 and 2 version. Uh, yes, and also I wanted to mention that I had completely missed uh, Mark O's uh, score. I forgot to put him on the uh, list. It was like 65.50. Yeah, it was 66.50 actually. I had written, I saw that this morning and I'm like, oh crap. Got to make sure I mention that on the air and I have to mention it now. Oh. I, I'm getting getting used to this new time zone I'm in, so. <laughs> That's your excuse. Yeah, I'm still jet lagged. Uh huh. And how many jets did you go on? Ah, uh, well, none. But it was like a five day, four four and a half day trip. So and stressful from the sounds of it. Yeah, four and a half day, two day trip. Yeah, like that. basically four and a half day, two day trip. Oh, so yeah. sorry, Mark. I missed that. So my apologies. And it's like the trip's not over yet. I'll you live. still got to go back and drag the trailer home. Yeah. Well, and plus now I've got to leave for uh, for Boat Fest in a couple of days. Yep. Ooh. I leave I'll Thursday live. morning myself. I don't hold it against you, Ken. Yeah, don't worry, Marco. Uh, we'll give him 50 lashings of the wet noodle by the uh, Game on High Challenge. Or by gotcha. the game on High My favorite. I actually like this game. I This is actually yep. a Coca 3 version now, I realize, looking at this. And, but yeah, yeah, I actually I liked it. it. <laughs> It actually he makes some pretty decent playable games in there. I mean, yeah. they're not always the most challenging games, but 
uh, they tend to be f- quite playable. Yeah, and he, I think there's he, only he does a game. mixture of like totally original or, or fairly close to original plus ones that are based on something, but not quite the same. Yeah. One thing I did notice is it seems that on the Coco 3 version, the enemy uh, fighters seem to move a lot slower. Is that like mean? the individual small ones, or do you mean the big bases, or both? No, the 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 enemy planes, the enemy ships, they seem to move slower than. Yes, they seem to on the Coco Three to be slower than they do on the uh, the one. And I two. think because uh, he he doesn't know the tricks of uh, the uh, getting the Coco Three to run a little bit faster, so and he's got a lot more stuff moving around on the screen, like colors and stuff. Yeah. So I think it most of the uh, Coco Three versions that he does, they look better, but they tend to play a little bit slower. Yeah, because you're moving three to four times as much memory around for the graphics, and you only got double the CPU speed. So, yeah, but it's got a 16-bit CPU. Yeah, but you have to you have to know the tricks, right? Like stack blasting or and as palette, I said, he's, palette he's, animation. You could do some of the anima- animation of things there with palettes that are redrawing and stuff, which I don't think he knows yet, or he hasn't incorporated in his library anyway. Well, he's using, and as I said, he's using the lowest common denominator here for each of these games. So, yeah. Hmm. All right, and then uh, we also were playing Mind Out, which evidently had an issue. Yes, yeah. From what that. I was reading, it sounds like the game was created for tape with the memory you've got free on a tape-based system, and of course, disc eats another K or something out of it for buffers and stuff. And I think that was part of the problem is that when most people were trying to play it off disc, because it sounded like people who played it off cassette did not have as many problems or none. Hmm. Now, one thing I want to check with you guys, because I've not had a chance to play this one yet. Um, somebody was mentioning there's a P-Clear 2 and that there's some sort of a graphic screen as an intro or something. I don't know. I did not look. Because um, from what Co- I've seen, it looks like a text game to me. Like, Coconut Bob added something into it that um, changed it, line one, and he said he hasn't been having any problems with it since. Yeah, he did so a clear statement to reserve the string space. Yeah, well, just, the clear statement is there, but he changed the clear statement to uh, just it was, clear a uh, little bit less memory, twenty four hundred yeah. instead of twenty five hundred bytes. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't look at any calculations or anything. I just tried to reserve a little bit less, and maybe it wouldn't run out, and it seems to have helped. And then that line two hundred eight issue. Yeah, there's a go to that. Well, that's just if you're trying exist. to cheat. <laughs> well, it comes up and asks you, like uh, after a game is over, it come up comes up and asks you which level would you like to start at. Yeah, yeah but if you, accidentally... if you hit a higher number than the, than you're allowed to, then it uh, will crash it. Yeah, but if you accidentally do that, that's a bad thing. If you uh, it should it should just go to one line higher. It says two oh six. It should be two oh seven. Something like that. Oh, okay. So uh, I'm sure that's a bug that he meant, so that if you try to cheat, then it's going to crash the game. <laughs> well, it would that's do copy that if protection. I, if I selected like number two or something, it would still do it. Now, uh, Bob, since you've actually looked at the code a bit there, and I know you're clear, like clear has two parts to it. One is to reserve how much string space on the string stack, and then the uh, second part is basically where to start reserving, so you can reserve some memory that basically will not touch. Um. Yeah, is there a machine language routine or something up past 29999? Like, why is he, the programmer doing that, I'm wondering? I'm not sure. That looked kind of weird to me. 
I don't because a string space of twenty five hundred makes sense because he's doing a lot of string printing there to draw the mazes and stuff. But I don't understand why he's doing that unless he's got an ML routine up there or something. There, yeah, this, I don't know. Thing. Where would uh, I mean? Yeah, it's and to be clear too, like if you're running out of room and you're just doing a text based semi graphics game. Do a clear one, like you get the K and a half back from that. If you're not going to use the graphics memory as graphics, then unless he's hiding a machine language routine there too or something. Now, I didn't try a clear one in there. That might be worth a, a shot too. Yeah. I mean, you can do the pokes to do a clear zero equivalent yeah. to really free up memory, but I don't know if it actually has any graphics. I, I thought somebody said there was some graphic built thing it did at some point, but I have like I said, I haven't had a chance to play it yet. Okay, so he's, he's poking stuff in the higher memory that are reserved there. That's for the um, adjust your TV colors. The test card. Line 80? Yep. I don't see, see how. Well, oh no, not... Yeah, it's the line 81, because line 80 is something else. Yeah, line 80 is what I'm looking at, because he's actually where he's reserved with the clear command, anything above 30,000. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where he's poking. So whatever he's doing up there, he's preserving something up there. He doesn't want basic to get its dirty little hands on. Yeah, because here it goes to go sub 81. And then you see here in the list, 276. I like hey, the comments. pokes there just poking on the screen. Expressive comments. <laughs> and modest. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the poke, like poke K plus J, and he's got K at 1093. That's part of the, the text screen itself. So he's actually poking stuff onto the screen rather than using prints. Probably trying to get special characters you can't get through basic. Yeah, the dark spaces. Oh, exec 307. He does have a machine language routine there. Yeah. Yeah, probably there's some scrolling and stuff. I think it does. That's if I remember seeing watching the video of you guys. So maybe that's what he's got routines for. You're doing that scroll thing we were talking about, Dave, earlier for that you did for Moon Patrol. That's the only part I hear that's machine language is to scroll the screen some wonky direction. Yeah, that's probably what 280 and 281 are doing. Poking them. Yeah, you see, first uh, machine code routine. Yeah, because 280 is poking on the screen unless, yeah, it's poking on the screen at the very last line of the screen by the looks of it. Because that's where if you do a print and uh, if, if you're trying to cover the last character, she will scroll the screen up on you, basic will. So that last character you have to poke, so it's probably doing something related to that. But line 281 is definitely making an actual machine language routine. Yeah, and it evidently has more than one because... That's the first one. First yes. machine. <laughs> you can't have a first one unless you have a second one. <laughs> well, you could. That'd be the first one of one. First well, if, if I get time before, you know, because I, I, I've worked this week and I've also got to get ready for Boat Fest and stuff too and get everything packed and ready to go. So I will see if I have time to look at it, maybe figure out a, a nice clean way to change the P clear. I mean, if there's some little splash green and that's the only reason there's a P clear too, I would probably just remove it and replace it with a text one and then do a P clear one and get the K half back because it sounds like that's enough to fix the problems you guys are having. I don't remember seeing any graphics screens. I yeah, think I there's a graphics screen at the very end of the game where you save the worm. Ah, uh, maybe. Never made it that far. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I'm pretty sure uh, that there's a little routine that when you save him, he moves around the screen and stuff. Right. At least that's kind of what I was getting out of it when I looked at it. I guess the other thing you could do, too, is you could actually just go find all the lines with rims on them and just delete them. That'll free up a fair bit. Then basically mm-hmm. won't try to go up so high. Yeah. Well, I like the fact that the people at Quicksilver actually called their uh, workers droids back in 1980, whatever this was written. In. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's not a bad game for a text or for a uh, mostly basic game. And um, yeah, um, a nice, a nice uh, version of uh which we'll call it uh Minesweeper. Yeah. Oh Minesweeper. Yeah. Is it showing the screen with the draconian on it? Yes. With yes. the wrong colors? Yeah. 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 This was uh last week when I was playing the draconian uh as that's, a classic. That's me playing my MC ten on the other side. Yeah. Demon attack, I believe I was playing there. Now, Dave, you you say you like going back nostalgia-wise to play the old classic games. Was this one of the your go-tos? I don't think so. It's by Tom Mix, and it came out. I, I, do you think I? Uh, no, doesn't look familiar. I guess you got some old classics to actually visit for the first time. Then that's true. <laughs> Yeah. All the uh Coco games are cla- are uh, new classics to me. So then we can it be expecting Dave to be joining us on Thursday nights for the Game on Challenge <laughs> so he can uh try out some of these new old classics. Yeah, I am I'm not suitable for that. Have you actually watched this play? I think you'd be fine. <laughs> even even back in the day when I would like obsessively play these games and really try to get high scores, I wasn't good. And now I'm just like, you know, a tenth of what I was back then. It's very sad. As are we all. I get a high so score. You're, you're saying there might be a chance that Mark B would beat you. <laughs> More than it'd be, it'd be a very small <laughs> chance, but <laughs> without knowing anything about Mark B's abilities, there's an excellent chance he will be. Well, let's put it this way: the place I showed up on the list is my usual place, unless Rondell Vol played. That's right. Yeah. To give you an idea, Mark is surprised when he finds level two. <laughs> That's a rare thing. That's his greatest achievement. Level yep. two. Yeah, I, I've actually watched streams where Mark's played, and he goes. Oh, wow. I didn't know there was a level two. <laughs> I can relate. And besides, I saw in your cartridge collection there, Dave, you had Poltergeist. And if you ever solved that, that was not an easy game. So you, oh, you got some reflexes. I did not. Boy, was that that's the game where they bounce you back to the first level if you like yep. screw up in any level, right? That was just evil. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, know, I don't know if you know about this, but there is a cheat built into poltergeist because there's a bug in the game for on level the first one screen with where all the cars and stuff are mm-hmm. if you hold down the joystick button the cars never come out yes yes i did know about that yes if you think poltergeist is evil have you played neutroid <laughs> <laughs> have not it's a great game <laughs> i love it that's just sadism con- that's what that game is i concur <laughs> 
Well, so I wanted to ask uh, Sloopy the, the the game, the new game this week, or not the newest one that Ken's about to announce, but the one that uh, was picked this last week. Yep. And what was it called again? Trying to remember. Mind out. Mind out. Did you pick that solely, or did Ken have any say in that at all? He had no say whatsoever. Okay, and Ken, have you had a chance to play it? Because I haven't. Um, yes, I have. I actually you... had played it a while ago and was on my list to uh, for games, and then I lost my list, and I forgot that I had put that on my list. So, Because honestly, but... I, I don't even remember seeing this at all before. I, I know it's a dragon I, game. I actually found it um, like a month or two ago. Remember when uh, a month or two ago I said, I can't wait until I'm... Uh, picking the game on for the week. Yep. And I found a, uh, finally found a game. And we just lost Luf- Sloopy. Um, found it. Oh, there he's back. <laughs> oh, my internet connection's unstable. Yeah, so is mine. Imagine that. <laughs> but yeah, a few months, a, f- a couple months ago when everyone, when I said I found a new game to select in the next one, so I won't be shot. I think that was right after I played Neutroid. Um, this I had actually seen it on someone's stream on uh, Twitch. Someone was playing it. Yeah, because it looks like a pretty interesting game. I definitely do want to try it. I just don't know if I'm gonna have time this week. Yeah, it's it's just it's a fun game to sit and play for however long you want to play it. You can play it for a couple minutes or couple hours just try out the hours it's put in the and we might have to first. hijack boats coco at boat fest so i can we can try this game out absolutely yeah yeah because i also found another game that way that i have to find out what it uh what the name is because i forgot it oh well you better hurry up because you got to choose the game this week too i mean next week next week oh geez and crackers <laughs> well no you're this also week. choosing this week have you, you've got this week's game right ready Sure. <laughs> I'm kidding. We could we could ask our guest here if he's got a game he should recommend as long as we haven't played it already. I can't imagine I would know of any game you guys don't know about that would be. Well, what does that mean we don't know we about? Just, just which played. ones we played already on the yeah. show. Yeah, Dave. I I first I got my first Coco in uh, 20, 2010, 2009. And uh, I actually first started using a Coco in 2020. That's pretty recent. That's true. That's pretty recent. So all these games are new to me. Yeah. Why it's so hard for me to pick a game because um, even though this is episode 82 of the Game on Challenge Live, the we are in like the 160s for the Game on Challenge in general. So we've played 160-some, 170-some games. So a lot of the popular, well-known games have already been played. Oh, yeah. But there's at least 1,500 games to go through, so we got a ways to go yet. (laughs) Yeah. Especially if you count all of the uh, AG... What are those ones called? Oh, the AGD, the uh, Spectrum Converts. There's 270 of those, too. Yeah. I keep uh, trying to get them to play a Spectac Calculator, but they won't let me. Well, hey, you get to choose next week. You know, I think that diagnostic cartridge would make a hell of a game. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I, I strongly recommend it. Uh, spe- uh, how about uh, Color Scripts at 2? <laughs> All right. So anyway, moving on, shall we uh, talk about what game we are going to be playing for the next two weeks? Yeah, let me sure. stop sharing. 
We'll see if Dave recognizes it. Okay, well, um, obviously we're playing Mind Out for one more um, week. And don't look at the top of this screen because it'll tell you what the game's called. But here's a... Sailor Man! No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's pretty obvious what this one is. Yeah, this is the Tom Mix version. Yeah, the other uh, version of... uh, Quicks, so kicks. So, Dave, did you ever play this one? Another Tom Mix class. This, this does look familiar. I'm sure I have this somewhere. It probably wasn't one of my uh, frequent go tos, but that's definitely familiar looking. So, that is the game we are going to be playing for the next two weeks. And if I remember correctly, this one's a little bit closer to the arcade than the Spectral one, which is um, they, they call that one some other uh, odd spelling. Yeah, we I think they called it. Yeah. Quix. This one's Kicks. That one was Quix. And what the heck is the name of the original game? Kicks. Q I X. You know, it, it doesn't follow English rules at all. No U after the Q. Anyway. If you like the arcade game, this, this is probably the closest Coco clone we have. So that is the game for the next two weeks. And mind out for one more week. So I expect to see you all. Well, no, I won't see you on Thursday because I'll be on the road driving to uh, West Virginia. So Sloopy expects to see you all on Thursday night, (laughs) 8 o'clock Eastern time. And Mark expects you all to come on and beat his score. Which Mark? Either. <laughs> yeah, either one of us will do. First one, then the other. <laughs> There's Ken slamming the players already. No wonder nobody comes on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we're, we're willing to take the take it for the team. And since Sloopy's doing the high score uh, thing next week, then Mark, if you uh, post a score, Marco, it'll probably actually make it to the list. I'm thinking about it, so I'll try and mind out. And yeah, this new uh, game too looks kind of cool. You, 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 that's not a guaranteed. I mean, I've missed more than you have. <laughs> more likely to be missed with me than you, because I think you're at an average of one per year, and I'm, I'm about one every three months. And there's not going to be any Canadian content on Thursday that I know, because both Ken and I will be. I'll be in the air, and he'll be driving. Yep. Does that mean we can't broadcast into Canada then? Right. Yeah, you might get blocked at the border. Yeah, we won't be able to. No one in Canada will be able to watch the show there. Hey, get a backup we Canadian. Somebody. Okay. Yeah, yeah we up. need a backup Canadian. Quick. Are we going to have to start streaming the Voice of America? <laughs> Mr. Dave has to come on. Yeah. We'll have to be in pirate radio in Canada. Or maybe we can invent Neil Blanchard. He's the uh, game guy on the Cocoa Crew. He come on. He sounded open to it again when I talked to him at the fest. So. Oh. Well, there's also pay per view. You can get around local blackouts that way. <laughs> but, will that around, but will that get around countrywide blackouts? No, they have Rogers there. Ah. Uh, so what do we got to pay him? Um, who's oh, up? That's near just the always Canadian... a countrywide blackout anyway. Yeah, who's up near the Canadian border? Who can we put a giant antenna in their uh, in their uh, run a coax across the line to the guy's house? Ah. <laughs> uh, Adrian from Adrian's Digital Basement, just get it, see if he'll set it up. 
Yeah, D could line a site from Michigan. Yeah. What is going on with my internet? Yeah. Same thing that happens every Thursday night? Yep. <laughs> uh, well, I don't usually have a problem with uh, with this kind of streaming. It's just when I'm streaming to uh, Restream that I have issues. But no, we need to find someone that's on the Canadian border and put a giant uh, Wi-Fi antenna in their yard to send the uh, pirate signal out to across Canada. I'll I'll tell my mom she has to uh, sign on under my account and play. <laughs> there you there go. go. Now, we, there we now go. Ron's got some competition for Lewis score. <laughs> yeah, there. Have your mother or your sister play. Are we ready for another commercial? And then the news. I think I think we definitely yes. need to get out of this conversation. Yeah, I agree. Asparagus. <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Aaron of The Coco Show. And you're watching or listening to The Coco Nation, the live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its cousins. All hail The Coco Nation. Om. 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 In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Coco3scartcable.com. G'day from the land down under, where toilets flush backwards and thongs are a respectable form of casual footwear. I am Nick Morentes and I have been developing games for the Coco for over 35 years. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the interactive live video talk show for all enthusiasts of the Coco family of computers. Cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer, one, two, and November 2017, if you dare. When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins, no matter what it takes, or where news breaks, from around the world, to your nation, the Coco Nation News. 
All right, thanks again for Dave being on. He had to go, so he won't be able to see the, the rest of the show, which he even covers some of his upcoming videos, but I'm glad he stopped by for a chat. And hopefully him and Mark can get this uh, Tech Talk thing going. I'd like, like to see that. Hey, so you guys seeing that screen? Yeah. Okay, so the, the YouTube version of uh, some lame-ass Canadian being a guest in Chronological Gaming, which uh, was me, um, he actually had me as a co-host. We uh, covered a couple of Coco games at the very beginning that he'd reviewed earlier in the week. And uh, then I got to review games on a bunch of other platforms, including a bunch of games I've never seen before. So I won't subject you to having to see my face on the screen anymore. And you're ready to do on the show. So go check it out. <laughs> I had the big relief of everybody. <clears throat> uh, next up, SNR on YouTube. And uh, I think I covered them last week. They started they're doing long some fairly long play stuff of, of various Coco games uh, or other games for that matter. They cover quite a few, but they, in this particular episode here, they did an hour trying to play space shuttle on a dragon 32, which is the uh, same one that Tom mix put out for the Coco about a year earlier. And then they also played the Atari VCS 2600 version of space shuttle, which is a pretty cool. one. I think Taylor Namie covered recently. So for those who have not seen it, this will be on the dragon. So it'll be uh, pal, no artifact colors here, though the game itself normally and it has artifact colors. I don't know if anybody here has played this one. It's uh, it's not a, what I call a difficult simulator. I remember beating it quite a few times when I was young. And it's written in basic with a little bit of ML routines, I think, for some scrolling in a window. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, this is the basic screen layout, and he's already taken off, and he's in orbit, and your object is to use the cannon arm on the shuttle to grab a errant satellite and bring it aboard the shuttle to bring it back down to Earth, and you have to fly down and land. And there's... Uh, it's it's not bad for a basic game. It's one of the earlier simulators um, written by John Fraze, if I remember, who did a lot of programming and games and stuff in basic for the uh, Rainbow Magazine that were published as listings, and he did a few commercial ones, too. And then he branched out to assembly language later, too. I think he was involved with, like, Worlds of Flight, for example, which is a, a, a full-blown flight simulator. And if you want to compare what it looks like to the Atari version... The Atari one's a fair bit uh, fancier, obviously, because there's a lot more colors to work with. And plus, it was written by Activision, who had some of the best Atari 2600 programmers on Earth. So they pulled a bunch... Uh, tricks they even have the scream shake when you're taking off to simulate the shaking from the rockets going and stuff so they did a pretty good job on this one i remember playing this one when i was young too next up now we talked about this earlier in the show about paul shoemaker working on the mc10 version of video poker and uh there's two parts to the story so you did this little video which i'll play shortly i'll play the whole thing it's just over a minute long i uh, just kind of give you an idea what it sounds and looks like uh, but he's also, as of yesterday, uploaded a copy of it as sort of as a beta test on both Facebook and on Discord. So he's asking for some feedback if anybody finds any bugs or you know things that should be fixed, etc. Uh, but uh, feel free to download it from either of those two places. And it'll be the MC10 channel on our Discord, the Coco Discord. And it'll be 
in the MC10 group on Facebook, uh, free download, and give it a shot if you have an MC10 or an MC10 emulator or an else. So I'll play it right now. And also, Paul thanks uh, Simon for some of the routines that he's using for sound and stuff on MC10. For those on the audio, you can hear the sound effects of the cards being dealt, etc., and the losing sound. But trust us, there's graphics going too. And just like real poker, it's almost impossible to win. I don't think we need to sell the whole thing. But anyway, it looks really good. Um, I haven't seen any reports of any bugs yet so far. Mind you, it's only been out a day. Uh, but he's expecting to have it officially released probably no later than the end of the month unless some showstopper bug you know, shows up the last minute. So for those of you MC10s, here's another machine language game for you to get. And here's his announcement and the actual download of the cassette image file for the MC10 on Facebook. But like I said, you can also get it on the MC10 channel on Discord. And the last one I got for this week, um, Essenera did another long play uh, later on where he played Phantom Slayer. This is one of my favorite Coco games of all time. Uh, he does not do incredibly well at it, but uh, you definitely get to see what the gameplay is. And I've played stuff on Phantom Slayer quite a bit over the years, so I'm not going to subject you to watching some more of it again, even though it is one of my favorites. <clears throat> but a good 3D shoot him up back from 1982. I think here he's playing the Dragon version, which came out in 83. But it's basically the same game with a title screen. Ad. Now that's it for the rigor news or the gaming on news. So I'll switch over to the other. Whoops. Hey, please tell me the screen changed. <laughs> it is indeed. Okay, cool. Okay, so the first few stories here. Uh, Tier City Retro Programming um, has done a couple of updates to his Tales Suburbia game. Um, and then he's done some other things that are not related to Tales Suburbia. So the first one here, he's adding new game elements. So he's adding a flashlight, climbing a ladder, and then having an attic light up when you go into it. So I'll fast forward a bit to show that. Now, he's having some issues at the time that this video was uh, put out. So we can find a... at a certain point in the game and then you can come up here and go into the attic and once he gets into the attic if he has the flashlight the light turns on okay and you can walk around up here but there's, there's a bit of lag between the sound and the video for some reason on those last few videos i'm not quite sure what's going on but it's a nice neat, neat effect, you know. If you if you walk up there and you don't have a flashlight, it just stays a dark red and you can't see anything in there. But if you have it, as soon as you get off the ladder onto the attic, it actually automatically lights up. So I thought it was that's pretty cool for a, a little basic game. But he has a bit of a problem here because he was having trouble getting if thens etc. to work properly. So you could actually walk through the floor and you could you know climb up a wall and all kinds of other things are happening. So he was taking a bit of feedback from uh, myself and a couple other people in the comments, and he actually managed to fix it on his next video. And then he also gussied up the title page a little bit, or the title at the top of the screen here by changing the colors between the text here. But basically, this goes to explain. Uh, 
that he's actually got it so properly checking and not letting the player just wander up a wall. So we go up the ladder, and as soon as we get into the attic, the light comes on. It's actually a flashlight that he has in his hand. Um, you can't see it, but it's there. Um, so now that we get up into the attic, I'm starting to add things up here. Add things up here. Um, we can't go over. So he kind of goes through the uh, graphic enhancements as he's been doing on that. And then he did a later one. And this is the latest one he's got here. So here he's actually decided to fancify the, the title part of the screen even more with a bit of a diagonal line as well as different colors. And he's actually populating the attic with stuff now. And um, this is going to be about it for the attic, I think, guys. Um, I don't want to get too crazy. The light comes on. It's actually a flashlight. If we check our inventory, we have nothing. It's not um, reading the inventory right now, but it would say you have a flashlight, among other things. And he's added some boxes. He's got a guitar. You've got these little clues and stuff you have to figure out for the ultimate goal in the game. So he's he's getting near the end of the game as he has it currently planned. Um, but he's been learning a lot of graphic techniques and stuff here along the way, uh, which actually look some of them look pretty good. I like the flashlight effect, the fact that it just automatically turns on when you step off the ladder, if you have it in your hand. And then he did another one. So he got a bit nostalgic here himself, and he went back to one of the very first games he actually made for the Coco uh, when he first started his channel, which is a kind of a video poker, ironically enough, but it's a forehand poker. Um, now the uh, game comes up. And the thing with this is... Uh, so what he does, he, he kind of goes through and explains what he did back then when we first started. And he, he said himself, he's learned a lot of techniques and stuff since. So he, he's tempted to rewrite it to, you know, add some gussied up effects, maybe speed it up, etc. But it was kind of fun hearing him, you know, kind of, you know, figuring out what he had done, which way back then and, you know, ways to improve it. If he's actually going to do that or not, he's got several other game projects on the on the go. So he's kind of curious, you know, does he really want to go back to this since it's essentially was roughly done already? Or does he want to keep you know striving for new things type thing? So interesting to see where he goes with that. But uh I remember when he first put that, this was the first video I think of his I discovered was the original version of this this poker game. When I first discovered his channel. Okay. Um so Michael Furman found an issue with MAME and trying to get Flex to run, as he did earlier with XROAR. Um, so he actually went into the source code and MAME itself, figured out what the problem was, submitted the fix, and they actually accepted it, which I've heard from some other people like Barry Nelson is incredibly hard to do to get them to accept anything. Um, but basically what is happening is that they had looked at the schematic wrong and figured that uh, certain lines were tied together that shouldn't have been. And essentially what it was doing is that you couldn't mix single density and double density on the same disk image and have it work. And that's essential for Flex because the track zero that identifies what the format of the rest of the disk is, is always single density. So even, uh, a person that only had a single density drive could try to read a disk and it would come back and say, yeah, this is set up for a double density disk drive, which you don't have, but it wouldn't just error out. You could actually tell because it could read the first track and go, there's some setup stuff there that explains the geometry of the drive and it would actually return back saying, you know, you have a single, this is a disk image just for a double density drive. You only have a single density drive on your machine. So would that the be the exit. same problem for an SDC? Um, I think it works on SDC though, because I think the I SD couldn't get get it to work on my uh, 
on my machine on SDC. Yeah, but your SDC was already acting up. No, no. no. It's because of that damn flex is why uh, it's stuffed up. Um, I couldn't get flex to work, so I thought I'd repatch. I thought maybe I had an old version of the um, micro, uh, MCU software on the SDC. So I reburnt to the latest version, and that's when my SDC died. So thanks, thanks, uh, Mikey. <laughs> I don't know if that's related or not, because I mean, I don't know. But when you mentioned double density, single density, I'm just wondering, does the SDC handle? Because Mikey ran these on the SDC before he fixed XROR and main. Oh. That was the one place it did work. And I know for mm-hmm. a fact the DMK file or SDF file format, sorry, lets you mix sector sizes and densities because a lot okay. of the copy protection did that. And that's well, now, one of the whole. Doesn't the newest SDC firmware have a problem with like OS9? Could there be other things in the newest firmware? That's more or? speed related, though. That's not a formatting issue. It, he tried to speed up the writes and then he actually caused the read routine inside the SDC firmware itself. Well, I mean, maybe I cannot handle a, the speed of double speed. Well, maybe the double density, single density switching is munged up as well. And Nick's found something that other people might have a problem well, with. No, that's possible. Also. Yeah. So, yeah, my SDC doesn't yes. work at all since I tried oh, to reburn the firmware. It works. It just can't read off the SDC card. Yeah, like you said before to me oh. privately that your drive wire still works from SCC DOS. You can boot it. Yeah, yeah. But any SCC access DOS to the SD works. card is doesn't work. Is yeah, you I work? can't access it. <laughs> I, I, every one of mine where the every one of mine where the card reader quit, it was U four. So U four. Yeah, there's a there's there's four like major chips in there, and U four is the one that seems to have something to do with. I'm sure someone will comment and add more knowledge than I have. But mm. is that anyway. a fairly common chip these days? It's it's SDC specific, so yeah, it's high. you're stuffed. <laughs> okay, well, at least you might have something if you tell Ian or somebody that they if they need to reburn. A... They can maybe fix it for you. Yeah. Now, Rick, would this be something you could fix if you actually have one of the PC? Uh, was it USB Blast or whatever they're called? Could you reprogram that chip yourself somehow? I have no idea how these chips are programmed or where you might get that program ah. other than the few people who make the cards. So I would inquire and, you know, maybe you could shoot. Well, Frank was in the chat earlier, so if he's, he's still there, if he wants to pipe up if that's something that's easily fixable or not. Well, that would require him taping a soldering iron to his uh, cast, so that <laughs> might actually, you could do it. Right. I, missed, idea. I, I missed the first couple uh, lines of this conversation, but the Xilinx ones you use a Xilinx programmer. There's a, a, it's a USB to like a JTAG programmer for doing those. And then the Atmel chip would be just a, well, you could use a, one of the, uh, um, you could use uh, any of the numerous uh, ones used for programming those. But you remember what U4 is, Rick? It, it's, I would have to go dig it out. It's just, I remember having to replace that one twice now <laughs> to fix two different ones because I did stupid stuff with bad SD cards. And that, that seems to be the thing that gets broken. My tab oh, just crashed. Oh, your tab just crashed. Okay. 
It scared me there. <laughs> I was done looking at that page anyway. So that was basically just his uh, submission to the main developer team about fixing the bug, which uh, I got accepted. It does work. So I'm not sure when the next release of MAME is coming out. Uh, but within the next one or two releases, that fix should be there. You should be able to run native uh, flex right on the right on your main without any problems. And then it has a oh, quail. Go ahead, Al. It works if you hand apply it. So uh, I was able to take Mikey's fix and plug it onto MAME. And that was all it was, was the one file and rebuild. So. Cool. Okay. Good to know. Next up uh, for Mikey, he actually did his next uh, vlog, which is uh, on, themed on Flex. This is episode six of his uh, Flex series. So the first part of it is to go through the MAME, and he goes into extreme technical detail going through the schematics, you know, where they misread where the lines are going to figure out that it was tying the density line with the halt line or something like that, even though that's not what the schematic says. So basically, it was just shutting itself off as soon as you uh, try to access a single density track. He goes into technical specific. You want the full explanation of what he did. And then he also does a little bit on the CompSense port of Flex for the Dragon 64, which you're actually seeing the intro screen here and his intro to the video. But I liked his intro to the video here because it was actually kind of funny, just like most of his are. So I'll play the intro. And if you want to see the whole MAME and the whole CompuSense version of Flex for the Dragon, you can watch the video on his YouTube channel. But I'll play the little intro clip because it's funny. Flex is very powerful. Oh, I don't know if it can beat the most powerful operating system ever created that even fits on ROM cartridge. Okay, okay. Press any key to continue. <laughs> so I'm sure you guys recognize where that reference is from. When Holy Bruce Moore did his sarcastic... Uh, I think yeah. Nick Marionettes was on that too, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah, he was. Yep. <laughs> already written so, his program before he even thought about it or something like that <laughs> so for for newer viewers you'll do you have to go find the uh the ads of that um the fake fake ad that uh bruce moore did featuring nick marionettes who's not, not related to right. nick Marentes in any way because he has a mustache <laughs> anyway this was a really good uh, really good video and uh, the the flex version from CompuSense is a bit different than Frank Hogg's and actually looks like it has a few extra things that the Frank Hogg distribution did not have. So it's, and the numbering scheme is totally different. It's 1.2.0, I think. I know Karen had mentioned, I think it was Stuart Orchard had been working on doing some stuff to flex on the dragon himself at one of the dragon uh, gatherings in the UK. And if, if Karen's still up, uh, he can mentioned specifically what he's doing i don't remember exactly but on our one of our dragon interview specials he had mentioned that he was working on that kind of stuff that Stuart was so i'd be kind of curious to see where they're going with that as well now ron klein has done some multiple updates for the cocoa pie <clears throat> one is the general availability of colorflex 504 that was after uh mikey put up the actual downloadable disk images he's got a bunch of other disks too he's got several basic compilers and uh, interpreters and you know, other languages and utility disks and all kinds of stuff that will be coming. I think he had about 10 to 15 disks worth of stuff, editors, all kinds of things. So some of the old FHL and Flex library will be coming back over the next, uh, you know, few weeks or a month or whatever. By the way, Vent announces here that the CocoaPie can actually download the ColorFlex directly and run it uh, right on there if you want to try it out on their CocoaPie. 
And then he gave an update on the CocoPi 64-bit project that we mentioned, I think, a week or two ago. So he's actually working on getting everything transferred over to the 64-bit realm instead of 32-bit, uh, which would definitely give you some performance gains, especially on the Pi 4 and the Pi 400. Now, at the time last week, he wasn't sure if the uh, Pi 3 would have enough oomph to actually run this at a decent clip, but he's actually done some tests on what he's got converted over so far, and it looks like it might be okay. It might actually perform well enough that it's not going to be a, a bear's breakfast type thing. So that's that's good to know because it sounds like uh, what he didn't think he was going to be able to support properly will work on the Raspberry Pi 3. So here he's actually running a snapshot with XROR, MAME, OVCC, and TRS-80GP, which is the uh, normally has been the TRS-80 Model 1, 3, 2, 4, et cetera, emulator that they added uh, Coco 1, 2, and MC10 to. No Coco 3 support there yet. But there's a you know four different emulators you can try now within the Coco Pi. So it's still a work in progress, um, but it looks like it will be working on the Pi 3, not just the Pi 4 and the Pi 400. And then here, two more updates that just happened uh, yesterday and this morning or the day before and yesterday. I can't remember exactly, but uh, basically there's another new version of XOR with some other extra features. Um, and also the new version of UG Basic uh, 1.14, which uh, adds some stuff from some of the other platforms as well. But there's a fair bit of additions for the Cocoa on there. So I'll just read the uh, notes here for those on the audio podcast. So Karen has released a new work in progress snap version, snapshot version of XROR. Latest changes include add ability to change picture area, seeing more or less border, uh, which is cool because I noticed VCC on some modes actually completely cuts off the border. So if the game's, you know, setting border palette register for, I don't know, say a Star Trek game with red alert, yellow alert, green alert for the border. You don't even see it. It's gone. Um, especially if you're overscanning, like using the 22 or 25 line mode. So that is an option he's added to XOR. You can actually change the size of the border to your heart's content, or at least within reason. Uh, new option, VO picture, respect the geometry dimensions and SDL-based UIs. Now you're getting way above my wheelhouse here. I don't even understand what half this means. Um, added optional 60 hertz vertical scaling on by default. And a new option, no VO scale 60 hertz to disable 60 hertz scaling. Uh, and then on the uh, UG Basic side, I don't want to call it UG Basic because it sounds like it's it's a terrible thing. It's actually a pretty good development tool for Basic. Basically, it's a Basic compiler, cross-platform compiler, so you can compile on a PC. And it because it's doing it on a PC with a large memory model, etc., it can actually generate more optimized code than a normal compiler would do natively under the system. So actually, it does a pretty good job from what I've seen and heard. So he says, Marcos... Betaletti has released a new version, UG Basic. Most of these changes are related to the Atari 8-bit platform. Uh, thank you, Karen and Marco. We support uh, these products when updating your code by. Now, there's a further update uh, that uh, the author of uh, UG Basic himself put up on our Discord. There's a link to it, and I think he posted on the list or uh, Cocoa list as well. Uh, that'll be coming a little bit later in the news. It actually covers some of the Cocoa stuff that's changed. But uh, both of those are available for the Cocoa Pie project as well now. Ken, are you still there? Yes, I am. Okay, I will mute this and let you talk over a little bit while we're going. So this is your video on the Universal Video Driver Part 2. Oh, yes. So I changed a few wires to uh, be able to put it where I wanted to put it, and I ran into a few problems. Um, I basically lost all white. All white colors on my computer became green which was just weird. 
but I wanted what I wanted to do was I wanted to mount it under the keyboard so that uh, I could run the uh, connectors out the bottom vents, and then it would be hidden from view, so you couldn't tell just by looking at it that it had the the mod on it. Now you so. were trying to solve another problem. There, you had a bit of that. Discolored yeah, I had, yellow a, streak, I had right? a discolored uh, yellow yellow green streak on the side, which people suggested was my five 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 timer. So I did uh, change the five 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 in there, and uh, that wasn't the problem because I put the original back in, and it was still doing the same thing. So now, did the new five 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 at least solve the the yellow stripe thing, or or is that still no, it? Just too? made the entire screen yellow. Oh, okay. Well, that's one way to get solve it, I guess. It got rid of the stripe Even and better, just made it yeah. onto the whole screen. <laughs> so now whenever I run something like Dungeons of Dagger, if there's something like that, rather than it um, having a white border, it has a yellowish-green border. And of course, this plays right into you know, our guest Dave and me talking about why we don't do soldering and stuff, because you just wreck stuff every time you touch stuff, so that's why I don't do it. Hey, but it's getting a nice, clear picture. Just one color's <laughs> off. Well, since we got some hardware experts on the panel here, any suggestions for Ken or Ken or have you kind of figured it out since and just have no, not a clue, not a clue. I haven't started playing with that yet. Just I pretend just... it's a spectrum or something. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, a solution. <laughs> so there, I hide the I hide the composite cables down in the bottom well of the uh, Coco Two there. So with clear is... it was all I had on hand. So Bob, Rick, Mark, any, any suggestions for Ken? Um, put the board the, back where I think it was. It's, it's got to yeah. be something to do with the board because when I yeah, just use the regular RF out, I'm getting perfect colors. Well, put the board where it was so you don't have the impedance things going on and run cables from the board out the vents on the bottom and just live with that. I suspect the your drive transistors are too far from the thing that they're driving. Okay. Charging cables then? You've just introduced too much impedance between the. So at first it was only a little bit of a problem on the border, but yeah. now it's all the way across the screen because it's gotten so much slower. And mm -hmm. if you could tack it even tighter in to the source, it might get rid of the problem. Although a white border seems to be the hardest thing to get to accomplish. Um, my video capture can't even do a white border properly. Yeah, because if you watch, I I so then I put the original five 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 chip back in, and it's slightly yes yellow, less yellowish green, but it's still yellow green. And then I tried switching it over to a CRT through the RF. Is it possible you got a couple of wires reversed or something as far as the phase? I shouldn't. They're all color coded, so <laughs> yeah. And you said when you go out the RF can, it's still fine. Like yeah, this, so there's the RF here. can. Right, totally normal. So it shouldn't be any of the radio circuitry in the Coco itself. It's got to be something going between the monitor and the Coco or the VDG. So probably you're saying the uh, wires are too long? My my first guess would be, yeah, your, your amplifier is too far away from the thing it's amplifying. So when you move okay. it under the keyboard... You introduced a more delay, which made the yellow worse. Yeah, that's that would be my first guess. So I'd try that. Bob, yeah, do you concur right. on that or 
it yeah seems like a cabling issue i mean it could be the length of the cable or the impedance maybe even try shielded wires but i don't know I'd, I'd start with uh what he said uh put it back where it was and see if you can go back to original yeah Now there, can you unplug something and it suddenly went yeah, white? I un I unplugged the one wire, and I mean, I lost any. Uh, it it gets to be really crappy picture, but the white comes back. So, mm. and really bright red. Holy cow! Yeah, and if you try other colors, they don't come out properly now. And yeah, this is a very subtle timing thing. So the length of wires and the quality of wires all makes a difference in this kind of flash up here. You're, you're running, you're running at radio frequencies with uh, J clips and <laughs> test leads and bits of coax. And it, it has to just be so short. It doesn't matter or perfectly done. And, you know, okay. So I'll just uh, clip all those wires and figure out a different place to, uh, to uh, put it. You might uh, try the uh, component version rather than composite, where you get the, the signal straight out from under the VDG. Oh, a different mod. Um, yeah. It's another home, home do-it-yourself type with I probably less than half a dozen transistors and resistors, but... I haven't built that one myself, but I did make a YUV breakout for the uh, VDG that I feed into the the RGB to HDMI adapter, <clears throat> and that mm -hmm. works. That works beautifully. That's crystal clear with the. Uh, it's just like the Coco DV basically, but the artifacts work. Oh, cool. Which is right, really getting your time on. <laughs> oh, it sounds like you got some good suggestions to try there, Ken. Yeah. Uh, Did you bring your cocoa with you to uh, the cabin? Yeah. Oh, good. I plan, so you... on, plan on trying to fix that over the some sometime in the next little while. Cool. Yeah, keep us in touch. And then I also just tacked on a little bit at the end of uh, taking a look at the retro rewind. Um, uh, diagnostic test cartridge because you know, yeah, that's one that adds video. all the Coco 3 testing stuff like MMU yeah. and 2 meg and detects whether you have a 6 through 9 or a 6809. It was a shorter video, so I thought I'd just tack that in. I need so a quick question for you, Ken. The, the actual original mod before you, you try to internalize it to make it uh, more neat and start having the problems that that is a composite board that actually doesn't require soldering, right? You can just alligator clip stuff? Uh, well, no, it requires some soldering. Oh, it does? Okay. I mean, you can order the... I'm doing it because uh, you can order the... I, I picked it up from Coco Fest from uh, David Craker. Mm -hmm. He had uh, gotten a few of them printed, so I just bought one of his boards off of him. But it's one of the projects that you can get off of PCB Way, which, as you know, sponsors my channel, so I have to say nice things. <laughs> Okay, Anyways, for some reason I thought it was uh, a solderless. No, no, it's um, it's using the J clips 
I mean, you could solder directly onto things, but it, I just use the J clip so that I can move it from computer to computer if I want to. Okay. So if, uh, the, the only soldering you did be, is because you got it in kit form, or if somebody actually made the final board, does it not require soldering to install, or does it still require soldering to install? It requires a, uh, no. It if if the board's already made for you, then it doesn't require any soldering. But then you just clip it in and you're done. Yeah. Okay. But I don't know anybody that actually makes the boards complete. So sometimes okay. those uh, J clips are a problem too. Depends on where you're attaching it too. I mean, if it's a very oxidized corrosive point. well i did I, I i went through the schematics and i tried uh putting the j clips on a number of different points that were all on the same lines between like uh and uh yeah it didn't make any difference all right okay well, i hope you get it working uh fairly soon it sounds like you've got a few things to try that might actually be not too hard to do so yeah it will work just oh it'll work I mean, it's a tried and tested uh, board, so I just managed to screw it up somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, our guest, who unfortunately had to leave already, but he had a couple of uh, new videos that released this week. Here's the first one. It's called Peering Inside Basic Storage Assembly uh, Adventures. And uh, in this particular one here, he uh, released a video showing how basic storage works internally and also uh, wrote a program that you can actually download from his blog or or look at the video here because it's not that big of a program uh that you can actually program the start address for the text screen on the vdg which you can do in any 512 byte window with the sam and then you can actually change that to be the pointing address for the screen prints so you can actually like point a direct page and watch basic variables change literally in real time like the timer for example you'll be able to watch that but you can actually see like the keyboard buffer as you're typing into it the edit buffer and stuff while you're typing blindly so it's a pretty good look at the internals of uh, basic and then he also goes into uh, modifying BASIC by copying the ROM to RAM, which all of us with 64K used to do back in the day. And then you can modify BASIC to content, you can fix bugs, you can add features, all kinds of things. So that's what this particular video covers. And then the second one he did is uh, string conversion and printing. Um, so in this particular case here, he's looking at using some of the ROM routines. We kind of talked about it during the interview a bit here. Um, both official and unofficial. So there's not a lot of official ROM routines you can call. There's a few that use the extended indirect. So it's a table of addresses to jump to for certain functions. There's like cassette in, cassette out, read the joystick, read the keyboard. I have a couple others I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's a few that are officially supported by Microsoft Tandy. And uh, basically, if the ROMs got changed and routines moved around, you had this jump table at the beginning that never moved. So whatever they change it to, as long as you call those routines, you were fine. Because it would just kind of auto-adjust, you know, to the new address on a 1.3 ROM versus a 1.1 ROM or something. Um, now he goes a lot more into using some of the unofficial ones here, which is basically directly calling routines in the ROM, which was heavily discouraged by Tandy Radioshack back in the day because they knew they were planning on releasing updated ROMs. And you would break all your software. And the code community kind of went, ah, screw that. We're going to do it because it's easier. And then when Disk Basic 1.1 came out, that became a huge problem. And just about every disk-based program on Earth broke. So I think uh, a lot of people learned their lesson after that one, um, mm -hmm. including me. <laughs> but now it's not such a big deal because, I mean, there's not a lot of new ROMs coming out the last 35 years. So so he got, he, as he mentioned during the interview there, he's you know going into the, a lot of the floating point related routines, like how to convert a floating point number, how to convert it to and from a string, uh, how to call the random function with it. So this is uh, not the first, not the last episode related to that. But it gets into you know how to do some of these ROM calls directly and figure out what you have to pass to it, 
Where do you store floating point accumulators that these routines use, et cetera? So a good deep dive. I'm sure Alan Huffman will be happy. Uh, next up, uh, since Bob's actually on the call here, I'll mute and let him talk through this one, too. What did I do this time? Uh, something about mylar and oh, keyboards. My, my little keyboard repair. Yeah, well, I had a Coco 3 keyboard that... This actually goes in my original Coco 3 that I've been trying to get working again, kind of a, a salvage job. I've had to... I think I, I had repacked it and then it's quit working and replaced that with a different one. And so the, this keyboard was originally that Coco 3 keyboard. So the problem you had here is that the main, like where the keyboard mylar plugs into the motherboard. Yeah, literally up there yeah. where it bends over, like almost all of them were cracked right there where the plastic, the harder plastic glues onto the mylar itself. Right. See how all the other ones are still silver? The ones that you just covered up with the metal plate were all still silver. That means it's fixable. If they're starting to turn black, then too bad, so sad. It's still well, there, were, there were some on the traces themselves. If we back the video up, you can see where there's some traces right. turning black. Right. I was, but a, on, I was afraid but on the, they were losing, but yeah. They, they but on the work. stuck side, they're still silver. There's there's one side of all of them that isn't gone black yet, so you can keep this keyboard for a while. But eventually, right. so over on the far right edge of the screen, that trace is pretty dark. I don't know. I can't really see it that well. Yeah, it'll go for a while. Fixed yeah. for now, right? It's working for now. Knock on wood. Then when it breaks again, one. go talk to Rick. <laughs> exactly. Bought myself another six months, maybe. Now, I remember there used Here's... to be uh, car defroster repair kits for fixing your rear window defroster, which uses this electrically conductive paint, I guess. Yeah, And right. you used to paint this on. I remember you used to take the little tiny mini paint brushes, whatever those are called, to, do, to fix this. But you had some sort of a pen thing I haven't seen before. Yeah, this is a conductive ink pen. It's actually apparently got silver in it. And I think they're about 10 bucks a piece. Hey, cheaper than a keyboard. Yeah. And <laughs> just remember to be more patient than I was and let it dry a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you ended up having to do it twice, right? Uh, some of them I go back over. So the pen kind of was, I got a, a couple traces drawn pretty well, and then it like wasn't flowing. I'd be tapping it and tapping it, and I'd get a tiny little bit. So eventually I had to pull the thing out and just give it a little squeeze at the top, and then it was flowing great. And I had, you know, if I'd have done that initially, I'd have probably got it all in the first pass. Was uh, this the stuff you were using? I'm not sure. Can't see it. A pen is labeled Circuit Scribe. If you want to, we want to zoom it up there, Mark, and, and just show in case other people are interested in this for fixing their minor keyboard problems. Go ahead. It's like I bought one, but I haven't opened it yet. Yeah, we'll stop sharing so the public can see it too. You want to zoom yourself up? I did. Oh, hmm. sorry. Yeah, it's just showing you on the bottom there. And bigger yeah. yourself. Looks like MG Chemicals of Canada. Yeah. It's a different pen than I got. 
but it'll probably work, you know, if it's conductive ink. Yeah, it says total ground uh, carbon conductive pen. Hmm. Hadn't used it yet. Now, Bob, have you actually tried using it, like the, the conductive paint that they used to sell for the rear and defroster that you painted on literally? Is it easier to apply with the pen, do you think? I never tried the I, paint. The, the problem with the paint was it flaked. It meant to be put on glass that would never move. Oh, okay. So it wasn't <clears throat> nice on my own. So you use it for very small, like a little chip came out, and not on the bendy part. Still, yeah, don't bend it much or it'll flake off and you got to put more on uh -huh. it. Because so. I do remember some people here locally use that to fix it, but it was usually because, you know, a chunk fairly far up or on the main keyboard mylar a chunk went out for some reason and they'd fix that but yeah where it actually bends where you're plugging into the circuit board yeah i imagine that wouldn't last too long if at all <laughs> right yeah if it's being taken in put in and out a lot then that's probably well just just life bang on the keyboard it flexes you know that thing vibrates and uh yeah because these little things here is where i remember people fixing okay yeah, you know, the, the day. Always, always broke where he fixed his in that loop there. Mm -hmm. And as long as that's where it broke and you could keep ink stuck there, good fix. Yeah. I'm going to put that in a daily driver and use it for a while. Yeah, see how long it lasts type thing. Yeah. Because I remember you at the very beginning of the video, if I remember correctly, you, you actually go through every key in the keyboard and like half aren't registering or something like that. Yeah, I don't even think right. it was half. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then on the end of the video, of course, you 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 do the same test, and then everything's working fine. So, yeah, that's cool. I've never I've never seen the pens before. I've never even heard of them. I just knew about the little you know the little you know touch up paint type thing that you got in a little tiny bottle. I had uh, had a pen before for a different project, and I don't know. It just occurred to me to try it again for the for a keyboard repair, just to see if it would work. Mm -hmm. And it did, so that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Of course, we're not helping Rick sell any key fixes yeah. by doing this. But, <laughs> well, yeah. no, that's that's for the ones that can't be fixed, or you know, yeah, or you just want you want the, clicky, the clicky. actual click switches. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, right. Thanks for that that video, Bob. That was a cool one. Yeah. Okay, Yark. Uh, yet another retro channel, which is Todd Horsch, did a run-through of his original Coco 3 that he had as a kid. Going through the video output options, the Coco SDC and played a few games. So we're testing. Now, the beginning six and a half minutes of the video is uh, he was originally planning on doing a C64 video, but he had some problems with the, uh, the video, or with C64 itself. And then he was trying to figure out, well, well, I got to have a video out, so what I'm going to do. And he was trying to think. There's some other stuff he was he's planning on doing, but he's saving them for the month of that particular computer type thing, like Septandius, because there's a, multiple ones of these. There's a Macintosh one and a bunch of others here. So we didn't want to, you know, use up all that material uh, before he even gets to that particular month. So we decided to go through his very first computer, the Coco. And uh, a Coco 3 in this particular case. So he goes through... Rear. Here he's going through some of the other uh, uh, video display options. Goes through the SDC, plays a bit of Froggy with the uh, artifact colors. Now he's done this in two ways, he showed. Uh, the first one was 
Ah, well, I can't remember which one it was now. The one that's shown on there, on the, on the picture in the lower right corner. And then the second one he did was to use the one that, uh, of course, Jason, which I think he's, Jason's on the call now, isn't he? I think I saw him pop on. Oh, what, what, what? I heard my name. Your, your video display adapter using SCART. Ah, the, uh, the, the switcher. So that was the second option that Yark showed as a way to, to do it. Ah, very good. Yes, I, I saw part of that. I didn't catch the whole thing. Okay. Yeah, because the first part he goes through was the original one he had before he got your adapter. Um, and basically, the different ways the two do diff- the composite colors a little bit differently because you have the little switch to flick it over. And I think this one you have to you know, bring up a menu. And it's the one that um, Retro Hack Shack used. Uh, I think it even still sells. It's the, the one main difference between the two, besides the fact that Jason's is easier to use on a Coco to do this kind of thing. It's just, you know, flick the switch and you're done. So you're pulling up a menu and going through like 18,000 options is that this uh, one here is meant to be cross-platform. This will work on Ataris and Amigas and a bunch of other machines too. So if you have a big retro collection with a lot of machines, this might be a better option for you. But if you're smart and you only deal with the Coco 3 and you know who cares about the rest of the crap, then definitely go with Jason's. <laughs> How's that for a selling point? That's also the one... Operators are standing by. That's the one that works. Right. That's the one that works with a color computer one and with the uh, component output. Oh, that's the one you were talking about earlier then? Yeah. Okay. Because that's basically Sorry. what a mini Raspberry Pi or something like that? With some... uh, you've got a Pi Zero and uh, then the, the daughter board and the sub-daughter board sandwiched in between them. Okay. Like I said, I this, this is probably a better option if you have multiple machines and you, you're only going to firing yeah. up one at once rather than having to buy a whole bunch because this would be more expensive to buy for multiple machines. And you know, multiple. And then also, once you get used to it, there is a you, you hold down the middle button and it turns the artifacts on or off. You don't have to go through the menus. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Because <clears throat> I know yeah, you're it's... demonstrating going through the menus and, and doing it that way. Yeah, I'm still kind of getting used to it myself. It's... It is a little bit more fidgety, but it's also kind of neat that you get to, you know, you can push a button and get a screenshot. Which, of course, then you got to take the SD card out, but it's on a micro SD card. Pretty easy. Yeah. And then, of course, here's the uh, demonstration of uh, the switcheroo, um, where it explains, like, you know, why why are you plugging in a composite, even though the video is not coming through the composite, and it's to basically do sync and stuff so it kind of goes a bit of explanation i think mean, you know does some demos using them including sock masters donkey kong and here's his froggy without artifacting turned on at all so it's, it's kind of a good <clears throat> description of what solutions and i know what their different approaches are but also you know some actual live video showing you what the quality is like and on both these products you can't go wrong on the quality um yeah. i think you just have to pick the one that fits your particular you know, retro circumstances are the best. This one here, this one was pointed out by a couple of people to me this morning, even though I'd already seen it the night before. Um, so Adrian's digital basement received a Coco one and uh, kind of goes through it briefly. It got really, uh, the paint got really kind of wrecked on it. And he figures it might've been the dust cover that it kind of, you know, some plastics like power cables and stuff can eventually start eating plastic, et cetera. Well, this seems to have eaten the paint because um, it looks pretty. Let's see if we can find it here. He also got a, a ZX81 too, but you can see. I'll, I'll start playing the video here. I'll just mute it for a sec here. 
but you can see how matte finished it looks and discolored in spots. So the paint itself has kind of gone bad. It's not shiny anymore at all. Yeah, now down at the bottom of the black you see here on the wrist area, that's from wearing the paint off. Actually, no, sorry, that's not because he's got a white one. So it should wear up to white like you see on the top here. Never mind my black plastic comment. But you can see it's it's uh it's definitely lost its sheen, let's put it that way. And you notice later on in the video that the dust cover seems to have some matching patterns to what's on there. So it looks like the melt plastic and the dust cover adhered to the paint. And when you take the dust cover off, it pulled the paint off. But the favorite part of this video for me wasn't even looking at the Coco One, surprising enough, or the manuals that came with it. But he actually got received a 1983 Radio Shack catalog he went through. Um, I'll just play a little bit at the beginning here. Just so you guys can see what the catalog looks like. And I remember having the Canadian version of this catalog where the prices are even higher. Oops, went too far. All right, let's take a look at this. I know it's a little glary. There's not the best possible setup. Why Radio Shack is the place to shop for your computers. Hi. Fuck is making machines, of course. Um, but the prices are something that he really got floored by, like, you know, getting a hard drive for $9,000 or eight, 5000 or 6000 where the heck it was back then. And they just thought this, he just thought this was completely insane. And <clears throat> that wasn't unique to Radio Shack. I mean, that kind of stuff was really expensive everywhere back then, honestly. And then he discovered some things he didn't know existed. Like here's, he, he discovered the uh, graphics tablet, the X-Pad for the Coco, which he had no idea even existed into the program slot so it goes into the expansion slot connector interesting cad cam on your coco one hmm input precise data coordinates but that's let's do the math 100 points per second by its resolution how fast can you draw <laughs> and he was floored how much floppy drives were back then too like, why would you spend that much money, almost? And then there were the Apple II disk drives. PC, sugar yeah. drives. I think they were single-sided, to be honest. Yeah, that's uh, uh, per storage, per disk. You could not flip the disk over because, like, a sugar drive needs the index hole to work. Well, you could if you punch your own holes. I did that all the time. But... Expensive. I don't really know how much Apple disk drives cost in 1983, so if anyone knows off the top of their head, I'd love to be able to price compare, but I have a feeling... If... About $400. Mark. About $400 because I brought one. <clears throat> now, this this catalog, the RC8, I think, it's the 1983 catalog, but it was published in the fall of 82. So that's when the prices were set. Does that change the price of the Apple, or is that basically the same? Not really. Um, I got my first Apple II. It came with a disc two, and it was used, so it was $1,200. But when I bought one later, just the disc without the controller card, which would be like getting the Cocoa Drive without the... Uh, without the uh, interface, but you know, it has a separate case or anything, but it was like 400 bucks. So exactly the same price, basically. Cause yeah. this, this is a, the auxiliary drive is or drives is mm -hmm. 400 here. And the one with the controller 600. Right. Yep. Now I'm trying to remember, <clears throat> cause it's been so long since they used Neville too. How much storage space did you get on those? Cause it was 13 or 16 sectors per disc. I remember. 16, 16 sectors, 143 K. So it's less, a little than bit less than us. Yeah. And 
trying to remember that was the 35 track drive I, you didn't typically have 40 there were some other companies like rana who made 40 track ones that you could get squeeze a little bit more on them. yeah but yeah you're you're limited to 35k and 256 byte sectors 16 sectors per track yeah because so remember wasn't it apple dos 3.2 had the 13 sector per track? 13 sector yeah yep. yeah they used a different encoding scheme so it that's, got that's the one i remember from right elementary and, high school and you, you look at that and you go, well, that's pretty small, but you have to realize the Shugart mechanisms, the SA400s, they were, they were like 10 sector tracks. I mean, they've been their hard sector. So getting 13 yep. sectors and then 16 sectors, hey, that's a great improvement on the same desk. <laughs> Moving on up. Yep. It's exactly. like David Ladd when, he, when we got the uh, 20 sector per track on the Coco thing mm-hmm. under OS9, he really likes that. Yep. Exactly. It's an 80 track double sided drive. I mean, that's an extra 80K per disk. That's, that's a fair bit. That's mm-hmm. impressive, especially since you're using the same disk. Now, was that the real David Ladd making that sound, or was that fake David I Ladd? It's, I think it's a fake Oh, David that Ladd. was me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was real David Ladd. Ooh, sorry, David. <laughs> yeah, those prices look right to me. That's about what I remember. Yeah, I remember the initial Canadian price. I'm trying to remember. I think it was $7.99 for the first drive and $5.99 for the second, third, and fourth, the first year they released in Canada. Yeah, but our dollar was crap. Hand that over because... Taking that bad boy home, that made the summer. Right? Yeah. It was one of those things, like like our guest Dave was mentioning, they were more expensive than the computer itself. But once you actually used one and you saw how fast things loaded, the fact right. that you didn't have to fast forward and rewind to find a program, it was worth every penny. Yeah, forget that. D-I-R. There's all the files. Yep. There's no fast forwarding. There's no list. Skip back and get out the other cassette. <laughs> Freaking type DIR and boom, they're all there. I just pick which one I want to go to. I'm done. Yep. Yeah. And the other nice, go ahead, Mark, you first. Uh, just after you'd use a floppy disk, you don't want to go back to cassette. <laughs> yep. You just don't. And the other thing is, was too, is like when I got mine, they were just starting to get the floppy drives. I think the C64s had been out not too long. And of course, the uh, the Apple ones and the Cocoa ones were actually faster. <laughs> well, yeah, that was the thing. I show my six six four abilities what a real disk drive looked like, and <laughs> all of a sudden, I was king. Well, yeah, one of the things I like. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, so one of the things I liked when I got my Cocoa for or my floppy drive for my birthday, um, it was the FD five hundred one. And it was about a year later, I went with someone to a swap meet. And I was just flabbergasted with all the cool things that people were selling that was pulled from other machines. And um, I took took my allowance and I managed to get myself two, they weren't matching, but two half-height double-sided drives. And um, one of the club members had an EEPROM programmer, and uh, we did the patches to disk basic so that drive two and three was the backside of zero and one. So that way I could use both sides of a floppy disk and disk basic without making it a flippy. So I was happy with that. Yeah, ADOS supported that too, and that was one of its big selling points. And this began David Ladd. Yeah, the secret origin story of David Ladd just revealed today on the Coco Nation show. So when the C64 
and its drive, the 1541 came out. My dad went with that because of the graphics and the sound and all that that they had on the yep. at, at the demo. And he started telling me how much I needed to have a C64 that I paid for, not him. Um, instead of that 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 green nightmare thing that I seemed to use. And uh, yeah, when I put my floppy up against that 1541, that definitely got me a lot of wiggle room on why I didn't need to go to a C64 at that point. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> C64s are great if you have a cartridge. Maybe you put in the floppy disk, then it's like... Or if you're playing games. I mean, I, I won't knock I, the C64 and its gaming ability. Uh, it's one I, of the I best bits. They're probably leveraging D-Load to make their floppy system work. They had Microsoft Basic, yeah. they had D-Load. They didn't have a license for any kind of Microsoft Disk Basic, so what do you do? You make the serial thing, you deload it right off the drive using the Microsoft code you own, and uh, pet code, owned it forever. It was a good thing. Speaking of deload, let's see if I can find this here. It's like the cassette port or serial port or Network 3 operating system? Yeah, that's interesting. Cable. The network three didn't work with the Coco, but the network two, which and, he'll get uh, to, there's an did. Older version right here with a knob on it. Connects up to sixteen TRC eighty computers to single host. All cables were included. Requires a model one <laughs> or three host computer with disk drive and up to sixteen model one or three stations or a color computer host with disk drive and up to sixteen color computers. How did that work? Must have used the serial port or something, but. The thing is, the TRS-80 Model 1 and 3 doesn't have a built-in serial port unless you add an add-on card. And this doesn't really talk about what you need for that. Cassette so my port, assumption is somehow this is using the cassette interface port. Or was that Mark? Uh, yeah, he's right. It, it, I think it used the cassette port. That's why you know, the Models 1 and 3 had cassette ports built into them. Yeah. It also has a switch between 500 and 1500 baud, which also makes sense because the Model 1 and 3 were 500 baud cassettes and the uh, Coco was uh, fifteen hundred. Yeah. In fact, when when Ken and I were down in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, to uh, visit Vintage Geek, he actually has a network too, and he was trying to hook the Cocos up. But his right before we got there, something went wrong with the network too, and it quit working because <laughs> he was actually going to have us on video with that running uh, to load stuff off the main host computer. But uh, unfortunately, we couldn't do that because it wasn't working at the time. But that is something I would like to see at a Cocoa Fest because I don't think I've seen one of these running at a Cocoa Fest since the eighties. Like when mm. it was Rainbow Fest, and it'd be kind of cool to have you know one disc based Coco loading up sixteen machines to you know play Donkey King or something, something useful. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a pretty cool video. The uh, the the stuff you got with the Coco, you know, pretty interesting, but nothing groundbreaking. But having actually him go through the catalog, and I, you got to see his reaction to prices of like Model Twos. Like you thought the Coco stuff we just showed you was expensive. Holy cow, right? So when you start getting you know eight inch disc systems with hard drives and you get a bundle for fifteen grand back in nineteen eighty two eighty three, um, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how much how far we've come in the prices dropping computers. One of the few industries where prices have just kept falling and falling and falling, while they're getting more and more powerful. You don't see that in like the food industry. I'm not getting you know like a, a massive forty inch pizza for five cents. Right. 
Pretty cool video. And I want to thank um, David Ladd because he actually pointed this out to me too. I'd already had it in my list up at that point, but he made darn sure I knew to put this in the news. So <clears throat> now this is an unexpected one and not a channel I've seen before. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's called Lawrence Systems. And he does these live vlogs, uh, tech talks, etc. And he's an IT professional type person. And he just covers random topics. But uh, one thing that piqued my interest uh, and also you know, triggered the search algorithm on YouTube, he started talking about the Cocoa on it because that was his first computer. And I'll play a little bit of that because I'm pretty sure none of you have ever watched this channel before. They'll correct me if I'm wrong. Matter of fact, I will make sure I throw in a picture of my first computer. Now, I don't have actual picture of my first computer. But I have pictures of the computer I had. There's a good one. There's a good one. I'll share this picture. Many of you may know this type of computer. There you go. That's what got me started. This was the first time my hands were on a keyboard was when Radio Shack. I didn't buy these when they came out. I, I did not grow up with that kind of money. Cool. These were expensive. But when Radio Shack put these on clearance because they weren't popular anymore, that's when I got into it, and uh, it was pretty cool. I think I got that would have been. <sighs> I can't remember if I. I had to look up the years on that. I'll, I got to pull it all together. I have like a little. I can defer and figure some of that out. So, for those in audio, it's a Cocoa Two. In recommendation, PDUs that can send SMP data, monitor using logging server. Um, he does a live chat like not like we in do. Particular, but he actually goes a bit further into the Cocoa here. I can't think of one off the top. It actually brings up Alan Huffman's website. There's a lot of them do it. Technically, I had my first computer. I actually uh, killed it, bought another last year, years later. See, old CRTs bringing back memory. I did not ever have a PDP. I always got in trouble for touching it. PDU UPS, hard to find a good widely available model. First computer is a clone of an iPad uh, to try and figure out, oh, this is where I can peek at the input for the joystick yeah, you're talking about and then I can make the joystick the then control a character I did for a game and I actually ended up doing a drawing program where I could draw and erase things and I did it all with peek and poke to tell it where to put the memory and the little sprites switch the screen modes to different ones it was, it was really great learning back then four colors green black orange black white all text uh yeah many hours of space invaders oh yeah the retro stuff is just so much fun. It's That's one of the YouTube things I like watching is people who cover some of these retro things. It's just a lot of fun to watch them go. Which Dave mentioned on, during his interview as well. And then I thought, you know, that's coming up to the I, end of it. <clears throat> I read this book cover to cover. I do not have it anymore. But man, I would just, I thumbed through that book so much. It was, uh, it was my guide to life at the time i was so fascinated by it radio shack just like dumped all this when they were getting rid of this because like the newer ibms and they were getting into the tandy 1000s they're like tira Sadie, this is old stuff and i'll never forget the guy's name he was daryl daryl would save all the stuff they were like gonna get rid of for little or nothing and uh, he would call my mom and my mom would drive me all the way out to this particular radio shack where daryl would uh, have the stuff setting and sell to me for really cheap Kids these days don't even know how to use a file browser. <laughs> <laughs> Remember CGA? Vic 20 on loan from a teacher wasn't a bag to code on. Yeah, there was, there's all kinds of neat stuff. 
Because I actually, there was the Coco 3, and then I found in the trash, I think, someone had thrown, thrown out one of these. I had this one, too. This was the one that was... Uh, I, Ronnie actually had an MC-10, too. It ended up dying on me. I took it apart and fixed something on it to get it working. I don't remember what I had to do to make it work, but I this one was so hard to type on. This keyboard was terrible. It was just really, really bad keyboard. Yeah, I learned basic on the color key, uh, thing. I never learned OS 9. I never got good at OS 9. I had OS 9 as well, but I never really... Um, I, did, I didn't have a manual. So I just poked at it and didn't completely understand it because none of the documentation I had was for OS 9. I should mention he's a Linux guy now. Which I was OS nine never popular for those. Let me look that up. I don't know. I didn't catch his last year. Eventually, both of the my other one died too, and then I couldn't. I didn't have a computer for years. Um, that was kind of how it ended until I got back into it. There's gotta be someone who has a history of it. Oh, there is. And he pulled up Alan Huffman's like site. <laughs> Exploring oh, yeah. 1984 OS9 on a 64K TRS-80 color computer part one. Oh, man. You know what I'm going to do when I'm done with this live stream? I'm going to read all of this. <laughs> Try to keep up. Yeah, when someone says, what's Tom doing after the live stream? He's just reading a bunch of old books on OS9 because that's a hobby. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know if Alan Huffman would be able to watch the show, but I thought I'd yeah. want to see somebody found his site you know, looking for the history of OS9. I love this old stuff. There's such a joy I have for a lot of it. I wouldn't say kids these days. The reality is there's never. I mean, he talks a little bit more about it as he goes through. He finds a second thing he's going to do after this dream's over, too, <clears throat> besides researching the history of OS 9. So I just thought that was a cool one. And just the fact that, you know, another tech person of some renown, I mean, he's got over a quarter million subscribers on his channel. And another person that started on the Coco. So you can see all the tech ads seem to have come from, or not all, but a, a good majority comparative to the base user base size of technically minded people have come from the Coco. It's not from a C64 or some of the more popular machines, which I think were my, mostly uses game machines. It seemed to be pretty, pretty tech oriented in our, our little group. And then I've got an update here. <laughs> what was that, Mark? Oh, just laughing. Horse fire simulator, <laughs> as if you need more of that, right? Yeah, this is kind of hit close to home here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't play with fire. I mean, that's always my recommendation. That's why I don't solder. <clears throat> so basically, this is the same forest fire simulation we showed that he had converted to the from or typed in from the dragon. I think it was uh, to the MC10 because he had the original listing there. So not many changes. What he did here because it ran a bit slow is that he actually ran it through Greg Dion's uh, basic compiler for the MC10. That's the version 0.2 versus the 4.1, and it runs a fair bit faster, several times faster. So he was pretty impressed. Unfortunately, I, last I checked, he had not put up the compiled version on his GitHub. So the original source code is still there, but if you want to run the compiled version, you'll have to get Greg Dion's compiler, then run the compiler on it and create your own compiled version. But it basically, it's it's kind of like the game of life, Conway's game of life. You guys are familiar with that. It's kind of a simulation of you know what happens to adjacent squares, et cetera, based on a set of rules. And this is basically using a spreading of a wildfire rather than the propagation of life. Um, but it's definitely running faster than the original video does. 
Next up, we have another MC10 one. This is Jim Gary releasing a one-line basic bouncing ball demo compressed and converted from the C64 basic manual. Um, and apparently there's a YouTube channel called 8-Bit Show and Tell, which I think we've featured before. He compressed it to one line on C64, and then Jim converted that version to the MC10, which is the listing you see here. That's the entire program. I should point out <clears throat> a little trick here in case you don't know. If you have a line zero that you have to go to, Basic, if you just put the word go to and don't put a line number, defaults to zero. So you can save yourself some bytes and actually just have it jump back to the beginning without having to add that in. But apparently not always, because they used go to zero explicitly at one point. Yeah, I think it might have to be the last. Didn't. It might have to be the last one on the line. It, I'd have to check, actually. I wonder if it would work. Maybe you just didn't change it. It's deep. <laughs> I know Alan's kind of covered a little bit of this, too. I'll have to go reread his blog on that one. Anyway, it's it's kind of just a, a square blue um, character Works. string value on a white background bouncing around. But considering the entire bounce algorithm and everything else fits in like 80 characters. Not bad. I wouldn't have been able to do that that small, I don't think. Because that would require thinking and planning, and I don't do that well. And then another one from Davies Retro Corner. Um, so this is a low-res conversion of the Snowflake graphics demo we covered, I think, last week or the week before. That was originally from Dr. Dr. Tim Langdell's book, 35 Programs for Your Dragon 32. So what he did here is he converted it to run on the MC10 using low-res graphics instead. And this one he does have on his GitHub if you wanted to uh, download and take a look at it. I'll speed up here. So basically, it's drawing a mathematical thing to create a pattern. Of course, this isn't as high fidelity because it's in the res, but basically, it's the same program doing the same calculations, just running on SG4. And if you wanted to grab the source code and not have to type it in yourself, you can go to his GitHub. We have the links on the show notes for all the stories and any downloadable areas or programs that you want to get. So you can hit our Discord, and I think they'll also be included when Alan Murphy posts them to the listserv and some Discords, other than the Cocoa Discord, too, that uh, the show notes go up on. I think, do you usually do that Sundays or Mondays, uh, Alan? Usually Sunday morning. Okay. So if they're using the audio, they want to catch it, you and uh, aren't on our Discord for whatever reason, you should join. There's a ton of people here. We have a ton of fun. There's a lot of good knowledge being shared. Uh, you can grab it from there as well. And that's the end of the news. No, oh, I forgot to wake up Mark before I stopped. Sorry. <laughs> oh, now the uh, forest fire simulator got me woke up. Yeah, I heard on the radio yesterday, like we were down to 20 fires here in my province. We're back up over 30 again. So it sounds like the new ones are still fairly small. We've got some that are now under control. So hopefully we won't be sending too much more smoke your way, at least from my area. But I know there's there's other fires in BC and Alberta and Quebec and the Maritimes and Ontario. So who knows? Well, just avoid burning up. Okay. Yeah. I promise not to do any soldering. I'm not going to add to the problem. <laughs> Did they so. all start at once? No. Seems there was like a it. there was a chunk in one of the provinces that did start because of a huge storm that went through. So there was a few that started pretty well simultaneously because it was a huge thunderstorm and it was lightning all over the damn place. And it's been, you know, almost a drought year there. So it's basically as soon as it hits something, it lit on fire. 
Uh, but like the ones in Alberta and Saskatchewan, some of those started back in like late April, early May, and it's just progressively more because it's so dry, starting, you know, every couple of days type thing, anytime a storm went through. But I mean, to have this many fires, because we were at over 600 at one point, I think we're back down to about 480 across the country. Uh, normally that takes till the end of the year before we have that many. So we've had, you know, six months worth of normal fires in two months. So that probably seems like they all started roughly at the same time because comparatively, yeah, it's much closer to that. Well, I mean, we're going through what California went through, like when they had their four years of drought or whatever the heck it was, and they just started, you know, spontaneously burning towns to the ground. That's what happened in BC right. last year. And uh, yeah. unfortunately, it's going to need some rain without thunder and lightning. Would be helpful, right? Yeah, that's the thing. We've been getting these storms that last for thirty minutes, and you get a fair bit of rain, but there's lightning at the same time. So, right, so if the, the storm ends in less started. than half an hour, it doesn't get wet enough to dry the wood, so it still lights on fire and starts right. another fire. So it's actually worse having the rain. The fire starts; it rains a little bit, it steams off, and yeah, yeah, continues. pretty much. Great. Okay. Well, we ready for the outro? Yeah, oh, I think so. One, oh, go ahead, one, Rick. Yeah, one thing I'd like to. Uh, to show, just to show the dedication of some suppliers. Um, so you might remember in August of 22, I ordered a couple of faster PAL chips. And uh, here's the delivery days, February 28th, December 21, January 11, April 11, April 11, August 22. And you'll never believe it. They showed. <laughs> Almost a year after I bought the stupid things, here are my pal chips. Now, keep in mind, this is like a $15 order, right? So a year later, and here it is. So the chip shortage is finally starting to end. I, I guess the chip starting, starting, chip well, starting get, is starting to end. And well, they Mauser got around to relabel stuff. And Mauser is pretty, uh, pretty reliable. I think these are going to be the right chips. I've got some fake ones in the meantime, and uh, I think we've been waiting for the right reason. And this is Atmel, so Atmel starting to sh chip things that aren't really popular. You know, they, they, they don't go in GM GM trucks, or you know. <laughs> so so high hopes. Anyway, that was my parting thought for today. This is for the network card, right? Yes, yes. This was the fast pals I wanted. You could only get, in fact, I bought a quantity a year ago, and that's what I've been living on. And so I'm actually, this is the first new chips, new pal chips I've gotten in some time. So encouraging. Everybody cross their fingers. Right? We might be starting to get to a gimme X's and things. So that's what all those are waiting on. Is yeah, Coco BJ and Gimme X both use the same chip and they've both been kind of suspended for a year and a half, two years now. Like yeah, every other dang thing that comes in a silver bag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know Brennan's back ordered like mad. And I mean, Ed, I don't think he was even taking orders last while for Gimme X because he had no idea when uh, the chips were gonna show up. He's not taking pre-orders or requests or comments or anything. He's like, I'll get back to you when we got something to sell, which is understandable. So Oh, I see Brian snuck in. 
But the show's not long enough. We have to do some more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, we we can wait if we want to. I just had a couple things to share, but mostly I was just kind of checking out the uh, the new internet that uh, got delivered into the house today. So, so yeah, yeah, honestly, Brian, I would say that for next week because um, we've been we've got, we're going to try hours. to do a little bit live from Boat Fest, but I won't be here to ramble on for hours with the news. So it should be a nice short show. You can take as much time as you, you want. To, you need to help us out. <laughs> I might even be able to do backup streaming now because uh, the speeds test is uh, showing 955 gigabyte down or megabyte down and uh, 953 megabyte upload speed. So, oh. yep, you're, you're set up to do that. <laughs> is, 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 is that megabyte or megabit? Because that seems really fast if that's megabyte. For fiber, that's oh, not it, bad. I, I have seen fiber run that fast. Oh, yeah, well, I the, make a bit though. You might trade. Uh, what does Google mega, Fiber mega, normally run, David? Megabit per second. Megabit. Okay. Right. Divide by ten. So, but one hundred megabytes per second, which is still pretty for so, both directions. I mean, I'm used to having download speeds yeah. that fast, but upload right. that's pretty darn good. Yep. So yeah, right. fiber fiber all the way in. So compared to my DCM three, that's pretty quick. <laughs> my acoustic coupler never got that fast yeah right, right? <laughs> no i saw you guys were still on so i thought i would sneak on just to do a little uh little little testing here i guess so yeah, gloat a little <laughs> make sure i'm not doing any sort of you know this sort of thing you know <laughs> some sort of robotic movement you know because it's videos jittering so anyway <laughs> yeah i was going to try to pop by on the trash talk uh show today too uh because i still haven't got a chance to show off the nitrous 9 1.0 release and uh they're, they're still going now, but I just noticed like they're, they're strict to their show. It ends after two hours and they're already like 95, 800 minutes into the show. So there's probably no point. Right. <laughs> Let's okay. save it for next month. Ready for Ready? the outro? I think so. Yep. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, Visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Okay, we're back. And I guess all that's left is the goodbye. Yep. Bye. Goodbye. Hopefully, Ken and I will see you guys Bye. next week from Boat Fest. And my and internet will be here. And my Ooh. internet just went red. Bye, <laughs> everyone. Good timing. Mm.